Hello, Poofuanians. This is Dan. And this is Julia. And uh, we decided to talk to you a little bit about the PFW radio that we've got going on. Uh, originally, this was going to be just for the Halloween ball. However, uh, Julia and I had a couple of discussions and decided that since rock is just, you know, awesome, uh, that we would actually make this a radio station devoted to Wizard Rock. Uh, as of yesterday, we have eliminated everything but the Wizard Rock from the station. And I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am about that. Despite my undying love for Muggle Rock, I don't really need to hear it mixed in with my Wizard Rock, so I'm totally stoked that the uh, that the Muggle Rock is gone and we are all Wizard Rock all the time. So yay. Yes, until the, the Yule Ball, because there's not enough Christmas Wizard Rock, unfortunately. I know. There's only two albums out that I know of. Yes, but those will be on there for the Yule Ball. Anyway... We Any, are anyway. really, really excited um, about this new project that we've been doing um, <clears throat> with Puffle Radio. We're we're really excited because I know a lot of people just love Wizard Rock and don't necessarily have the money to buy all of the uh, rock that they really want, but uh, we do. So we are streaming it to you for your listening pleasure so you can share in the joy that is Wizard Rock. Right, we've got about 40 bands on here, so if you wanted to buy each of these CDs, you'd probably be spending about $400. So here you can find it all for nothing. So Yeah, but you can't download it, though. Uh, you can, however, buy the songs on iTunes because we have um, all the bands that are on iTunes are linked um, on the site. So if you find a song that you really like, by all means, buy it and support the bands because they are just... Really cool people trying to have some fun and make a little bit of money. So uh, if you find a song that you like and you want to buy it, you really should do that. Yeah, we've already had a couple of people buy the Moaning Myrtles and Whomping Willows songs. So you want to, if you do want to buy them, you can buy them directly from iTunes. Exactly. Uh, so just to list some of the bands we've got playing right now, we've got the Remus Lupins, Harry and the Potters, Drake and the Malfoys, Oliver Boyd, of course, Ministry of Magic, the Moaning Myrtles, Whomping Willows, etc. Uh, we've got a list up on the forums if you want to check it out. Pretty much any wizard rock band you can think of that is established, plus a couple that aren't necessarily established yet, but are awesome. Exactly. There's a lot of bands that you've probably never even heard of who are currently uh, circulating through our our playlists, including um, Justin Finch-Fletchley and the Sugar Quills, the Creevy Crisis, who are a great new band, um, Owl Post, Split Seven Ways, Sue and the Hufflepuffs are great, and we've also got a few more coming. I've got some CDs in on order, and my computer suffered a tragic demise, and so as soon as I get it back, we'll be uploading um, the Hogwarts Trainwreck and the Chocolate Frogs, who Dan and I just saw live this weekend, and they were amazing. So you'll definitely want to, to stay tuned for that and uh, see what happens with that because it will absolutely be worth your while. Speaking of seeing things that are to come, Julia and I are starting up a Wizard Rock podcast, which Yay! will be called yes, which will be called the Pawncast of Rock, PWN that is, because we We're, pawn. Yes, <laughs> excited about this. We're going to have interviews from a couple different Wizard Rock bands. You'll have to stay tuned to find out who they are and. We're going to be straying a little bit from the norm of the Wizard Rock podcasts. So I'm hoping every, all of you guys stay and listen to that. That should be fun. Oh, yeah. It's going to be wonderful. We've already got some amazing bands lined up for interviewing and um, for potential guest hosting as well. We cannot wait. We've got some really good ideas of things that we want to do, which will hopefully separate us from the other 
awesome Wizard Rock podcasts that are out there, which, by the way, if you guys don't listen to those, you totally should because they're really good. Uh, but we hope you listen to us, too, because you can never have enough Wizard Rock on your iTunes. So check us out and check them out because Wizard Rock is just awesome in general. Yeah, we'll give you more news about that as we come. But our first episode should come out the first week of the new year. Yeah, uh, we're really excited. Now, back to the radio. We found this this one really awesome band on, on MySpace, and they don't have a lot out, but what they do have out is just amazing. Uh, their name is Peeved, and this is a song that not many of you know, well, not many of you probably know. It's called The Ballad of Mr. Percy Weasley, and it is amazing. Sit I agree. And- it's it's the funniest thing, the funniest Wizard Rock song I've heard in quite some time, which is saying something because I saw the Whomping Willows last weekend. So and the Moaning and the Moaning Myrtles are and the Moaning Myrtles and a whole host of other bands. So the fact that we think this is pretty funny is really saying something. So you guys sit back and enjoy the Ballad of Mister Percy Weasley by Peeved. Sometimes throughout our lives we all meet idiotic fools. People who delight in nothing more than disregarding rules So, if your present company just isn't quite what it ought to be Then maybe I can lend a hand You see I'm Percy Weasley, Mr. Percy Weasley, the kind of lad you'd invite around for tea. I'm pleasant and polite, I'm incredibly bright, and I've got a glowing record at the Magic Ministry. I'm Percy Weasley, not in the least bit sleazy, dapper in robes and even muggle suits. I'm amazingly delightful, my comments quite insightful, and a large number of O's in my owls and in my newts. I'm Percy Weasley, my music's never cheesy, my slender voice always hits the right notes. No matter what you've heard from George, please don't believe a word. I'm not that close with A before, and I've never played with goats. I used to be head boy, you know. Well, admit there have been times when things haven't turned out right. You might even say they turned out slightly wrong. But really, what the hell? On these thoughts we shouldn't dwell, especially when we're in the middle of such a jolly song. I'm Percy Weasley, if you're ever feeling queasy, I'll flick my wand and make you right as rain. It's really quite alarming just how good I am at charming. With me around, you'll never feel the urge to wretch again. I'm Percy Weasley, Mr. Percy Weasley, but I really must be leaving presently. I'm truly pleased to have met you, but I doubt that could come close to how pleased you must have been to have met me. That's Percy. Jen, be creative right now. Go. Wait, I never know what to say. This is the part that I like always write out because I'm retarded and I can never remember. Jen, Jen, be creative. <laughs> Open the episode right now. It's not fair for you to put me on the spot like this. Well, Ryan. she's yawning. I'm out of people. <laughs> <laughs> Go now. <sighs> Wait, I'm looking for my script. I know I've got it written here. Jen, <laughs> be unscripted. Just I can't. Go. I can't. I can't. <laughs> Oh, Noah, come my here and goodness. open up the podcast for us. Ah! No? no? No. Noah. No. 
Are you excited about episode 33 of Potterfic Weekly? What? Are you excited about episode 33 of Potterfic Weekly? What? <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> Is he building some type of fort? <laughs> He's got a spoken. Hold yeah. on, we, we need confirmation. Is Noah excited about this episode? <laughs> Noah, are you excited about this episode? No. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Don't run the next time jealous of me cause I'm so famous and awesome at Quidditch just remember that time that we took you to Slughorn's office and you nearly drank yourself to death but I saved your death <laughs> And welcome back to Pyrofic Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Jen. <laughs> I'm Chi. Holy shit. I'm sorry. I'm not paying attention. <laughs> Who else do we have? Let's do it again. No, we're going to keep going. Mike's here. Who else is here? <laughs> Noah's here. Hi, Noah. <laughs> Say hi, Noah. Hi, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we seem to have a babysitting issue with this episode of Perfect Weekly. We're actually, we're just, we're bringing all of our loved ones onto the podcast to talk about the year like none other. Kira, yes, you're, Kira's right. here also, right? Yes, I'm here. This is Kira from a landline. Last week we had Kira from a cell phone and it didn't work out too well. Last week we had Chi yeah, on the, a little better. yeah, we had Chi on the road to, to Kansas City last week. That was, that was new for us and I basically am just exciting. rambling at you this point. Experienced the uh, rolling. Um, you should have jumped out of that car. There was something I didn't quite trust in that guy. You, you needed to jump. I didn't trust that <laughs> just, guy at all. Just because um, uh, he uh, hasn't read Harry Potter. <laughs> no, he read the last book, and that was it. Yeah, that's right. I, I remember that. All right. Well, just Jeremy. Mm. Yeah, you might want. Like I said, you'll break a hip, but you'll be fine. Meg, how are you? I'm good. What what what's new? Nothing. <laughs> I have a two year old with me tonight. <laughs> oh god. I just don't know what to say to you. Better you than me. Better you than yeah. me. Yeah. Well, it's in your future, Ryan, so look out. Well not in my immediate future, right? You haven't talked to anyone? <laughs> no, no. Okay. <laughs> don't... That's what I meant. <laughs> Everyone buys me diapers for my Outing birthday next yeah, month, I get concerned. Be sure you listen to episode uh, Special Edition 7 very carefully oh, right now. <laughs> this is like that I Love Lucy episode where the father was the last to know. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, Meg, I hear you'll be back with um, when you have a babysitter. You'll, when your husband's home, you'll be back with us? I will. No, actually, I will be back in about half an hour or okay. so after now, this guy's gone to... B-E-D? B-E-D. Okay. Now, I have... Just, I want to give you some foreknowledge of this. We're asking you about Ron when you get back. Oh, all right. All right, all right. I'll talk about Ron. <laughs> we'll, Ron, we'll, we'll, glorious Ron. All right. I thought, Ron you, just, I thought you just said Ron, gonorrhea, Ron. <laughs> How 
Wow, sexy. I named the episode. Uh, wow, it's record time. Go me. <laughs> so meaty. Okay, talk to you in half an hour, Meg. Noah, say bye. Bye, Noah. Bye. Good job. Bye. Okay, bye, guys. Bye. bye. <laughs> poor misguided woman. She has no idea what she's in for. Actually, she does. I have no idea what I'm in for. That's true. Okay, Chi, how are you? Um, I'm fine. I'm just really tired. I had a fun day yesterday. She's having a sick week. She's pa- Jen's passed the baton to, to Lady Chi, and <laughs> Chi sends me... Actually, no, it's not like... Actually, where is myself? No, I have to share this with you people. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> I'll be right back. Talk amongst yourselves. This is all staying in. I'll be right back. I'll just keep talking. Okay. Kira, do the weather. I'll be right back. <laughs> Kira, do the weather. All right, the weather. Let's see. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Here it is fairly warm. How about there? Where it's are cold you? up here. Where are you? Well, I am in Utah. In Utah. I was like, today's uh-huh. the first day that I wore a light jacket and needed it. I really? want to move to Texas. <laughs> I, we were like jumping up and down. It's like 60 and we were like, cold front, cold front. Like squeeing <laughs> and jumping. It was so exciting. All right, it's, I'm back, it's everyone. It's 70 degrees in my apartment. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Everyone, I just want you to know, like, you, you listen to us every week for several hours, and your weekend's there. You get us for three hours, and then you exhale, and then you go to the bathroom, and then you eat, and then you get on with your lives. This show for us lasts all week. When we're done with this one, we're starting the next one. So I'm going to read you several text messages I received to give you an idea of my sample week with Lady Chi. All right. This text message was received Monday morning at 8.39 a.m. I don't know where you were, but I was trying to sleep. <laughs> hey, buddy, happy Monday. I want to bake a pie. Do you think Danielle would have any ideas? How was your weekend? Yeah, I haven't slept yet. <laughs> At what time in the morning? That would be 8.39 in the morning. My yeah. time. That oh, would my be... gosh. Now, the following yeah. was received <laughs> Tuesday morning at 7.51 a.m., which, she I believe, would be 10 minutes of 7 your time? Yeah. Yeah. Happy morning, sunshine. Happy <laughs> smut giving. Insomnia stinks. I hope you have a good day. <laughs> Do you realize every time you send me one of these, there's an annoying series of tones that accompanies it, right? <laughs> I have to say, I am so excited about the release of the Smut Giving episode. Well, here's the thing. If this Seriously. episode, I don't know when we're actually releasing this episode. You may have already heard the Smut Giving episode if you're over the age of 18. Or Smut you may Giving not. It should be out on Thanksgiving, right, Ryan? We don't know the order we're going to do it in yet. Because we're either going to put this episode up first or the Smut Giving one. It depends when the editing gets done. But if you're the over the age of 18, you know what we're talking about. And if you're not... Meg is going to come after you if you try and find out. And I just want I, I, to close with the following, and then we're going to jump into these chapters, because I have a lot to say tonight. I received the following text message from Lady Chi yesterday evening as I was sitting down to dinner. So, I nearly fainted while vacuuming. How drama queen is that? <laughs> that is my life, everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So okay, Chi? No, well, yeah, I'm fine. Um, I here, I guess I'll tell the story because uh, it sounds very dramatic, and it really was not. Um, I was, um, I, I guess my doctor is calling them mania. I just call it being chi. I have these periods where like I'm happy, and um, I, I during these times I like to clean, 
And um, yesterday I had orientation and I had only eaten one meal and I had only slept about three and a half hours because I haven't been able to sleep lately. So I was um, I was home and uh, got back from orientation and we had to clean because the exterminator guy was coming. And so my roommate was doing the kitchen and I was drying dishes and taking care of the living room. And my apartment gets like a mess because we're all three college students. We're never here and we dump stuff everywhere. So um, I was starting to feel kind of a little nauseous. Well, more nauseous because nausea is kind of a fact of life anymore for me. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And <laughs> I uh, kept going and I got out the vacuum cleaner and I started to realize like vacuuming was a little more effort than I should normally be, you know, breaking out into a sweat and like having trouble breathing while you're vacuuming. (laughs) And uh, so I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And (laughs) um, I got over by the door and my, the edges of my vision kind of started like go gray (laughs) the way that you know it your tv it kind of does when your cable goes wonky and uh (laughs) then i started to get tunnel vision and i realized and i realized that the only thing i could see was the vacuum cleaner (laughs) and i was like i think i'll sit down now stop laughing she fainted thinking of right now is I made the right decision in making her a full-time host. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I sat down and I put my head between my knees and my roommate is just like bebopping away, like cleaning the kitchen. And I was like, bebopping? Yeah, bebopping. I was like, because she was listening to her iPod. Stop, 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 stop. Sorry. She was listening to her iPod and I, I couldn't get her attention and I just get off the floor. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was like really comfortable, and there was a solid wall there, and uh, she's like, "Brittany, Brittany," and she turned around. and She's like, "What?" I was like, "Can you get me a sprite? I'm just gonna sit here for a couple of minutes." And she goes, "Okay, are you feeling all right?" And I was like, "I think I passed out." And she goes, "Okay, great." <laughs> So I called my doctor and I was all freaking out. And then she freaked out. She's a freaker outer. I shouldn't have called her. And then I called my mom. And uh, your doctor freaked out because she's a freak she's like, outer? Yeah. Well, she's one of those she's women She's in the that's wrong like, profession. I'm like, wow. <laughs> you can tell that my doctor is like a grandmother. She's one of those people that like you'll call her and you're like, I have a concern. Will my medicine make me faint? And she'll respond with, you really need to come in and see me because I'm very concerned about you. And I'm like, that's great because I'm concerned about me too. But answer the question. <laughs> oh, my I was like, I went and saw my butt doctor today. And I'm like, is there a concern? <laughs> like, talk about being. <laughs> they have concerns about your ass? What? <laughs> no. It's good that we can laugh about this. Continue. I know, it's very important. Please continue, Chief. Yeah, hold on. Your... Wait, I want to know why Jen's butt. I... Hold on, I just want to know why Jen's butt doctor is concerned. Because she's the freak out kind of doctor. And I was like, well, I'm sure I was thinking it'd be awful if my butt doctor, who handles, goes in people's butts every day and look, looks at poop and all kinds of crap like that, has no pun intended. <laughs> um, I, if he freaks out. What the hell are we talking about? 
chapters to get to in like an hour. We're talking about Jen's butt. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Chi, please continue. I, I like that you have a concerned doctor. I like oh, that I have kind. A concerned doctor. No, I, I hate that kind of doctor because it makes me feel like smothered. And she's really? one of those ones that like you'll call her and you'll leave a message with her. I have a concern about my medication. Can you give me a call back? And if she doesn't get you a hold, a hold of you the first time, she'll call again and again and again so and again. Okay, yeah, I guess. And she's always, but it always seems like she's like dreadfully concerned that I've dropped dead because she's put me on, on the wrong medication <laughs> or something. And this is not good because I don't know if you people can tell, but I'm kind of excitable. And uh, oh, no, no, she, I always no, no. get like excitable in what way? Like, I don't know. She just always makes me feel like I'm on the urge of losing my mind. Like my sanity is a very fragile thing. And I only get this feeling around this woman. Like normally I feel like That's I'm That's how seeking- I feel around all you people every day. I should be seeking <laughs> medical attention. I guess. Anyway, so um, I went in and I saw her today and she goes, well, she goes, I just want to talk to you because this is the way that she <laughs> talks as if as if I was dying to me all the time. I'm just wanting to talk to you because um, I'm concerned that you're on the wrong medication. And, um, you know, you just seem like one of those people that hides your feelings very well. Does she listen to the podcast? In head we- for talking so damn slow. <laughs> Get to the freaking point. Am I dying or not? Does she know that we did a half hour in your toilet two weeks ago? Come on. <laughs> She she backs this up with and <sighs> then there's oh, the a long pause. <laughs> this sigh is never good. <laughs> and um, I just really want to know if you're telling me the truth. <laughs> it's like me. By the time she asks you the question, you forget what the hell the question was. <laughs> well, I, telling the truth going, about what? About you fainting? I'm going. I'm going. What are we talking about? A, B, C, or D. Because I came in with like five concerns today. And I'm pretty sure all five of them are pretty damn real. And um, she's going, she goes, well, I'm pretty sure that last, she finally told me that last week my nausea was probably food poisoning. But she's concerned that it lasted three days. Because food poisoning usually only, it runs its course, course in 12 to 48 hours. And I'm going, yes, I know that. I worked in food safety. I'm very well acquainted with food poisoning. <laughs> and um, so I thought that maybe it, perhaps it wasn't. And she goes, well, you know, maybe it was a stomach virus. But, you know, now I'm concerned that we don't have you on the right medication. And, you know, maybe maybe we've misdiagnosed you. And so I'm going to send you to see an actual doctor. And this is the point at which I realized my doctor is not an actual doctor. Like, she doesn't oh, have, you have a nurse practitioner. She has it. I was seeing a nurse practitioner, at which point I wanted to like slam well, my no, head. No, nurse practitioners are actually very knowledgeable. I, know. I mean, that's I mean, not- they're knowledgeable and they're great people. And she's a lovely woman. It's just that yeah. I had been feeling smothered <laughs> by her. Well, I don't know if you can tell. I feel smothered and by her, and I'm in Massachusetts. I mean, I'm on. just like I like I'm concerned just- doctor. I like it so much better than mine. Who you have to make an appointment, and then like an hour later, they're like. I guess we'll see you now. I'm okay, blown away that yet? half of our hosts have been potentially misdiagnosed in the last week. I know. I, know. Well, so I have now- to say, I don't trust nurse practitioners. Uh, I know, because most of my things are, nope, not even the doc, the general doctor can figure out. I always have to go to 
the specialist of this and that. Yeah, for they, them. Well, yeah. well, Jen is an anomaly. I mean, we yeah, should, I am. Yeah. My presence is just like <laughs> so lightning. Now, here I, I would, am. So now I would like to point out last time I was in the hospital, they never could figure out what's wrong with me. But anyway, right. now I am scheduled to see a quote unquote real doctor. And um, you should get to be able to take a test soon. They they yeah. make <laughs> when they test for bipolar and other kinds of chemical, you, you have to take like a written exam. Seriously. Yeah, I, oh, I thought you meant she could become a real doctor. I got well, so confused. She's going she's going <laughs> I'll be a real boy eventually. No. She goes um she goes, Well, you know, have you ever had periods of mania? And I'm like, Well, I'm a woman. <laughs> That's mania. Duh. Is mania. Yeah, well like All right, well like here, apparently mania episode, No, episode twenty nine is a good example of mania. What did I do in episode twenty nine? I don't remember. I think that was the, I think that I believe episode twenty nine was the scathed incident. Um, uh, yeah. Well, like, well, actually, but like, apparently, the fact that the that I will like be happy and be really happy for five hours, and then like crash and crash hard and become episode twenty nine chi for like twelve hours is not a really great thing. And the fact that like I haven't been sleeping, and she's very, she's just concerned. And at this point, I'm too tired to be concerned. I just want the world to stop spinning. So, um, <laughs> more updates on that later. Um, we'll figure out what's wrong with me. Hopefully tomorrow. I have my doubts though. And, um, I will, I will hopefully return be to positive. real life. Be positive. Be positive. I will be positive. Be but if positive. they tell you that you're dying from depression, get a second opinion. <laughs> I will. I will. Cause gosh darn it. This, this shouldn't be so funny, but like on some I, level. It, it has to be. It has to be funny. It has to be point. funny. Jen, how yeah. are you feeling this week? Oh, I'm fine. I went and saw my butt doctor today, which is, and, um, I went, you know, I had my a procedure last week and I was under and apparently this is the one, I don't know if I told y'all, but I woke up and I was professing my love to him yes, you just and yes. telling him that I wanted to be together. And but the only thing that would stop our love was the fact that I'm married, which I'm really happy that I can stay, um, Loyal to your husband. Loyal to my husband, <laughs> even under medication. It's, it's really, that's a good leap of faith. I feel so much better now inside. Um, and <laughs> so anyway, it was really embarrassing. And he recognized me right off, which is just <laughs> great. And um, so anyway. You should, it was give a him, like, of, you should give him like the first season of the podcast on CD. Just be like, well, no, it was one of those, like, he turned around and he saw me going into the room and he goes, oh, hi. And like he, came, he made a point to come over and shake my hand and like put his arm on my arm and it's so nice to see you again. Just go in there and wait and I'll be in there in a minute. And it like that didn't happen before. And so, so he was just really nice because obviously my obsession with his love is. I'm sure he that all the time though. He's so cute. He looks like that guy from Heroes, Suresh. Oh my gosh, he was just so cute. And I oh, had a long talk today and. And it was it was a good outcome, and so um, so things are good. looking. They're still on the, the upside of the fifty, so yay! Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I got to see my really hot doctor today. My butt. Well, doctor. that's always exciting. I get. I know it's Hopefully it's lovely doctor. because they draw pictures for you. I don't mm-hmm. know if y'all go to other doctors, but when you go to specialists, it's really fun because you get like Pictionary doctors. Which is really fun because every time you go into the different doctor, they draw what's wrong with, okay, here is, 
your ovaries and here is your this and that. And this is where the area that's wrong. And this is the area that had pus that's leaking. And this is the area that, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, I don't know. I feel so stupid because I'm sitting there and I don't know whether to look at the information sheet that they gave me or look at the drawing that he's drawing or look at his face because he has the miraculous talent of drawing while looking at my face, like staring into my eyes. And when I look at his face, I get lost in his eyes. And I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, and then I like feel like hitting myself in the head because I'm like, okay, oh my God, because he is cute, but he knows that I'm cute. Now I'm turning red and should I just look at the Pictionary drawing. And then you go home and your husband's like, what's wrong with you? Are you going to live? And you're like, oh, I know. Right. I know. Here's the drawing. This is what's wrong. <laughs> and that's when James just like plays it to me and I Here's, get it. But. <laughs> Jen, you're going to live? Here's a picture of my left ovary. Like, but you know, like the, the books and novels where the, the, the handsome hero sweeps down and he, you know, he kisses the girl and then leaves her and she's just sitting there and she's just in awe and like, like, oh, and somebody else comes and like steers her and moves her down and like she comes back to reality and she just is blushing and, and, but she has no idea of what just happened. Like, it's sort of like when I got married, you go up there and you think, I'm going to remember all this. And you get up there and I was like, oh my God, say my lines. Oh, we're married. Okay. And then like afterwards I breathed. But it was very much like that going to see this butt doctor. So I, can't believe, butt doctor I just can't believe we've been talking about butt doctors for thirty minutes. What is his real? I don't know what his real title. I can't. No, remember we're the gonna word. Ca- we're gonna call him the butt doctor. We're gonna okay, because that's really the only. Kira, Mike, how are you? Um, got the flu, uh, but otherwise I'm good. You have the oh, flu, sweetie. No. <laughs> yeah, it's spreading. Did you have a to the, it's spreading. <laughs> I did to not. The that's probably why I have it. <laughs> Oh, oh no! You right? <laughs> causes long-term illness. Just Kira, hold, on. hold on, hold on, Kira. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. You are the most able-bodied person on this podcast right now. I just thought you'd like to know. Yay, Kira! <laughs> trying not to laugh out loud too loud. All right. No, laugh out loud. It's hilarious. <laughs> we're talking about. Two weeks ago, we thought Jem was going to die, and now we're laughing about her butt doctor problems. This is a good. This is a good thing. There's no problems. It's just love. There you go. All right, let's jump into the chapters for tonight because we have a billion of them, and I have to work tomorrow. Um, I, Don't you? Now let me let me even just start here. And for everyone, we didn't announce this earlier, and I'll put like an announcement at the beginning of this episode. Maybe uh, we're going to follow this episode tonight with um, an interview with Aspen, and I cannot pronounce her beta's name. And Mercury. What is it? Mercury. Mercury. It's Mercury, yeah. Mercury? Okay. It's- I keep wanting to call her Mercedes, and I can't stop. I do that, too, all the time. I've been saying Mercedes all day, and so it's Mer- <laughs> Okay, pre- Okay, spell it out like phonetic. Like, what's it? It's Mercate Mer- M-E-R-C. Yeah, Merc. R-E-D-I. Mercury. 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 Mer- 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 Mercury. 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 I don't know. She'll have to get her Mercury. to pronounce it, but I think it's... Mercury. Mercury. All right. Mercury. Because that's the French word for Wednesday, Wednesday, and that's how you say it. We're Mercury. having an interview with Aspen in Wednesday. Is it really? Is that really? Yeah. I, I thought you pronounced it different in French. Though I failed no. French, so what do I know? I can't even pronounce it in English. All right. Well, I mean, that's the Ang- <laughs> uh, That's how I would say it with my English accent, and no, I will not bust out my French accent yeah, it's for you. Lundi, Marty, Mercredi. Yeah. Lundi, Marty, Mercredi. Judy. Yeah. yeah. So she'll be on the podcast later is where I was going with that. Yeah. Um, to be uh, Mercury. I want to be Lundy. 
Nothing oh, would give me more pleasure. I like the name, but I didn't realize it was. I'm going to ask her if it has any relation to the French Wednesday. <laughs> I love how we have like an hour with these two authors after we do like this 11 part series, and our first question is, "What is the source of your name?" Is it Wednesday? <laughs> Are you like? I keep thinking of like the Adams family. Is it the Adams family? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. That has Wednesday, and I always thought it was pretty, and I never associated it with the day of the week, but it is. <laughs> you never associated Wednesday with the day of the week? No, or because Mercury, I just Mercury, thought it was pretty. Right. It was just, I, I thought know. you meant Wednesday itself and not Mercury. Okay, we're, 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 okay. we got to move <laughs> on. All right. Um, all right. The chapters. The chapters. Now, I, now, I have to, now, I have to tell you, this was my emotional state reading, and I this week I've actually read everything. I held up the podcast tonight to finish reading them, and I felt bad not realizing we were going to do butt sex for an hour, so I could have just... Or not oh, butt sex. Stop it. Butt doctors. We did butt <laughs> sex back in seven. All right. So, I read, so I, I've read every line of the chapters. Now, starting the chapters tonight... Um, I, 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 I pretty much, I enjoyed everything all the way through. Now, the, 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 the part about Harry, and I'm told I'm not allowed to say cutting, but I'm going to say cutting anyway. Those chapters Just were... S-I. What, what am I saying? S-I. Why am I saying? Self-injury? Self-infliction. I think it's self-infliction. Self-infliction? Okay, S-I. I don't know. It could be, tell- it could be self-injury. Now, is that- I thought it was self-injury. I just know it's SI. No, I know nothing about this, but is that the more socially accepted term? SI is, yeah, the new socially acceptable term for, yeah, needling Although, what, like, the street term would be, like, Harry is a cutter, Harry is a cutter is, like, the the street street slang. But, like, the, I think it's SI. What do we we wish to use? Let's say SI. Let's use SI. We're going to use SI. He's not really really a cutter. He's more of a poker. He's a stabber. He's a poker. All right. So th- those I actually listened <laughs> to, I actually bad. listened to them at work today. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I actually, um, this morning I had um, a long day at work and I, I didn't have a lot of time to read today. So I was hoping to listen to as much of it as I could in my iPod. And I had actually gone on to um, the website trying to f- see if those chapters had been uh, turned into audiobooks yet. And obviously they haven't. And I ran into some of the artwork for these chapters. And I saw artwork that implied to me that Harry would go down that route. I'm like, huh. And when, when I got to that point, I wasn't, originally, I didn't like it, but it was so well written, it may have been my mind. So, so we'll get into that, but long story short, as the, as we finished the fic tonight, I really enjoyed the ending of it. And you've seen me go up and down and up and down and up and down over the last, you know, 10, 11 episodes, and I really think it ended... At least for me, as someone who's this is my first time reading something which isn't traditional canon, it, it ended on a very positive note for me. And a lot of the problems I think I had earlier on in in the series um, were addressed by the ending. A lot of them were structural, and it's just one of those things you're either going to like it or you're not. But I definitely enjoyed the story. I, I didn't. Sometimes you finish a fic and you're like, oh, thank God it's over. I really actually enjoyed the ending. Even the last few lines I thought were great. So I had a really good experience reading uh, these final chapters. And I'm, I have a lot of stuff I want to talk about tonight. But um, you guys, will you? Are you, well, you going to read the sequel, Ryan? Do you think? I, yeah, I'm actually, I will read the sequel. I may wait until it's finished because I'm not yeah. really a, a writing in progress kind of person. I but. just announced on her Yahoo group that there are two chapters. She thinks two chapters remaining. Okay. And then is she starting Brothers in Arms? Do we know? I don't know. I don't know. I think, Kira, I think she took a break after a year to then before she started summer. She may take a short break. I don't know. 
Do you know, I Kira? Have, I haven't heard anything, so I honestly don't know. Sorry. I don't know no either. I know I always take a I always take a break between I know that it's novels. all planned out for the most part. I just don't know how soon she's going to be writing it. Right. Yeah. Um. Does anyone want to start off tonight somewhere? Um. So we're going to start right at uh, chapter five or uh, eighty-five in our discussion. Oh God! I'm sorry. Chapter five will never. Yeah, we'll never make it. <laughs> um. We have so much to talk about. Oh, Nate, God. go. No. Um. Seriously. <laughs> Um, I think the big issue primarily in this, um, the first part of this chapter is, uh, Harry's continuing, um, deterioration of his uh, relationship with Professor Aaron Aaron. And, who um, yeah, who, well, who doesn't hate him? He's a right prick. But, um, this, the interesting thing that I thought, um, that I was, it really put me in a good mood, um, to start my, my reading last night as I read all 11 chapters for, episode um was harry and um mcgonagall's interactions and particularly the way that mcgonagall handles aaron um in his examination uh of of uh of harry there where harry has to go to mcgonagall and explain to her what's going on and uh and tell her tell her yeah explain to her why he hasn't gone to snape and I think it's interesting that McGonagall has has made the journey now where she is very much well. Why aren't you getting help from your father? And it's interesting as we come to the end of the uh, fic, all the people that are very much on Harry and Snape's side now: um, McGonagall, Ron, Hermione. Well, not Ron, not so much Hermione. Um, you know, yeah. people are very much rooting for this relationship. Which is an interesting, interesting. Well, that's the thing uh, too. I mean, a lot of the stuff when you read these chapters, you'd have that if any of the events of this story happened earlier in the year, the outcome would have been very different. Like if Lucius had taken Harry and Draco earlier in the story, when Harry thought that Draco was a, was you know a backstabbing liar, obviously you know things wouldn't have worked out the way they did. I think the characters needed you know the trio. I mean, the trio mm-hmm. I was predicting would you know be written out of the storyline as of like you know like chapter 30 to chapter 40 and it it didn't happen and the, and the trio was very much a part of the story so i think that when you look at the whole plot i think that time and that space where everyone just didn't like it and then kind of accepted it and then kind of considered i think that was very well played the cool thing i thought about having mcgonagall here is mcgonagall you know really is one of those characters that was written out of this of this fic pretty much it, you know he she was you know, the Gryffindor head of house, she was a support mechanism for Harry. So for Snape to become so prominent in the story, she really had to be put on the back burner. So I think well, it's... Gryffindor was. Hogwarts was. Yeah, everything. She, yeah, yeah. The school um, surrounding, and I, I like... Well, this story focuses on the home life, getting yeah. a mm-hmm. separate... So I don't think she was cut out. I just think the story was in a different... Well, I say cut out in the way that the trio was cut out for most of it. The, the, The traditional, you know, the Weasleys, the traditional people who stick up for Harry, who, you know, make up Harry's support mechanism right. were replaced in this story. And then when the new mechanism was in place, you know, the, the family and the Draco and Snape, they were kind of brought back into the fold. So it was great to see, you know, Harry 
stick up to McGonagall and Harry, you know, say, I need you to do this for me. Please don't dismiss me. You know, I need you to just come to class. And then for McGonagall, who's probably said, you know, many things behind closed doors to Dumbledore, you know, complaining, you know, openly. Do you really think? I think that's a good thing to bring up. Do I think that she did that during? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that as soon as Snape said he wanted to adopt Harry, I think McGonagall Obviously, you know, for matters of house pride and even, you know, as someone who stuck up for Harry, she did the traditional thing and said, Snape hates Harry. We all know Snape hates Harry. You know, Severus is very, he's, you know, he's an order member, but he's very unfair to Harry. We don't think this is a good thing for him. He needs to be but around at the his same friends. Time. But no, but everyone did that. I mean, the, the Weasleys finally, you know, like Molly wrote the great letter to Harry saying, hey, look, you know, I know that, the, you know, I know Severus and I know that this is something that's good for you and he can offer you things that we can't. But Everyone, like, okay, just everyone's perspective is that Snape and Harry hate each other, that Snape is a petty man, that Snape, you know, everything that we think about him in the canon going into, say, book seven, book six. Isn't everything with McGonagall up till book seven, like, McGonagall is supportive of Professor Snape? She mm-hmm. is supportive. Well, she doesn't she's profe- say anything she's, against him. Well, she's professionally supportive, but you you have to believe, though, that, you know, she, she, McGonagall isn't a slouch, and McGonagall gets reality. And while she will tolerate Snape as a fellow professor, and while she will, you know, respect him as an order member, she, you know, doesn't have a warm place in her heart for Snape. You know, as she may not have a warm place in her heart for a lot of people. She's very strict. She's the old, right, you know. Right. So I think that when she see. I think that she gets the way that Snape is to his students. Like, take Philosopher's Stone. You know, Snape, you know, gives Slytherin points, you know, hand over fist, takes them from Gryffindor. He's monumentally unfair to Gryffindor, and he favors his own. And McGonagall takes points from her own because it's the right thing to do because she needs to teach them a lesson. So she's not going to play at his... She's not going to play at his game, though. So McGonagall always, you know... Even through, she got what Snape was doing, but she wasn't going to play along with it because she she knew it was right. So I think my thought is in this one, McGonagall would really see that Snape, you know, has been just an awful guy to Harry all this time, and she would have concerns. She would want, you know, Gryffindor to handle this, you know, Gryffindor to take care of Gryffindors and so forth. But I think, you know, now that we're in chapter eighty-five, I think that she would see reality and see that she was mistaken, and I think she'd be very much in Harry's corner now. I have to say that in the story, with so much that's happened to Harry that's not, that didn't happen to Harry in canon, like, wasn't McGonagall there when Salwain first happened, and he's screaming for Snape, and even Poppy's like, this isn't normal. Wasn't McGonagall in the room? She, I think, was referenced. I can't remember. Was she there? There was a reference that she was only there once. She only came to visit him once. Um, I don't remember if she was there. I do remember at the time that Poppy thought that Harry was calling out Snape's name as though he needed to be protected from Snape because Snape was the one who quote unquote. Right. No, I knew. I knew that. I I don't. I don't remember. I don't think she was actually. I don't think she was actually in the room. Do you guys remember? I don't think she was in the room. I think she was only there once. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I think I'd always thought that like in this story because Snape is such a. He seems like such a better a better person in this story, I think, than he did a little bit in canon, if that makes any sense. A little bit more of a grown-up, a little bit more mature and together. That I think in this story, I think I had it in my mind. I think I argued with myself on these two points, which I totally have had 
the thought with Ryan, like I've been in agreement, but I've also argued that maybe McGonagall in this didn't have any issues with Dumbledore because she knew that Snape really is a good guy. And she knew that I think McGonagall is the one that kind of, if somebody passes, gives it a check mark, she's going to go with it because that's the rules. And it's very like, I, I'm pretty positive that if she thought the caseworkers and all those people gave Snape custody, she would just accept it. And Oh, I don't think she would just accept it. I think McGonagall's like the woman that you see in Starbucks who's reading the New York Times and sees what the state legislature did today and is screaming, those damn idiots reading the paper. I think she's a very cynical person. I think she really, like, she'll be the person that she'll stick up for the one kid in school who everyone else hates because she knows that one particular kid and she knows they're right. And she'll stare down everyone else in the school to defend that one person. But she also is, she, she'll take on Dolores. Umbridge. She won't. Yeah. I, so I, I don't. I don't think. I don't that, think that she accepts the the status quo as unchangeable. But there hasn't been she, a scene. That's the thing. I think if she did have an issue, I find. Yeah. I think Aspen would no. be thorough enough to. Do you remember? No. Do you remember when there is a scene? No, there is a scene when um they say that the um McGonagall like marches into the common room and says, "For reasons passing understanding, Harry will be living in the dungeons and collects his things and so forth." And, and you know she's very and she's like complaining to the students that this is happening because you know her appeals were unanswered. She very much did not like it in the beginning. I th- I, that was her constant you know, disapproval and the disapproval she expresses about having to bring Ron and Hermione down and we'll see maybe later and so forth. I know there's some plot in there too when Snape wanted them to be left away, but it was very clear to me reading those chapters and maybe Aspen can address it um, later in the episode, but it it was very clear to me uh, reading through the chapters that McGonagall in the beginning had strong concerns just like everyone else did. And those concerns. Well, that's very in character. Yeah, right. I, yeah, and but I think by I chapter just, I had remembered that scene, and yeah. I was I knew that I had argued with myself whether or not she did that yeah. because Dumbledore at the time in certain scenes seemed not totally against the idea of the adoption, but not for it, and that if somebody else had expressed concern to an issue that he was already feeling concerned on, I I don't know what would have been more. Maybe she thought it, but maybe she did hold her tongue for a while. I don't she's, know. She's an old softie. I'm sure she'd let Dumbledore know that she had concerns talking to let Harry and his state go to dungeons with Draco Malfoy, who's, you know, never, you know, shown him, you know, an ounce of respect. Well, he's so. a cruel boy, or he was. Yeah, I mean, I... I well, uh, Misunderstood, not cruel. Oh, God. He was cruel, just like Snape was cruel. Yes, absolutely. I don't think Draco was ever cruel. I think he felt bullied. I oh, think he was a bully. Don't you think? Oh, was Dra- a bully? oh Draco up until ch- in, in certain- the canon up till here, Draco was certainly- all the mud blood crap. Oh, the- who's the one that always gets beaten up? Though that's what I always- you know. Who's well, the one at the end of the day who always karma? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> a pretty bad bully. If he's a bully, that's all I can say. What's that, Karen? Kier- I just said he's asking for it every time. Yeah, I I'm, know. I'm, it's so on. true. Thousands of angry, you know, people taking to the streets with bats can't be wrong. But anyway, let's <laughs> let's move on. We've talked. I'm sorry, we went on McGonagall. <laughs> the issue of the Minerva McGonagall, a year like none other. A retrospective <laughs> on one Irish school marm's role in the Scottish, isn't she? <laughs> yes, she's got. Damn it, I honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like the Irish wouldn't be so forgiving. <laughs> I'll bring something up. <laughs> what do you got? Is it just me, or does Lucius seem 
much more of a bad guy than the Dark Lord does even. Like, he's a, he's a Lucius pretty... Lucius is uh, a freaking child molester in this thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's, he's like, yeah, you know, molesting Harry. And, yeah. Well, it's it's gone to the point where I think at this point, he is trying to hurt Harry any way he can. And I think that that is, like, the last possible means of hurting someone is putting them in that kind of vulnerable position. And that's what he was doing. It was, it was a strategic move. I think not necessarily a perverse. Well, think about it. I don't know. I think it was kind of both. It probably was. (laughs) I was trying not to. Just don't forget in this story, he's the only villain. I mean, Voldemort was in the story for a chapter. And I believe he sat in a chair and patted Lucius on the head and got thrown in his ass and had to go to the butt doctor, and that was all. Now he needs a bone marrow transplant. And well, that's I think all. in this story, it, Voldemort was the character that he was in books one through five, or <laughs> one through three. You know, a presence, but not necessarily a. He, well, no, he a, had no presence. This is the Voldemort of book six. I mean, he did. He was in yeah. one chapter. He Harry's scar isn't blazing. He pops out of Harry's forehead once. And he is never heard from again. And the fiery, scary thing. Yeah, Lucius Malfoy is the only villain in this story, and he's a great one. He is not Bullhorn Voldemort, who, you know, I thought was a freaking idiot. I mean, Voldemort in canon could have been the Prime Minister of Venezuela. I mean, it's like, hello, but... I have to say, I love the interaction between... I love reading the bad guy, and I love feeling the hatred for the characters. Because I think when when a bad guy is written well enough everyone knows that's a bad guy, you know? And I think yeah. I have to say that I, as much as I like JKR's writing, Voldemort has to be one of the lamest villains ever. I have to and do it. You have one hour. I feel like this Lucius is sort of like the Darth Vader before the return of the Jedi. Before I... we knew he, he had a heart. Hey, let me make a Star Trek reference. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Who's really bad. Oh, he's like the head well, the Klingons even turned good in six. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of a really bad guy. He's like, Spock. He's like, what? Spock is great. He's Have you here. ever seen an hour of Star Trek? <laughs> uh, I thought Spock was like super like manipulator guy. Okay, can what? I just tell you? I have to tell you this. For those of you who have watched Babylon 5, you will laugh at this. For 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 99.9% of you, you're going to have no idea what I'm saying. In the first season of Babylon 5, the lead character is Commander Sinclair. And in from season from from you know the, the beginning of the second season also, they you know Commander Sinclair you know leaves the show for a while and they bring on a Captain Sheridan. And um, played by Bruce Boxleitner. And Mike is watching the show, and he's trying to guess what's to come. And he has, every time he references this Captain Sheridan that he accidentally saw in IMDb, he refers to that bastard Sheridan. Like, he, Sheridan could be, like, you know, like a guardian angel. He could be a priest. You have no idea. That bastard Sheridan. He's already decided he'll be, like, the the, the arch-villain, so... And he got, and he's guessing that Spock is. I don't, why are we doing? Okay, uh, we're doing butt doctors. We're doing Spock. Okay, we, let's. What? Okay, wait, wait. We have to do cheese story thing. We were on eighty five. What else happens on chapter eighty five? Snape has to slice off his dark mark and the put it, put it in the writhing jar of dark marks. Yes, and yes. And Draco the, uh, gets sent up. Yes, um, Draco gets sent up to Gryffindor Tower to fetch Harry. And mm-hmm. is nearly assassinated by by Gryffindor House, and I just found that amusing. I'm not really sure why. 
And <laughs> I, I thought that I, I, I loved the, the, just the way it was written is that you have to literally chop the dark mark off and it's put into like this acidic vat filled with like screaming dark marks. I mean, that's just such a great. It is, isn't it? It's so imaginative. And I love even the reference later on when they're talking about, like, you know, sending out, you know, fake Death Eaters, you know, to infiltrate Voldemort's ranks. Snape's like, I have a few more of those dark marks if you ever need them. Like, you should sell them on eBay or something. But I just, like, I just thought the reference was great. And I really like the way she writes Snape because he's always so in control. So when he's not in control anymore and you can tell he's very weakened as to the fact that, like, part of his arm is just burned off, he still seems like the most powerful guy in the room. It's just, it's, it's, I just really enjoyed the way she had written the character of Snape there. I'll call him Severus, too, just to make my whole... Aw, Sebby Sev. Uncle Seb Seb. I thought Harry's reaction was pretty realistic, too. The, uh, I have to kill Voldemort now because look what he's doing to you, Snape. Was that this chapter? I'm, he, he always wants to kill Voldemort. If it's a, if it's saving people thing, it could have happened anywhere. Um... Yeah, I think he has that thought in this chapter, though. Does he? Well, Harry has yeah. so many brilliant ideas oh. in these chapters, it's hard to keep track of what brilliant idea led <laughs> well, to. Well, he feels this idea. is just another way that Harry puts it on himself that it's somehow his fault. I'm waiting is- for Harry to be responsible for global warming. Well, see, but this is this is all things that lead up to his his self-infliction. Like, this is... <laughs> I'm serious. Call. Like, how... I know. I don't know. I don't... Um. How do people keep dealing with stuff and more stuff and more stuff and more stuff? And I mean, you either find a way to re- to release some of that dark, or you go insane. And it's really well. No, what the thing? I mean, just to jump. We're going to jump a little bit out of order a little bit here, but the, the whole the self infliction was the, the the toughest part to read in these chapters. Now, in the beginning, when that, when I started to get to that, I rolled my eyes as a reader. And I think the reason I did that first off was, you know, like, oh my god, there's like three chapters left, and now he's cutting himself. It's like, you know, how much can this one character take? I mean, it, it just seemed like it was just, you know, piling on. But I, I thought about that, and it, it's natural, because we've said this many times before. Harry Potter, should he be a real person, would be institutionalized by this point for having to go through what he goes through, given his background, given his, you know, the way he was raised, given all the experiences he's had up until this point. This kid would be, you know, completely unable to, you know, fit into ordinary society. He would be on every type of medication you can imagine, and he would be in therapy every day. Like, like the fact that he's as well as he is, is makes him less of a real person. So the fact that Aspen chose to address that, I think, is a very realistic step. And I think, and I was talking to Chi about this earlier today, the way in which she wrote it, the way in which she put that into the plotline, I think was incredibly well done and very true to life. And the issue I had probably most as a reader is that when I tune into this series, I... It's it's a fantasy series, so there's magic, and there's, you know, this hidden world, and there's these kids doing extraordinary things. So to some extent, I look for a small bit of that to be the fantasy-type story, and this was straight, 
you know, human development. And this was well, straight it's angst. It's it, angst that people yeah. can relate to. Yeah, it'd be like reading a Harry Potter story, like you were saying last week, Jen, about Harry, you know, having cancer. And it's it's a story that we can all relate to in our own lives. But is it something that you want to read in a fan fiction? And many people do, many people don't. I think it's the first time I did. This is the first time I read a, a fic this angsty, so for me it was new. But you know what? The best stories I like are the ones that are true, the, where, where the magic doesn't matter. Like after the end, where it's people with real problems that have magical window dressing, but they're real problems. So you know what? I think maybe I was I was not expecting it because it was so late into the story, and that's usually when I'm used to the the cleanup and the and, and the story winding down, and that's when you know, the the biggest plot arc yet got thrown in there. But you know what? I do appreciate it, and I think it was very well written. I think it's important to acknowledge that he's not. It's not. I I never felt like, and I'm going to use this word as a stereotype: the emo type kid. Um, where there's so many stories you read where it's like the the main character, you follow him around and like life gets so hard and everything's just so bad. They just have to start cutting themselves, that kind of thing. I like the way that she wrote it in that he wasn't doing it to inflict pain necessarily. He was doing it because he felt guilty for not feeling emotional pain. He was numb. For, yeah, he needed to feel, well, I think a part of it is, he was numb, but a part of it, I think he felt that he needed to be punished in some form so that he would feel bad to, to show himself that he still could feel guilty and horrible for killing um, someone. Have you, have you, either of you ever known a cutter? Yes. Ever? Yes. Yeah. Okay. One of my math tutors. Okay. Was. I about, I about lost a best friend to this. So, um, the, can, I mean, I thought that it was, the pro- the way that she described the mental process of it, I thought was very, you know, very, very accurate. The itching in the arms, the, uh, the way they hide it, you know, um. Well, it's totally from Harry's perspective, too. We're yeah. seeing Harry. So we're not seeing, you know, Snape and Draco at the table saying, hmm, Harry's being distantly. You see Harry and why he wants to be by himself, and you see how everyone responds to that to Harry, but you see it from the perspective of the person who's inflicting, you know, harm on themselves. And for someone like me who has never done that, it's like I like I didn't like until I talked you to You can people, imagine it. Yeah, like I've you I've can. known people, but until I talk to people who have done it, I'm like, is this accurate? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it feels like, but I can see why some it's so well written that you can see why you can put yourself in that person's place almost and see why they mm-hmm. make the decisions they make. One thing that I thought really jumped out at me was that Harry in the beginning, you know, this is his quest to conquer his fear and this is you know this isn't you know something that's what he tells himself yeah he tells himself that but then at the same time he's hiding from everybody and he right is my bold quest but i don't think he was ever suicidal i don't think it ever got to that point in the second that it even got remotely well the second it got even remotely scary and dangerous he immediately like it was good that we saw the thought process of him realizing that wow this is bad. Something's not right here. I need help. And I think my mm-hmm. fear going into it was, and we talked about this a little bit last week, part of the way Aspen writes is that she wants it to be a realistic thing. And most, you know, you never solve your problems in 30 minutes and, you know, real issues, you know, take years to resolve. It's kind of like on, um, 
someone complained once, Jen, you watch Battlestar Galactica, there's a father and son, um, you know, relationship on that show. And it starts mm-hmm. off very angsty and very strained and they grow very close and then they get very, you know, distant again and then they get very close again and then they break yeah. it. And it like happens over and over. And someone wrote, well, this is really inconsistent writing. And the response in the writer was, you ever have a fight with your father? Like, like if you have a problem Seriously, with the person, yeah. you fix it and you put it all behind you. Then the next week you're doing the same damn thing again. It's not inconsistent. It's human. So, you know, I was, and that's the way Aspen writes. And my fear actually was, it was difficult for me to hear it because it was not that it was so graphic, but it was so realistic. You don't want to picture Harry like that. Like, it's almost like, you know, people, you know, give this kid cancer and they, and they, and they make him, you know, cut himself and they, you know, have him be tortured by death eaters. And they put this one character through so much stuff in all these fan fictions that to me, I like, sometimes I think, you know, I just like, it's like you so much like granted it's all different stories and they all, you know, cancel each other out but it's like i don't like hearing harry do that like it just seems like that's too much for the character sometimes even though it's completely realistic in this context and i was what what i feared was it would be a lot of harry does it hides from people people express annoyance with him then he does it again and i was just afraid it was going to go on for three or four chapters just you know him doing the same thing over and over again it didn't, yeah, but that was didn't. my reading. I'm like, like I like literally, if I was reading it, I would have jumped ahead and I would have skimmed and I would have jumped down chapters because I just didn't want to read. But I was listening to it, so I couldn't do that, so I had to hear everything. I have to say, the part that really stands out in my mind about these chapters, and and there's quite a few, but the the major one is the one where Harry goes and he knocks on Snape's door and he is just waiting to get some kind of reaction from Snape. He's waiting to get yelled at or he's waiting to get um, thrown out or or something, and Snape. I think I, I try to imagine the circumstance of me going home, going to my parents about some, with something like this. And I can honestly say that my parents wouldn't act nearly as mature, or rational as Snape does. And I, I like reading about the good parenting skills that he sometimes rarely shows. I mean, that he, it's so rare that you get to see a moment like that, that, and I like the line that Snape says, like, Harry's like, aren't you going to yell at me? And Snape says something like you, have got enough going, you know, you don't need this too, me to yell. Well, you know this but too, he does, uh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Well, this too is like, if you think about the epilogue and you think about Snape and his impression of everything, Snape knew that going into this, he knew that, you know, difficulty and, and, you know, and, and you know, just rotten luck and people's, you know, some people having a harder time than others, that all works itself out in the end. And it may be seen as a large weakness may turn into your greatest strength. I'm thinking about this because it's like you said, you can't picture, you know, most kids who have this problem knocking on their parents' door saying, I need help. And I think the reason is, is that these parents, you know, conceive and they have a child and they raise this child from, you know, a little baby. And, and over the years they get, you know, desensitized to everything and, and the kid in, in, in like relationships change and you, you know how to relate to your little two year old. You don't know how to relate to your big six year old. You don't know how to relate to the kid when he goes to high school and now everything's changing. And it's, it's like Ron Weasley. Ron has always had his parents. He's never, he doesn't appreciate them because he's never known anything else. He's always had Molly. He's always had Arthur. He's always had the twins. And I think in this story, you have someone who, because it's an adoption at such a late age, everyone knows exactly what they're getting into in the beginning. And it means more. It means more to Harry and Dre. Like, how many 16-year-olds do you know who want to hang out with their dad? 
You know what I mean? It's like, it, but that's it, also part of the storyline, his insecurities of being adopted. And well, I think, I think it, that's part of the appeal. I think it means more to them that they were adopted. It's more like a gift to them rather than every day. This is just how life is for, you know, Ron, who's always had the same parents and it's, you know, it's, it's not, it, it's just part of his life and he doesn't appreciate it. So I think that if, uh, let me rephrase this. I think if Snape were Harry's biological father, for the sake of argument, and he had always been Snape's, Snape had always been his father, Harry would have had difficulty just going and knocking on that door because I doubt their relationship could be the way it is now. Whereas they get to start as relatively mature adults. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, I just, yeah. I, I, no, I, th- yeah. I think that, that, like, I couldn't picture like myself doing that because my relationship with my parents has been colored by the way I was raised. I think that the fact that Draco, Snape, and Harry all had crappy lives before they found each other makes their relationship what it is. I don't think it, it would be nearly the same if, if they didn't have that background. I think that's what Snape's talking about in the epilogue. Definitely, which I, leads us. Sorry, I'm we are sorry, trying so hard to go chronologically tonight. No, I'm not. I'm just saying, which leads us to hello, Lucius throwing Draco into a pit of snakes <laughs> is not good parenting. That is bad parenting. Bad, bad, parenting. bad very, <laughs> very, very bad. I have to well, say, wait, when we which, gave, at least he gave him the antidote or that purging potion or whatever it was. Yes, I can. don't care. We can't give. Dr- no, he does not get points for throwing his son into the viper pit, but then gives him the antidote. Here's some analgesic cream. Doesn't work for me. Doesn't well, it just shows me. how sick he is that he doesn't want to kill his son, but he definitely wants to or punish kill. his son. He couldn't because because Lucius actually gave the line away. Because you're trying to figure out what's Lucius up to here. Why is he being so? decent, relatively speaking, you know, after he gets him out of the Viper Pit to Draco. Why is he offering him his freedom? Why is he... I think he, he loves his son in some sick, perverse way. No, no, I didn't get that. Oh, he, 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 really? He needed, he needed Draco. He needed Draco to be alive and well and kicking to be brought to Voldemort. He, he was like the guy... Like, I think that Lucius had a lot in common with, with Professor Aaron in that his hands were tied. He needed certain things. You know, if you go after Professor Aaron and say, fine, tell my dad, fine, dock points from Slytherin, fine, do that. Aaron won't do it. He can't. He's constrained by the situation, and that's his Achilles heel. And Lucius needed Draco. He needed, for Lucius's own survival, Draco to do certain things. He needed to get information. He needed to set things up so that he could bring what he needed to Voldemort. And I think that was his motivation there. I don't think he could have cared less if Draco came back to the near weather. I, I really think everything was about Lucius' own survival. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. I don't think that um, Lucius cared one one bit about Draco. I think that we have, you know, a, a pretty typical uh, like a child abuse situation where, it, you know, the parent had the kid because it was the thing to do and you know, doesn't really know how to handle being a father. And, you know, there's a lot of really good emotional angst in Draco and Lucius and, and uh, Narcissa's relationship that I think doesn't quite get explored enough in a year like none other, which you'll is ironic because later you'll hear me complain about how long this story is. <laughs> um, yeah, we but, can't be helped. We complain it's too <laughs> long, and then we say, you know, thank God you put all yeah. these parts. Can you make it well, shorter yeah. but put more in? That'd be great, thanks. Well, I mean, the problem the, the problem of it is is that it's not um, 
organized the way that a traditional novel is organized. You don't have your, oh, what do they call it? They call it the triangle or whatever, the exposition, the climax, and the re- resolution. Um, you have about 12 chapters of exposition. Then you have one climax, and then you have 3,800 chapters of exposition, and then, you know, <laughs> yeah, six it's, it's, chapters it's, of climax, and then the kind of stories that, the roller coaster. The climax, just as much as there's got to be slow that builds up to it. Well, to make with, it. With a story this long, you need that. The more, the more parts that you put into it, like you, it's like, think of a TV show. If you have a TV show, you can have one plot line for, for an entire, you know, 45 minute TV show. If you make it into a two parter, you really need to have something else going on there or else the audience is going to start to glaze over. If you have a three-parter, you need, you know, B plots and C plots. You need more going on than just, you know, this one plot or people are going to, they're going to glaze over. So I think the way Aspen had to write it was because there's so much exposition and there's so much repetition, which is, which is real life. You know, people do the same things over and over again. You need to have other things happening there to kind of keep the reader engaged or else it becomes kind of like reading right like like reading a phone book almost because it's like okay here's snape and harry on day one here's snape and harry on day two here's snape and harry on day three and you're kind of nobody cares yeah right yeah i want to talk about not a little bit if we're ready to move on scrambled egg boy (laughs) i do i want to talk a little bit because last week you were so sure that not was good that not was i believe what i said last week was i have an impression in my mind of not being an evil bastard and i had difficulty <laughs> seeing past okay. that to Just good to not, as it turns out i was fine with everything that happened <laughs> but you thought in this story he was going to be good though yes is what you thought right yes i did well drink so what did we she, she, no, no, I'm blaming this one on Aspen. She makes Draco Malfoy a good guy, and she makes Severus Snape a good guy. How the hell was I supposed to know she would come to her senses with not? <laughs> I'm not someone responsible. Had to be a bad guy. So, I know, someone had to be a bad guy. He, he's like hugging Voldemort by the end of it. No, just kidding. But, like, yeah, I mean, you needed to have... <laughs> See, I actually picked up that not was going to be bad. Yeah, you were telling me this. When. You said you picked up the whole plot line way back when. Like, what, what, what it was, was... I was like, hmm. What did you When get? he got sick, and when they said he was the first one to get sick and he was the one who was worst you know got sick the worst immediately in my head i I thought oh this sickness has to be you know something to do with somehow you know the the harry draco on the tower thing oh i didn't think that because you know what i thought that really well you could see it either way i thought that that he was no not with you really i was thinking i didn't get that no he yeah he was thinking like my impression of it was that because not was friendly to harry he was quote-unquote targeted and that's why he was the first to go. Hmm. I didn't see that. I see why you think that. I didn't see that coming out of it at all. Well, no, it's like I was he... definitely tiptoeing through the tulips. This whole plot line, I was like, la di da. You had no idea. And I was like, I had no idea right up until not pulled Harry down the alley, and I was like, hmm, that's kind of bizarre. Well, no, here's the oh. thing. <laughs> well, no, here's <laughs> here, here's Batman. the thing. My my Kira, did you either of you read um, Melinda Leo's The Seventh Horcrux? After this, yes. I've read part of it. Okay, did you read the part at the end of it where Snape is torturing Harry? No. Okay. Well, it, when, when you get to the end, there's a special surprise for you. Um, there's. <laughs> Wait. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Now I had Melinda as I was reading this. Melinda mentioned to me this is before Deathly Hallows that she saw Snape as a good guy. So I'm like, okay. So the the, the entire novel sets Snape up as a bad guy. And he's he's a Death Eater, and he's working against Harry. So I'm like, ha ha, that's silly, man. He's 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 a you know, he's a 
two-timing double agent, whatever. So then near the end of it, it gets to the point where he's literally holding Harry down in like a chokehold, giving him drought of the living death, and it's like running down Harry's throat, and he's like forcing Harry to drink it. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> we're about to find the big reveal where Snape turns out to be a good guy. As it turns out, he wasn't. But I was, like, even as he's shoving the potion down his throat, I was still thinking to myself, you know, Snape is obviously still a very nice man. So, like, like sometimes if you have those preconceptions, I'm looking for, you know, like, like the, the, the character that, you know, like Draco did at the end. I'm like, oh my god, is Draco a bad guy? And I didn't think he was, but... So, I mean, even, okay, not, you know, shoots Harry and melts his hand. I'm like, okay, not is working out some anger, but not <laughs> continues to be, as I predicted, He's working out some anger a good issues. guy. Then he tries to bring Harry to Lucius. I'm like, okay, here's the deal. Like, not is one of those people, he came from one of those families where mom and dad fought all the time, and he's trying to bring people together to solve their problems. So he's trying to bring oh, Harry and Lucius together. You're such a Hufflepuff. I'm such a Hufflepuff. <laughs> and it's not till Harry turns him into a scrambled egg that I think to myself, you know what? Maybe not. It's just a very bad man. <laughs> oh my goodness. I liked, um, <laughs> I, I liked that whole scene that Harry... You know, it has to kick ass finally. Because, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I, I like my Harry to be competent. So <laughs> that was nice. That, well, yeah. I thought that, well, I th- well, you know what it was too? It's like the scene where, um, like earlier in the story, where Remus forces Harry to watch Marie of, of, of the attack on the Muggle Wars. And, you know, where's. Where's Remus? Where's Remus? I want Remus. He's out getting you ice cream. And you're like, oh, no, you stupid man. Come back to the house. And it's the same thing. Where are Ron and Hermione? They're making out in the alleyway. I'm like, damn it. They're going to be gone for half an hour. I know. I've never been as happy to read that they were making out and stuff and as upset that that they were not with Harry like they were supposed to be. Now, here's my question. I have a question here, and I'm giving Wayne, who did a great job editing our last episode. Thank you, Wayne. Um, He, I actually have... I had this question, and I mentioned it, but I never actually thought it was, like, I never really saw a problem with it until he's like, great idea, Ryan. I'm like, thank you, Wayne. (laughs) So here's the brilliant statement I made, which I didn't realize I made. All right, so Draco's possessions are repossessed, and I'm not going into the NBA route again, so don't worry. But Draco, from his underwear to everything he's bought, everything that Draco Malfoy bought has been repossessed by goblins or Lucius or whoever the hell repossesses things. Why wasn't Harry's shirt repossessed that he got for Christmas? Wait. Harry is wearing the shirt that's this, it's the Gryffindor shirt, but if you like press the button three times, it turns into a. Uh, well, I think maybe it's because it, it was a gift and it was already magically, it was given to, it was had it? to be things in his possession. I actually think I mentioned this to Aspen the other day and she wrote me an email earlier because she was listening to a, just our last episode. Oh, so she listened to my brilliant comment. I didn't realize that made. <laughs> oh, oh, that's no. nice. That's good. That's good. Yeah, well, she was kind of confused. Because she didn't understand why no one had caught on, but she said that basically all of his possessions had been, you know, taken away. And so, you know, the other things that he had purchased for other people were not taken away because they were not his. Hmm. And I'm not exactly okay. sure why, but. That was the roundabout explanation. Well, that, well, that makes sense. Well, no, not that really. That's sense. like saying if I bought. That's like saying if I, you know, go to you know my local Toyota dealer 
and write a check for a new Toyota and give the, the car to Jen and the check bounces, they can't take the Toyota back because it's not mine anymore. <laughs> like it's you know, it's like I don't know. It sounds like to me that uh <laughs> the uh uh, like when I get asked a question and I have to think really hard, like because I have unknowingly created a plot hole, that sounds like an answer that I would give. But you know what though, <laughs> um, I'm, I, I am gonna say this though. While that's usually true, Lady Chi, I don't doubt the fact that we're a bunch of dimwits trying to understand it right now, and that there actually could be a reasonable explanation. That, explanation that's beyond our grasp. I'm not discounting that in this instance. Well, see, I think Jen's right. I would say it's more like when you go into debt, say, and they go to repossess your stuff. Uh-huh. They'll repossess everything you have, but they're not going to go and take things, you know, that you give to other family members and hunt down, you know, all your neighbors that you've given Christmas gifts to. So listen, so boys and girls, listen, boys and girls, take out the credit card, all right? <laughs> go to the mall, buy everything you can get your hands on, and give it to your second cousin. They'll never get it. <laughs> Okay, that, yep. that, that joke kind of died there. I, <laughs> I was trying to understand. Like, it took me a minute to understand. <laughs> I was like, what? Jen, Take buy it, me it. a car. Just buy and me a then... car, Jen. Oh, God. Okay, we need, to, we need to move on from this point. We need to move on from this point. Now, okay, so Not is now officially a bad guy, much to my chagrin here. And I love the excitement of that scene. Well, I mean, it is like... Bam, then bam, then bam. And you're just like, oh my god, oh my god. Well, you were waiting 85 chapters for him to try and take another hit on him. So it's kind of like, oh my I god. I know. I'm like, where's the Harry Angst? Well, you know what it is? Like, there's scenes that you see in every <laughs> fic. Like, Melinda had one in um, Power of Emotion where, you know, Harry, you know, Voldemort is, you know, sweeping Europe with raids and attacks by Death Eaters. And Dumbledore gives Harry and his, fr- and his friends permission to go shopping for Christmas in a muggle mall. I remember screaming to myself, don't do it, you stupid old man. This does never work. This does not work in fan fiction. Something will happen. And of course, they attack them all. And there's like fights in the arcade. I feel bad for people who haven't read these fics. I'm really giving away the ending to them. But, you know, so like, yeah, so it's basically, okay, Harry's been indoors for 66 chapters and, you know, Voldemort hasn't gotten him yet. And then he gets permission to go out with his friends for the day. I'm like, oh, damn, not good. Yep, pretty much. Jen, did you? <laughs> I know you said before when uh, Draco was making what was it, the cakes that you thought you were convinced Draco went evil or whatever it was before. You said, "Oh no!" When he threw Pansy off the tower, you said he thought you thought he really went evil. Were you thinking the same thing at the uh, Lucius scene when he's putting the thing to Harry's eye and everything? Uh, that makes sense. Wait, what? Uh, no, J- Mike, ask it again. It was actually, you said it well, Jim, which just fell over. <laughs> I have fallen over. I'm up, so. Oh, Jen, Jen uh, just a question, Jen. What time are you going to pass out tonight, just so we can plan? About 10. Okay. All right, Mike, continue. I was saying, I remember before in the Pansy chapters, you had been saying that uh, you became convinced as you were reading it that Draco was really evil. And you gave up hope on him again. And I was wondering if you did the same thing when he's uh, going to put out Harry's eye with Lucius in this reading. Yeah, did you think at the end that he had turned back to Lucius and that he was actually a bad guy? Did you ever doubt Draco for a second in that scene? Jen, are you there? I don't think Jen. you. Did we actually lose Jen? That'd be funny if we did. Jen, oh. are, you, 
<laughs> no, I said it, and I and it reminded me to take my pills, and so I went and got the pills. <laughs> Chad, you're even asking you a question. <laughs> oh, I thought we were waiting on me. <laughs> I'm sorry. We thought you were the biggest dimwit for not getting the no, easiest. Chad. Jen, do you like grass? Ten minutes of silence as she paused. Actually, it's my favorite. I just thought I wasn't making any sense with my... I thought, like, you know, I have a fever. Oh, uh, I'm talking gibberish here. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Ryan. He reminded me to take my pills, and so I got up and I went to go get them, and I just thought, well, I go, well, no one's jumping in. What's going on? Okay, I just tell you this, by the way, too. During this month's giving episode last week, I actually called Danielle in the middle of it, so she beeped in off the line. I'm like, Danielle, I can't help but notice that your green line isn't moving. Can you please talk on the podcast? That'd be great. Thanks. You can go back now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be mean to her. She was kind of intimidated. <laughs> no idea why. All right, Mike, ask your question to Jen again. Jen, listen carefully and then answer when ready. Okay. My question was, I remember way back when we were talking about the pansy being thrown off the tower, you said you became convinced when you were reading that the Draco was evil and you gave up all hope on him. And I was wondering whether you had the same reaction when he's going to put out Harry's eye in this reading and he looks like he's siding with Lucius. You go, oh my God, Draco's really evil after all. I try to be smarter than the author. I try to, I keep trying to see like plots and plots and like try to figure things out. And like, I don't know if that makes sense, but like I try to keep on the back burner what I originally know of characters and what I know. And like, so I have to say that even at this point, even though I totally believe that Draco is good and they're brothers and blah, 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 the back of my mind like keeps myself like Draco still could be bad. Draco still, this could be real. And so I tell myself that. So then when it turns out that Draco is really evil, I'm like, oh, yeah, I knew that all along. Like, I make myself feel better. And <laughs> I know that's really stupid. You're like but, Don um, Imus. All right. I know. <laughs> anyway. And so when I really thought that Draco was, I thought something was, I thought Draco was that. And originally when he was like on with Pansy. I thought he was evil. I thought this is where Aspen's going to twist it. And we're going to really find out that all this time Draco has been one of them. And like, he's been like secret. And like, part of me is like screaming, no, but their relationship, no. And part of him's like, Ooh, it'd be so evil. So then I have to like, <laughs> argue with myself. But at this point, no, I didn't. I, I, I thought, I, I remember I had two feelings. I'd read it. And first I was like, Oh my gosh, what a great ruse. This is such a ruse. And then I like congratulated myself for knowing the word ruse. And then <laughs> I had a thought where I went, Oh my God, 
this is the turning point. Draco really is evil. This whole thing has been a farce. And then I congratulated myself for oh, knowing the word, the word farce. farce. Yep. All right. Yes. And then, um, yeah, this is like my thought process. And then I thought, oh, my gosh. Oh, wait. Oh, good. Oh, good. He's good. Okay. And then, like, I just kept going. But, no, really, I thought here, I thought Aspen had thrown one over on me, and I was so unprepared. All right, round table. But I was very relieved. Let's see what everyone else thinks. Mike, answer your own question about the first time you read it, and do you need us to repeat the question again, or are you all set? I'm set. All right. Um, I didn't think Draco was evil so much. I thought he was really going to do it, but I thought it was more of a – oh my God, he's scared for his life and he's kind of a coward like he is in canon. So I didn't think of him as him being evil so much as him like being scared and losing his backbone kind of thing. Okay. If that makes sense. That makes sense, Lady Chi. Uh, You really don't want to peek inside my head. Lady (laughs) Chi, let us in. Let us in, Lady Uh, Chi. Well, I don't, I wasn't really necessarily concerned with all, all that much whether Draco was, you know, good or evil so much as I was going, hmm, interesting plot device there, you know, <laughs> interesting word choice. You don't read I like don't a read like a normal human being. Right, don't well, ask me those right, questions. <laughs> Lady Chi, were there any words that Aspen used that sent you for a tailspin of some sort, or are you good? No, I was on my medication. I was fine. <laughs> Kira, what about you? Um, You know, I thought that Draco, well... I wanted to believe he was really good, but I was really afraid that he was turning. I didn't think that he had been evil all along, but I was afraid he was turning under the pressure and that he would become yeah. evil or bad. So I was really, really relieved when he wasn't. Well, here's my deal. If if that turned out to be a ruse and, and, and Draco was faking the whole time, I would have literally gone to Asp and demanded both my mummy and my life back because I've been reading <laughs> this story since August. Like, come on. But, um, I, like, well, here was the thing. There were references leading up to that. Like, the, the whole thing about um, Draco keeping Snape in his name, I'm sorry, Draco keeping Malfoy in his name was, um, there, there were that clue that was left at the, at the um, kitchen table in Snape's quarters that there was something else going on there that Harry didn't get. And there were several references to things that were happening that Harry didn't understand, which screamed plot device. So you file that away, that there's something else going on there. Uh, when, when you got to that scene in France, I didn't, I didn't think that Draco would have been bad all along. It made me wonder if there was... I knew there was something else going on, and the two options were either Draco was had something happening with his father, or Draco had something happening with Snape. It turned out to be Snape. I think Snape was the very safe choice there. Um, so, I could would it have been more daring for Aspen to have you know had Draco not have jumped completely over and left himself a lifeboat back to, to, to Lucius if that was ever necessary, that would have been a much more provocative choice. I think it may have weakened the character somewhat, so I'm happy No, 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 I think it's so important that it made us doubt here. Doubt oh, I do. I do. You. Yeah. I think it's so... I think it's I think it's important for us to, to the reader to, to think back, take a step back, and it, it's a constant reminder of, oh yeah, Draco's 
we should remember Draco's past. Draco's not necessarily good. And I like that she allowed Harry to have serious doubts about him, even at this point in their relationship. Oh, he was he was literally like about to scoop Harry's eye out with a spoon. I mean Oh, that was just the Yeah. I, like how would you even do that? Like uh, like I was picturing Harry eyes? Harry's eye closed. He, he wasn't going to. No, but no, can I just tell you I'm I'm gonna bring this back to Star Trek again because we don't talk about Star Trek nearly <laughs> enough on this podcast. Of course not. There was an episode of that wonderful TV. TV series Star Trek Voyager. God, how much I love Voyager. If only there were a thousand more shows. Is that the one with the women, with the woman captain? Yes. Um, it was written by um, a monkey and a trained chimpanzee with all due respect. I was being serious. No, it was. No, it absolutely was, but it was very poorly written. Jane, captain Jane. Wait. Wait. Jane, yes. Look at me. I'm so good. <laughs> You guessed there was a woman on the show, Jen. Congratulations. Then no, the Jane. woman captain. Yes. Very that was the one from the captain 90s Jane? that my father gave up on. Yes, it was a... T- that was the show he watched before Deep Space Nine and gave up on that one. No, Deep Space Nine yeah. is a wonderful Star Trek series. Badmouth, Deep Space Nine, see me after the podcast. Voyager sucked. <laughs> but anyway, there was an episode of... Of course, I watched every episode of Voyager just to make sure it still sucked. And it did, up until the end. <laughs> And the last episode, literally, the last episode of Voyager was actually a turd. I didn't think they could actually do that at the end, because usually they try and, you know, they try and sober up for the end. It was actually a turd. Like, it was, like, okay, picture, like, every, like, chapter of A Year Like None Other being, like, like an episode of a TV series. And picture there were people who, who, who read it who say didn't like it or had difficulty with it. Picture in the last chapter if Aspen randomly had you know, Draco wearing a ballerina outfit for no reason. Like, that's the kind of <laughs> shit that happened in the last episode of Voyager. But, um, like, people, like, it would it, it'd be, like, randomly in the last chapter, you know, like, Hermione's, like, has her tongue down Neville's throat for no reason. And, and the writer's <laughs> response is, oh, I thought they were together, I forgot. Like, it's, it's very poorly written. But there was an episode of the show where um, the crew, there was like this mind control thing or whatever, and the crew all kind of turned against each other, and there was this forced mutiny on the ship because of the, some like alien influence here, because really, why would these characters, you know, why not just have it be a natural thing between people who didn't like each other? That would have been way too interesting, so they went for the stupid route and had the aliens do it, but whatever. So there's a point where... You know, the captain has been, you know, arrested and she's in, in the brig of the ship and, the and, and you know, people are taking over the ship and they want to test one guy and see if he is really on the bad guy's side. The bad guys think he might be a, like a mole, like kind of like the snake on the side of the light. So they bring the captain in and they're concerned this guy is still on the captain's side. So they're like, okay, you want to prove you're not on the captain's side? Fine. So they give her like the phaser, like the little laser weapon. They say, fine, kill the captain. If you kill the captain, we'll believe you. He's like, all right. So he points the gun at the captain, the phaser at the captain, and he shoots it. He's like, set to kill, shoots it. And like the phaser goes, and, and, and the bad guys are like, okay, congratulations. We obviously didn't give you a loaded phaser, but you know, we, you passed the test. We trust you. And of course he really was working for the captain and they take the ship back. And later on, she's like, I can't help but notice you pointed the phaser at my head and tried to kill me. He's like, Oh, I knew it wasn't loaded. She's like, how did you know? He's like, I figured they wouldn't give me a, you know, like a loaded phaser. I could have shot them. So you didn't know. I was very sure. You almost shot me in the head. It wouldn't have hurt you. Why? It wasn't loaded. How'd you know? I was fairly sure. And it just reminded me of the same thing. How did you know Draco? He was going to stop you. I figured he wouldn't make me scoop your eye out. Were you sure about that, Draco? I figured it would have been fine. Like, it just, it just reminded me of the same type of mentality. Like, the shut up, Harry. Everything worked out in the end. You almost scooped my eye out. No, I didn't. Like, it's just like, it's just like the circular logic of the situation. I just thought it was really cool. 
Yeah. Oh, thank God you're still here. There was silence. And I thought I just told that whole story to a dead room. Okay. <laughs> you were all enraptured well, yeah. by my story. I've had to tell the whole thing over and over again. But um, where the hell were we? Aspen, you're like none other Aspen in the sunlight. Does anyone remember? Which is- right, which is definitely not... Um- Star Trek Voyager. Thank God. Thank God. Aspen, seriously, <laughs> if you ever want to write a Star Trek series, I'd watch. <laughs> I would. Well, I, Ryan, I don't think that there's been a Star Trek series you haven't watched. I actually gave up on Enterprise. Really? I watched Enterprise for about two and a half seasons and well, you gave up. Well, no, what happened? I watched the first two years of it and gave up and then apparently it got good. So I went back and I'm now watching the new, the ones I gave up on. But Voyager... Don't bother. If you're listening here and you're about to buy it, it's overpriced. Don't even give it. It's a terrible show. But um, <laughs> I like Pirates of the Caribbean. I do too. That's an awesome show. <laughs> wow. Okay. As we strive oh, for even more optimism <laughs> than we've ever Poor had. Churchy. She's like, can we go chronologically <laughs> churchy? And now we're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean. Ten minutes. Um, okay, no, seriously. Let's go back to. Um, let's go back to your like. <laughs> what should we talk about next? Let's see. What other? I, I'll. Good. Here go. Am I the only one who thought Aron Aron Aron, however you say his name? Um, like, I just I, like I, I thought at times he was a dead <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I love these chapters. They're my favorite part of the whole story. And I love the story, but his character, especially in the end, like the last couple of chapters, seems really kind of like one of those characters where the author's trying so hard to make you hate him. And like the whole thing with the duel at the end, my, my reaction was kind of like, this is almost pathetic. It's like, it seemed like just like, I don't know, like, like you have it in there just so all the readers can go, yeah, I hate him, beat him up, kind of, well, with no real greater plot point. The thing, with his, the thing with his character was his, like, he's, he's like. He's too pathetic for me to hate. Well, no, he <laughs> was. He's actually be competent. Oh, he was. No, he, he was he was like a lower key version of Umbridge because and, and people in the fandom have always said this: who's a greater villain, Dolores Umbridge or, or Lord Voldemort? It's always going to be the Dolores Umbridge because it's always going to be the people who you can, you know, wahaha, I am evil, hear me roar, isn't scary, isn't but, real life, but yeah. the, but the, but your next door neighbor who is you know like a racist and a bigot who also is the head of the school committee is scary because they can actually do stuff and they're actually you can understand that there are real people like this and this is something in your real life that you have to be on the lookout for so the, the his character you know you could understand that he was a bigot in this case for lack of a better term and you didn't know what, like i thought at times he was a death eater who called lucius malfoy in and, you know, it turns out he wasn't. And I thought, for some reason, I thought that she was going to go the quarrel route with him and have him be, you know, you think he's this weak little guy and then he mops the floor with Snape. And, like, I wasn't sure where it was going, so I did have, like, a little anxiety level there. But I think the character, like, I really enjoyed the character because he wasn't toothless. He, you know, when, you know, he when he couldn't get his way with... McGonagall and the staff, he went to Lucius Malfoy, and look what that caused. When he couldn't get his way after that, he went to Rita Skeeter. So he was capable of great damage, but because Harry was at the point in his life that he was at with the people behind him that he had, Aaron wasn't able to harm him 
but he easily could have earlier in the year or earlier in his Hogwarts years. He could have greatly damaged Harry, but at this point, he was pathetic because he was, like, a little bit behind the curve with Harry. Harry was too good for him. So, and you know what? If 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 JKR had put in three or four chapters of Umbridge being absolutely humiliated, I would have read them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, how much is too much? The fact that, you know, Snape literally, like, took his face and rubbed it in the mud and, like, put him through every single thing he put Harry through and turned him into a snake and made, the, it made Harry talk to the snake. I mean, literally, like, you know what? If I'm going to read 96 chapters, I don't mind if that's one of them. <laughs> so much stuff to happen that happens in these chapters that my brain is, like, on overload, and yeah. I can't... There's no way... just, like, the one thing that Aspen's I... Aspen's listening right now, going, I knew it! I told you to break it up! I know, episodes. I was like, this is why I split it up. I remember um, the topic. What do you got? Draco's adjusting to going back to Slytherin, and he's Malshite and all that. That was great. I love the Malshite. I know it's horrible. I, I, it's I, so creative, and I, I, I just dislike it. Can I just tell you, I was listening to that on my iPod, and I have the program that converts it phonetically. I had no freaking clue what they were saying. <laughs> what did it I, say phonetically? It was like, Milshit, Milshit. I'm like, what? What is he calling it? Milshit? Milshit? Like, I had no literal idea what the hell he was talking about. I just knew it was derogatory. Then I go home, I'm like, oh, that was lame. All right. But I... <laughs> Jen, go. Keep going. Sorry. I want to talk about everybody's thoughts immediately following Lucius discovering he was a stone. Like, after they realized... <laughs> Lucius discovering that Lucius was a stone? I mean, that Snape and Dumbledore and, and Remus... Didn't Remus? Yeah, Remus. Yeah. Came in, and they discover that he's not just a stone, he's dead. And Harry's like, I gotta go look for a bathroom. And I, I always thought, why didn't Snape go out. I mean, didn't he think maybe possibly something was not right that immediately finding out the news that he's killed his first person, he goes off in search of a bathroom. He killed his brother's father and Snape didn't find it odd that Harry just went to pee in a library. That should have raised red flags, I'm sure. I know, but it did. Was it just that Snape accepted at this point that Harry had problems, or was Snape really oblivious? I think Snape must have been oblivious, because how can you... You think? Well, you... That's... No, I... Like, for all of the father-son chats they have in this story, I mean, that needs to be... You know, but he's so, like... They do have a they... chat, though. I mean, Snape's well, misunderstanding of. what's wrong. I think the thing is, Snape knows something's wrong, and he tries to talk to Harry about it a couple of times. But again, I think he's more focused on Draco at the start because yeah. on the surface, Draco went through more. His biological father was killed. He was bit by a hundred snakes, you know. So I think Snape's first concern is Draco right away. But doesn't he have that conversation with Harry at some point where he's like, you know, I, I want to talk to you about Lucius. You shouldn't feel guilty for it. Like he has... Well, it, to me, it felt like a glossed cut. over. It's like a glossed over conversation. Like this is something that I feel might show up again later on, or or I think that it's something that I was hoping it would. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly. I mean, it, it, everything the way it happens is very reasonable. You have, you know, ha- you have two sons, and and you know they have separate fathers, and one son kills the other son's father. So who do you immediately? reach out to first, the killer son or the son whose father was just killed. 
you try and protect the person whose emotions are likely more upset. And it's in, but when you think about it, Harry is much more upset by this than Draco is. I mean, you know what? It's, it's a perfect storm and Snape isn't perfect. And when you look back at all the conversations Snape's had, he's called, he said that Harry has dark magic. He's explained it doesn't mean that you're a dark wizard. It means you have dark magic. And he gave the speech about you can't become a dark wizard. You need to, you need to, you know, take steps to stand on the side of light. You need to look at your actions. You need to, you know, it, you need to you need to look at yourself and you need to feel remorse. It's it's like what he did with Draco in in, in the fairy cakes. He, fairy cakes, fairy cakes. Yeah. Okay. Fairy cakes. That just, that just seemed like a weird term to use right there. I wasn't sure if they were fairy cakes. It's like what he does with Draco in the fairy cakes. You know, you need to accept the consequences of your actions. You can't be like Voldemort. So anyone knowing all of Harry's psychoses should have seen this coming. Mm-hmm. And if Harry were a real person, Harry would be on 53 different types of medications right now. At so the very least. it's a very likely Stop reaction. Therapy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Snape should have, people, people should have caught that. Harry, it shouldn't have come to Harry banging on Snape's door. Someone should have caught it. But is it realistic that no one did? Absolutely. Well, because yeah. it's not like he had started to wear long sleeves to, you know, hide cut marks. He wasn't even really yeah. cutting. He was, you know, stabbing, and they make, you know, such tiny little pinpricks. And they well, would, I mean, uh, they're, in, they're in cloaks anyway, all the time. Yeah, that too. You know, so, I mean, you wouldn't see it. Through, yeah, well, after all he's been through in the last couple of weeks, I mean, Draco too, but, you know, it's not too surprising that he might want some time alone because he's probably feeling a little depressed, and so... You know, I'm sure you know, the last thing that's on their mind is that he's, you know, stabbing himself. Y- yeah, yeah, I mean, you know what? It was one of those things where I was so glad that, and I've said this before tonight, I'll just say it again, I was so glad that it happened in the 90s, because if that were Chapter 70 and we got into that, I, I really felt like it could have, I like, I'm trying to think of a way to say this because I don't want it to make it seem you like to, you had to get to a point where it, it, if you do it, if you show that kind of thing too early, it. I was afraid it was the monop- It would have monopolized most of the story, and I just want to be right. clear here because you know this is something that many people listening to this podcast, you know, many people on this podcast who know people, this, this is something that people really deal with, and this is just as important as discussing, you know adoption or, you know, loss of parents or loss of loved ones or, or, you know, the many serious issues that we discuss in this podcast every week. I mean, this, there is no reason that, that, that I should read this and feel uncomfortable reading it. I think on some level, I'm in the, hasn't Harry suffered enough crowd? Is it something where I want to sit down and read a story about someone who, who, who self-inflicts? I mean, Probably not. If if someone recommended a great story to me about Harry, you know, suffering with cancer, I probably wouldn't read that one either. Because that's not what I look for in my fan fiction. I mean, I think I'm the opposite of Jen when it comes to what I look for in my fan fiction. But, you know, I look for like I look for the more hopeful ones. But, you know, I do on the other hand read lots of fics where Harry's depressed because he needs to be depressed after everything he's gone through. So I mean, I don't know. I think in retrospect, having read it, I think Aspen handled the whole thing beautifully, but I was uncomfortable reading it, and I wasn't uncomfortable As reading... As you should be. Yeah, I wasn't uncomfortable reading Sawin. I mean, I don't... 
I don't know. That was my, yeah, I was very uncomfortable reading that. But I do just want to say one thing here. And Chi, I'd like to know what you think on this and you two here and everybody. Okay, we have Samwin and we have Harry stripped naked. He, he has needles, po- you know, poked through his eyes, through like every orifice of his body. He is absolutely degraded, humiliated, and he is treated inhumanely. And he gets past that. It takes a while, but he doesn't, his, his psychological injuries heal rather quickly. And at the, at the climax of the story, you have Harry, and at the, at the end of the story, you have Harry who, you know, he is forced to take his shirt off by Lucius Malfoy, and he is threatened with having his eyes scooped out. Which, when that happened, I thought this this story was... That scared me more than the cutting. When the shirt came off, like, I thought... I knew for sure that this was going to be... This was going to turn into a sexual abuse thing. Like, he was screwed up. But you know what it is? It seems like everything that happened at Saw Win, on every level, was 50 times worse than what happened in France at the end. And the only difference, obviously, let's look at differences, was that he did not know that he would survive it, whereas he knew he would would survive someone and he would be blind. So that's a huge difference. I don't want to... You know, I don't want to, you know, negate well, that, that difference. Well, that and Voldemort wasn't there, you know, for Lucius to try and impress. Yes. I mean, let me ask you this. Does it seem as the, this is the question of the, of the hour. Does it seem as though Harry's reaction to Samhain and Harry's reaction to, we'll call it France at the end, does it seem like those reactions were reversed from the event? In other words, does it seem like the way Harry responded to France should have been the way he responded to Samhain and vice versa? I don't, maybe you guys might disagree with me, but to me, it wasn't like, I think that if, say what happened with Lucius, if Lucius survived that, I think Harry would have been fine emotionally. I don't think it was the, um, the taking his shirt off and the spoon to his eye that got to Harry. I think it was his reactions to when he killed someone and his own internal fears. Mm -hmm. I don't think the difference is that. In one, he knew he was going to be okay, and the other, he didn't. I think that in one, it's more an external. Like, people are piling things onto him, and it's not his fault. And what gets Harry is when it's his something, he did something wrong. He didn't do anything wrong in Sawain, but in the, in the Lucius in France, he feels he did something wrong. Yeah. I definitely agree. I also That's think that point. it's that it's also a bit of... When when something happens, you kind of pick yourself up and you go, okay, yeah, that was terrible, and I'm going to try to move on. But with Harry, it was like that, and then it was like the Roman mask and the realization that he's going to kill Lucius, and then something else, and then and this was just like another something else that piled up on him. And like I think at this point, he's almost he's almost well, he does. He goes into the room and it's like a maniac laugh. He laughs because. The whole thing is so ridiculous. He can't, he cannot get his head around it. He cannot, the only thing he can focus on is the fact that he doesn't feel bad about killing Lucius. And frankly, after all of this, that, it's so ridiculous to the reader that that be the thing that he's concerned about because at this point, we're, I mean, my mouth is just open at all the things that he's had to endure. And, it's hard. I can't imagine being Snape in this in this position. Um, what do you say? I mean, 
when things happen, you go, okay, yeah, shitty things happen and you get up and you move on and you go on. What do you say to someone when something bad happens and then something else and then something else? And finally, they're so, they, they can't deal with it at such a, an extent. Well, look at Harry's fears here. Harry's fear, like, look at the built-in safeguards in the Wizarding World. I was thinking about this, as Jen would say, in detail today. And, okay, you're given a wand. Okay, you, your 11-year-old, here is your little wand. You know, go to Hogwarts. Okay. Now, you can use this wand to make feathers, you know, flop up in the air. And you can use this wand to open doors. It's like a Swiss Army knife. And you can use this wand to kill people. And you can use this wand to burn your house down. But you can't kill people unless you really, really mean it. And you can't take over people's minds unless you really, really mean it. So even though saying a few words with your wand in your hand can give you a life sentence in prison, there are there are these safeguards that you have to be a type of person. Right. Like Harry can't... You have to be an evil person. Yes, but now... Like but look at... Harry's situation here because of the bone marrow transplant and because now I'm, this is just because we've been reading this fic for so damn long. Now Harry's dark magic, what his, his core was broken open. Was it simply the bone marrow transplant or was it also Samhain? I think it was bone marrow transplant and like the muggle treatments after that. So it had nothing to do with Samhain? No. Well, Because he already had, he just didn't know how to access it. Before, but it was already damaged before that. Okay, so it was it was the bone marrow transplant. Okay, so you have Harry because of a procedure he went through because of this weird interaction between Muggle, you know, instruments and, and his magical. No, but what I'm saying is Harry is in the position now where he can point a wand at Albus Dumbledore and say, "Turn to stone," and there was nothing like Dumbledore is gone. He is now a statue. Harry has so much power that. You know, traditional, he has, there's no safeguard. If you screw up, you're going to turn, you know, the guy's legs into scrambled eggs, or you're going to turn that man into, into a monument. I mean, that, and, and, and that's what Malfoy, the portrait plays into. How long do you think Dumbledore will tolerate keeping you around? Will it be Snape's to be the one to put you down eventually someday? Which is like, like a Star Wars reference almost. I mean, like, at what point is Harry going to be so powerful he can't control it? Because Harry is one of a kind at this point. I mean, well, he's a walking yeah. time bomb in a way. What if and maybe p- Snape. Yeah. What if we piss Harry off? Will he kill us all? He could. Well, I think when yeah. Snape and when Remus and them came in, and everybody just had this look of shock, especially when um, they realized that it was just a simple. What was the spell? It was, what was um, it supposed to Petrificus be? Totalis. Petrificus Totalis. Yeah. When when they re- realize the extent, I don't think anybody has even. You would think that is Harry the first person in history who has complete and utter access to his dark magic, or is he just the second to Voldemort having that? Vold- or does Voldemort even? He no, doesn't Vol- have that. Voldemort at the end of the story. Voldemort is going through a bone marrow transplant because Voldemort is trying to duplicate the condition. So Voldemort is saving some poor muggle with leukemia, apparently, because Voldemort is giving bone marrow. But um, can you imagine being the nurse, like, looking over? Um, you look pretty. Like, what the fuck is up with you? So obviously, I'm like, I, I, I would just like to be the person working for that HMO. That's all I can say. But Oh. Well, they actually don't have HMOs. Why am I yeah, okay? This is like when I went into where'd the money go? All right, we have to get me off this track. This is dangerous. But um, yeah, I mean, 
yeah, Harry, as far as we know, is the only one in existence right now who has access to these powers that the Dark Nor the Dark Lord. Well, I think that Snape and them acknowledge that that if not handled well, if I mean they at this point they have to do I'm, and this is what concerns me. Like, I understand that it's equal. Like, I think this is where I went, that I had the first fault with Snape as a parent, and I kind of realized maybe he's not totally perfect. Because in my opinion, I think when reading this, it was like, it was totally, there was so much of, of Snape's immediate concern towards Draco, which I admit is definitely justified with the poison and the almost dying thing. But he seems, I, I guess it's because he seems so... Um, what is the word where you think of something before it happens? So prepared yeah. towards Harry and Harry's adjusting and what's going on with Harry. And like, he's the one that kind of gets Harry to acknowledge what's going on with himself. Yeah. yeah. It's like at this time, at this point, I felt like Severus missed it. Like he, he did it just completely. He could not guess yeah. what Harry was going through and I felt a little let down, which I know is ridiculous because what parent would get that? Who, what person could get that? I mean, and so, yeah, we're reading the thing and, and like, like I, I miss things too. It's like, okay, when Harry, like I was, I was reading this and when Harry is talking to Snape and Harry mentions the fact that Draco made him disrobe. I'm sorry, that, uh, sorry, Jen, that's the other fic you're reading this week. That I'm like, ooh, I forgot about the sexual abuse angle, and is that playing into it? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but I, I even forgot that. So, I'm sorry, gee, go ahead. I, that's just, I reading this even didn't make some of the connections, and I'm pretty smart. Well, but thing, I, she's setting up points to address later on. That's the point that I'm trying to make. Like, yeah. I, this is such a, a non- it's a conclusion, but for me, it felt like it hadn't because it didn't clear up the things with the ending. Didn't clear up the SI. It didn't clear up Harry's emotional trauma from this latest thing. And like, it sort of did. I mean, it kind of brushed over like the end of Goblet of Fire with Dumbledore patting him on the head as he <laughs> explained Priory and contained him badly. But do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I felt because everything else in the story was so drawn out and so specifically detailed. That this, I felt, this is major, and she's glossing. Why is she glossing? I don't know if anybody else got that. I didn't think it was glossing, but I think in all great, the, the best stories are the ones that don't begin and don't end. Like, like there's, like, for example, like, for Babylon 5, which I'll plug again, because um, Mike is watching it, the writer of this of the series planned a five-year story. He knows everything that will happen in that universe in those five years. He also planned the next hundred years ahead, the hundred years before, and a million years in each direction. So on the, the day that the, 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 fil- the, the, the screen goes to black on the last episode, that world will still exist tomorrow, and those people will still get up and do things. So the fact that the year is over does not mean that Harry has suddenly come to grips with the fact that you know he has all of these psychological issues, and it doesn't mean that Snape has come to grips with his parenting skills, and it doesn't mean, I mean, that will all still be there tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a good I just, I didn't know why, I, I guess because I'm one of those people that sort of focuses on the angst, which I know everybody's going, yeah, roll your eyes, we know, but I know that, like, when they started going into, like, the Aaron storyline and, like, or the uh, Ron, I don't know how, I don't know, anyway, and, like, the snake punching was a great scene, but the whole time I was like, what about the stabbing, what about the angst, what about the fact that Harry is so, he's a wreck, you can't just fix things by Snape, although I have to admit, the, the Snape, the watery metaphor and the 
the cuddling. Yes, they hugged again. Um, and the post Snape finding out about Harry's SI was nice. I liked that scene. I think but, it it played much better than it did. Like in, I think it was originally in Chapter Twelve, the first time they when they did Occlumency. I complained then, "What's up with the freaking Ward Cleaver spooning?" And now it's completely, you know, it's completely justified because now you've shown me over ninety <laughs> chapters why I should believe in these characters. But in the beginning, I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" But they're hugging. They're hugging with their minds. <laughs> 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 that was a nice. Good I really liked the um the you know um the metaphor. <laughs> Shut up, I'm trying to I like think. the um the uh ah, I like the um Shut up, Brian. Yes. I really like the oculumency met- metaphors in this story. Um Harriet is fire and Snape is water and uh you know, I mean there's a lot of really good imagery in this story, especially in the abstract world. Um, not so much so in the physical world. She doesn't spend a lot of time doing that, but you know, the, um, I think some of my favorites from these chapters were the writhing death marks in the jar. Um, the oculumency, um, uh, fire and water scene. Um, what else was really good imagery? Uh, the image, this, uh, the snake turning Aaron into a snake. That um, was funny. I'm sorry. I mean, that was too good. The, uh, Harry's description of the, uh, canine spell. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was- and how <laughs> Snape's is like a big bad wolf and. Aaron's got a little Pomeranian. <laughs> I, I, I was picturing when, when, like, in my head, I was picturing Horace Slughorn the entire time with Professor Aaron, and I'm not sure if that was... I was picturing this, like, very, you know, robust, um, circular man, and, uh, like, I was picturing the whole thing, but, I mean... I don't know. I mean, the whole thing with, with um, Professor Aaron and Snape at the end, I mean, was it so... It was really, it was overplayed, but it was good. It was, you know, chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of just humiliating Aaron over and over and over and over and over and over. But I think in the end, you had to have some type of release like that. I th- And I'll even be the first that. You know what? You needed that. I'm sorry. You cannot have Harry, you know, cutting himself and poking himself with, 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 with Hermione's, like, you know, yarn needles and not have some type of release in these chapters. Like, for, like I thought, you know, Dumbledore amused me so greatly at, in, in the latter half of this. Like, every chapter we read tonight, I was a, a huge fan of the way she wrote Dumbledore, which, if you remember, a couple episodes ago, I wasn't. I thought Dumbledore really captured, um, you know, like, the, just the jovialness of, of canon Dumbledore. I lo- Like, just, like, for, like, when Snape challenges... Professor Aaron to the duel, and Dumbledore is like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, we're gonna have a duel to the death tomorrow. Enjoy your breakfast, everybody. And just sits down, and, <laughs> like, I love the part where um, Professor Aaron comes out of the woods as he tried to escape the school and Hagrid carries him out. And he's like, it appears as though you've been fighting a large elm tree. Like, it's just, his like, I just, I cracked up, or even in the last, uh, no, it was the epilogue when he's trying to play matchmaker to, for Snape. I just, I, I just, I, I just thought he was so funny. He was like half brilliant wizard, half 83-year-old woman who's speaking with her hands. I just thought it was so... 
he was such a fun character, Dumbledore, and he was so serious at the same time, but I think you needed the Aaron moments, and you needed the Dumbledore moments, and you needed some type of comic relief. And you mm-hmm. needed... Mm-hmm. I, I, I was aiming to say release there, and that's why I paused for a moment to no, take my word. release is a good yeah. word. Comic okay. release is what I was even going for. I'm like, why is nobody saying anything? That was really... I think word. even Summer, like, Aspen realized even that these boys need a break from... from life from this and summer is is very much slow and and almost to a, a jovial i mean there's not there's the dark undertone undertones there but it, but it's light i mean she's letting them all have a break she acknowledges that this is a lot to take on this is a, a lot has happened but can we please before this night is over can we please stop and talk about the major plot point of 15 chapters, because I believe we've missed it, sure. and that's unfortunate. Uh, Goyle is dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> that's the major plot point. <laughs> now, I was talking I to Jen. It. When I read it the first time, I actually thought it said Goyle was anorexic. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I'm like, I don't remember Goyle not eating that much. He went back for a second helping. I'm like, what? <laughs> and yes, Goyle is dyslexic, and all I Picture is, wasn't that the line that Tom <laughs> Felton in Chamber of Secrets ad-libbed? I didn't know you could read. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, yeah, that is such a good good connection there, Ryan. Well, it, it, like, it, like, it, like, I, let me just say, I loved it. I thought it was great. And it, 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 at some point... I like that he's worried about yeah, Doyle getting too... Yeah, it's seen- like the Goyle's a person in this. Like, yeah. a- well, that's the thing. It seems like when most... Sometimes when people get into fan fiction. They want to fix the canon because there's parts they don't like. And Aspen didn't do that, but this is an example of what you'll sometimes find. Like, okay, Harry is now someone who, you know, is a cutter, and Harry is someone who, you know, is deeply depressed, and he's in St. Mungo's for weeks on end, and he's in the fetal position sucking his thumb. And as it turns out, you know, Goyle was dyslexic all this time, who knew? And as it turns out, you know, Dumbledore has, you know, a mood disorder of some kind, and that's why he's throwing Harry into trophy cases, and as it turns out, like, it's, it's like, the, it's, there's this... Well, I'm like, she makes the Slytherins people. Yeah, I mean, they're... They, we, yeah, they are just kids, just like the other, yeah, the yeah. others are. But that's Can I just add something here? Yeah, and I just want, just before you do, I just oh, want to say, I'm, I'm not saying that, that, that this is what Aspen did, and you're like, none of the, what the hell's the name of the damn thing? <laughs> you're like, none of the... You're like, none of by Aspen in the sunlight. But she's not doing that, but there is a, there's, sometimes you see people come in and try and mugglefy the wiz- wizarding world. I just, but in, in the context of this story, I think the fact that Goyle's not only a real person, but he's been dyslexic all this time. And if he only can, you know, get the right medication, he'd be fine. I just think that's great. Sorry, go, Mike. Actually, I'm off topic, so never mind. Oh, I'm talking, oh, oh, come Ow. on, Mike, Mike. <laughs> okay, Mike. I was just going to comment, your comment made me, I, I just watched all the Harry Potter movies. Uh-huh. I was just wondering, am I the Yay, only one thought to do Dumbledore was like really creepy? Because uh, I was thinking the Goblet of Fire scene where he like slams Harry into, into the, the trophy wall. case. Yeah, <laughs> that's like a running joke of ours. Yeah. Yes, that that mo- that was the moment that will live in infamy in terms of. Um, I Harry know. You know. And then like, I cringe. And then I realized that's actually Dumbledore. Yeah. He had well, it right. No, you know what it's like? It's like I'm a political science geek, and I was sitting in my room folding laundry about three years ago watching TV when Howard Dean on live TV did the scream 
after the Iowa caucuses, which will live on YouTube until the end of time. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about. And I, I sat th- You do or you don't? I do. Okay. Anyone who doesn't? Everyone know how we're doing the screen? No, I have no idea. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, but Chi, just real fast, what happened was Howard Dean was was the front runner for the. Democrat. Wait, what year was this? Two thousand four. Two thousand four. Okay. Howard Dean was the front runner, and he lost uh-huh. the Iowa caucus. So he walks out into the room, and he came in third, and he was supposed to win the thing in a walk. And all of the you know the, the college students who've been working for him are all depressed. So he wants to fire them up. So he's like, "We're gonna win this. We're gonna go to you know Kansas, and we're gonna go to California, and and Massachusetts, and New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and North Carolina." He's like, and he's getting very high pitched, screaming all the states they're gonna um states they're gonna go to, and unbeknownst to him on television, he looked like a crazy person, like saying what their next targets were. And he, then, <laughs> then he's screaming, and then we're going to go to Washington, D.C. and take back the White House! And then he did the following. Arr! Like, on <laughs> national television. And I'm watching this in real time with my mouth caved open, saying, his life is over. Did he know the cameras were... Because the kids in the room were like, yeah! The people at home were like, we want to give this nut nuclear launch codes? I do not think so. You ever, you, be like, did you ever hear of President Dean? <laughs> Yeah, uh, he lost. So the Democrats made him the head of their freaking party, which I thought was amusing. But so he lost. So it, <laughs> like the same moment, Mike, that we, that Harry Potter fans watched the trophy case scene. <laughs> At that moment, we all sat up and were like, "This is over." <laughs> yeah, that was that was the Howard Dean <laughs> scream moment. I was like, at that moment, I was like, I hope Dumbledore dies, if only to yeah. get to see Gambin be thrown from a thousand feet in the air. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to get up and cheer. Who's going to be with me in the movie theater? Richard. Yay! <laughs> I feel like, let's see the wave. Woo! Woo! Jen, we have to see that movie together. We've said it we're over and over and over again. We're having a summit for the next two movies. Jen, we have, say, to, we have to. Jen, how many summits have we planned? We're really going to do this one, Come though. On. All right. We're going to do it. Well, and, we're, and we're really going to your wedding. Okay. We are. You better do invites or I'll cry. Yeah. Invited. You know what? We're, we're, all just, we're just gonna invite everybody. Come on. Over. <laughs> There's gonna be an open invitation on the forum. No. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Hope you have enough food. Yeah, exactly. You coming from Utah? Oh, of course. There you go. You've been quiet tonight. What do you want to say about these chapters? Uh, I've been too quiet. Um, you haven't been too quiet. Well, you're on the phone in Utah. Come on, you're new. <laughs> That's true. No, I don't know. Um, trying to think. Sorry. Well, not a lot I happened in these chapters. That's this. completely understandable. Oh. Nothing really happened in these chapters. They of were, course not. They were I don't know. Every slow. time we would talk about not, I just kept getting that image of him telling Iran that he was, or was it screaming, you're ridiculous, Adam? Did you're, you catch that part? What part was it? It was where they, um, Iran was uh, testing them on the ridiculous spell. Oh, and he's yelling, you're ridiculous, you're ridiculous, you're ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes me laugh every time. Yeah, I mean, and I won't, <laughs> and I won't lie, my, my, my computer didn't read it to me correctly, so I didn't get the <laughs> year, and I had no idea what the hell the joke was until I got home and read it again. Sometimes it happens. <laughs> I'm a very busy person on a schedule. I want, I want to read one of my favorite quotes out of these chapters. Okay. It's the end of 87, and it's where Snape is talking to Harry about the saving people impulse. Okay. And he says, you've been led to believe that you are the savior of the wizarding world. Let me assure you that you are not. You may be destined to face down Voldemort, but every human being is responsible for saving himself. 
Sometimes that's re- that requires sacrifice, but you are no one's guardian, Harry. It is not your place to take that choice away from anybody. And then he says, Snape's dark eyes were sympathetic, yet resolute, which I think is absolutely perfect. Nor, Harry, is it your right to do so. I'm like, how many times in canon did I want somebody to tell Harry that? Yeah. And I was so happy that, that he, he said it. And I love that she, the, the, I sometimes her descriptive words to me are so dead on. They were sympathetic yet resolute. Like he had to, I mean, somebody had to say it to Harry. That's one of my well, favorite lines. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, you see the same types of stories running over and over. And the, and the theme that you see repeated over and over again is, Harry doing this himself because this is his mission versus his friends who want to be there because we're all in this together and blah, 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 blah. But it's, I, that is a great way to put it. The fact that this is, we're in this, we're fighting this war. The fact that some prophecy involves you in a meaningful way does not mean that this is a fight that we would otherwise sit out. And you, Harry, have no right to force us to sit it out. And that really turns the tables back on Harry, because Harry is always the person who wants more access. He wants to be involved in the decision-making process. He wants to be... T- How often are we saying, if you just told Harry what was going on, none of this would have happened? He wants to be a player. He wants involvement. And you saw way, way, way back earlier in the story, he wanted involvement. So find Snape forces him into the into the pensive to see, you know, essentially a muggle born family be, you know, murdered and gang raped and all of this awful stuff. Because <laughs> you, you want to be involved, you're damn it you're gonna be involved up to your neck. I mean that's there's no half in, there's no half out. You can't be a little kid. You either want or you don't. If Harry has decided that he's gonna be involved, he has no right to then take that decision away from other people. I just thought that was a great, fabulous way of putting it. And towards that end, Jen, I have an equally strong and and, and, and just wonderfully succinct quote, which I think captures the story very well, which I would like to share with you all. (laughs) Steak and chips with lots of ketchup slathered over the top of both. Draco called it a travesty of a fine cut of meat. Harry told him to shut up and eat his snails. (laughs) (laughs) that was some great writing that's that's my life that is every day of my life i was actually sending my favorite um quotes of this to jen tonight as i was reading and jen thought i was trying to like you know there was some hidden message in the quote so unfortunately poor jen um, i was just like what what because he just started randomly sending me quotes and i'm like what what are you trying to tell me that you're hungry? My, my my other point was when Drake <laughs> when Draco wanted to take Harry's quills away from him because they were sharp. Even though in chapter two Harry sh- actually stabbed a hole through his hand with a quill, so you know there's been some. Precedent. I can't believe he used a knitting needle. <laughs> Can I tell you, I, I I was getting nervous that we would have such repetition of Harry snuck off and poked himself in the hand. Harry snuck off and poked himself in the wrist. Harry snuck off and poked Like, it was so much. It was so graphic. I just, like, part of me just wanted to get to the point, get to the resolution. So at least when he grabbed that needle, and I'm not going to lie to you, I'm listening on my iPod today. I actually pulled up the story on my computer and I actually scanned down. I, like, I didn't want to hear every word of it. And I actually jumped down because I was afraid he would, like, open a vein and need to scream for helpers. I know what was going to happen. <laughs> but I actually, but I was like that. You're on pins and needles. No pun intended. intended. But I was looking for the point where at least <laughs> there would be like, okay, there's no way this can happen without something shifting the story. But 
that I thought was great. I'm looking through the other ones. Here. So, so Draco is trying to take away all of Harry's quills, and he, he's arguing with Harry, and Snape's in the room as well, and Draco says, the other one's got a sharp point. And Harry says, so does my quill when it's in good shape. Snape cleared his throat. Draco, your interest in your brother's welfare is laudable, but I don't think Harry's compulsion is quite that generalized. All I can picture is Harry's step. Like, when you do, like, you know, the, like, like, you know, like, you know, remember when you're in, you're, you're in like eighth grade and you're dancing and it's the slow song at the end of, of the eighth grade dance and you think these people are going to, you know, go far away and you'll never see them again, even though you all live in the same town. And you're, and, and what the hell's the, uh, like, the, what's the song you dance to? I'll remember you. Um, who's saying that? Um, is it? Celine Dion, what's the verse? I was, is it, I, I'll remember you. Will you remember me? That song? Like, picture that music and picture. Oh, no, Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah, and uh, picture I that. Picture that music. Picture that music and picture, you know, the, the Harry and Snape montage. Of all of their greatest hits. And picture <laughs> in the very beginning, like Harry smiling, Snape smiling, Wizard Scrabble. And then picture Harry stabbing his hand with a quill and it goes straight through the other side. Like, that's all I could picture in that scene. Um, <laughs> there, actually, on Aspen's site, uh-huh. there are some really interesting um, music videos that people have put together of different clips of the movies to uh, explain the storyline. They put it to music. Oh, really? Uh, uh, uh huh. It's another, on you know. Oh, I should look that up after this. That sounds great. Yeah, but, but my <laughs> other, but my other favorite moment, I just do want to point out real fast, is Snape coming, you know, out of his quarters, and he has, you know, a, you know, a new jumper for Harry that's a little bit too big, and I, I forget the exact line, but he's like oh, Molly, Mo- Mo- Molly Weasley. I believe I'm on her Christmas list for life now. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever gets off this list once you're targeted. You're gonna get a jumper every year. And nobody wants. And Harry's like, Aww. I have a wonderful I collection. Want one. Let's jump around and just say like some scenes from these chapters. One scene I just want to talk about real fast is I love the Quidditch match. Not like the Quidditch match itself because it was insanely boring, but I just love the way it's described. Malfoy is gonna keep this match going until they get a, a thousand points to make up for the thousand points that Snape took away from not. In, in oh, oh, yeah! I, I love just, the match. I just thought that was hilarious. It got so freaking boring that, like, you know, the Hufflepuff <laughs> play, like, the, the, they weren't even looking for the snitch anymore, and they were, like, doing homework, and yeah, Dumbledore, like, prevents the catastrophe by getting everyone their food delivered to their seats, and, you know, like, Draco's eating with his family in the middle of the match, and, like, <laughs> the, like, the announcer even stopped announcing when, like, when Slytherin was getting points because they got like one, th- it was like one thousand to one fifty, and it was like I just love the way that match was described. It was the most tedious affair. Like Ron got so bored, he read his history of magic book over Hermione's shoulder. Like it was just, I just thought that was just. I inc- love it. And the way it was described was so funny because no one ever thought maybe we should leave. It's boring because like if I'm in a Red Sox game and it's three o'clock in the morning, I'm probably gonna leave. And the, like we have to stay here until it's over. <laughs> it's like the next day. And, and the <laughs> Birds the Red Sox fans aren't real fans. Oh, don't even. Oh, um, yeah, Mike, we're it, having trouble it. hearing you. Mike, are you there? No, just kidding. But um, <laughs> I'm having flashbacks to last night. Uh, I know last night. Special was, edition seven, everybody. We had some technical issues. Yeah, we had some issues. All of the technical men suddenly right? couldn't be heard. It was it was shocking. It was it was it was very traumatic, wasn't it, Jen? We just didn't know what to do with ourselves. I know. I we just had to talk about. 
We just had to talk about smut. There was no getting around it. Oh, God. All right. Um, Hey, guys. Hey, Hey, just for a moment, guys. I actually have to step away for a moment. But since I talk over everybody on this podcast and don't give anyone else a chance to speak, I am giving you three minutes of Ryan-free conversation. Take it away about a year like none other. Okay. You're like, Thank no, no, no. God, he's gone. Really... <laughs> <laughs> Aww, Let's talk about Huggles. No. <laughs> oh, I okay. love that name for him. Okay. Kara, what is, you have been kind of quiet. What is some of your favorite or, or things that you have thoughts of about these chapters? You know, my favorite lighthearted moments, I guess. Well, relatively lighthearted moments. Um, I think it's the last class that Harry and Draco have with uh, the Professor Aran, and they have to write the test and the paragraph about. Oh my God! I about died. (laughs) I totally copied that paragraph. It made me laugh so hard. Chick, can you read that paragraph? That is just too funny not to. Uh, uh, I think uh, Eric can do it because she has it up. Oh, do you have it? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I thought, for some reason, I thought she was outside in the back of a pickup truck again or something. I forgot. <laughs> You're not <laughs> your cell phone. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. Read. Um, so, Kay and I are called that because they come in cans, he'd written. The hardest part of the spell is actually the can opening phase. Many wizards over the years have died horrible, messy deaths when resentful canine got trapped for too long in their magical cans. Eventually, the dogs break free, see? And when they do, they're really, really upset. <laughs> and that's, I don't know, that just made me laugh. I love how he just didn't even care <laughs> at that point. I know. I love, I laugh that part and and yet you know that it's wrong and bad and yet you can't help but go but I love that Drew Gray goes like what are cans like what's the point I don't get it <laughs> I love when Drake <laughs> doesn't get the muggle references like the the promise that like, Harry makes of the I think yeah I think the, the stick the stick the I promise stick a needle in my what is that one how does it go cross my heart uh, I cross, cross my heart sorry Stick a needle, 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 needle in my eye. And Drake was like, how can you even say that? <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, fun. my goodness. I like when he's um, he's going, he's trying to fill out the test, and I'm not really sure what chapter this is in. They have to write the questions out. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, uh, is the reason you're not married because nobody is willing to, like, roll you down the stairs every morning? It's just, like, so funny. It's the kind of things that, like, I've thought in classes <laughs> and like have passed notes about, but have never like I can't imagine actually turning that in. I was having fits. I thought, oh, I know. So- I can't believe she he turned it in. I know. That's really brave. He's really. I don't remember. Did Snape ever end up seeing it? Oh yeah, he sees. Oh yeah. The- I just, oh I yeah, he brings it up. Time, but- yeah. Doesn't he bring it up that he's read it and he? He does. He starts reading the can one out loud to him. It's like, are you having any trouble with your defense against the dark arts? And he's like, no, no, I'm not. It's like, maybe explain this answer to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was confused. No. <laughs> um, I like when I Draco Aaron. and Harry hug. Oh, which the hug when, uh, after the... Yeah, after the self-harm bit, Draco's like, it's going to be all right, Harry. 
and they hug me, pat Harry on the back. I know. I actually, I thought that was a little bit over the top. I don't think that really? does Aspen have brothers because I don't know. <laughs> well, normally you never. Like, that was a pretty serious moment. I mean, okay, but seriously, it was a big step for Draco. I was like, okay, Yay, Draco. Seriously, like, I my brother. It was okay when my brother found out I had depression. Okay. First of all, nobody had told him, so he was kind of pissed. Secondly, he pats me on the shoulder and he goes, well, are you going to be okay? And I was like, I think so. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'm going to go play text twist. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also just, you know, case to case kind of thing too. That's, true, I mean, I have but... four brothers and they're all different and, you know, some of them would give you a hug after that and some of them would just be like, whatever, I don't care. You know, yeah. so. <laughs> well, I mean, it's yeah. not that he's what. It's not that he's whatever. I don't care. It's just that he's not really sure how to handle. Right, right. My brother's very I much the boys are stereotypical man. I think boys are different with other boys than they are with boys with girls. Yeah, but you I've know, definitely I, noticed. What do you mean by that exactly? Well, like if a girl is crying and and their friends and or even going out or anything, a boy. Would hug her or hold her or do something to help her. If a try guy, to stop the tears, desperately yeah, try to if stop a guy the tears. If crying next to a guy, you know, it may be like a, a punch in the shoulder or come on, you know, or he'll just sit there with them quietly. Like I don't think I don't think boys and boys share as much physical. I don't know. The, at least the boys that I've seen, it's unmanly to show physical compassion or something to another man without, the, you know, without the undertones of it being gay or that kind yeah. of thing. I agree. I, I think it might be a little regular. different within family. I, I agree with you 100% for like, I, I would never hug a male friend of mine, to be honest. I can't imagine a scenario. <laughs> <I> really? <laughs> to, be, yeah, to be quite honest, I, I, I just can't imagine a scenario where I'm hugging some random male friend of mine. <laughs> wow. James just has like, yeah. Man hug where you like pound the other guy's back from like yeah. pound, and then Zach it's like does that thing with. where they like shake hands and then pound each other on the back and pull. That, yeah, that, 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 that that's man hugging. <laughs> <laughs> that I've done, but I can't imagine it's like a like a regular hug kind of thing to a friend. But see, I've never had brothers, or and I've not been around brothers really, I've so I brother. can't give an opinion on if if brothers. I know that sisters. Um, I know I have a sister, and I know that Harry and Draco act very much like me and my sister would. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, so I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't know. You know if it's I, well, because I mean, my brothers—they have more brothers than they do sisters. Because I'm the only girl, and so I see them interacting more with each other than you know with me. And so, just from observing, just you know, them—they're all so vastly different. You know, I mean, I can. Some of them would do something like that, you know, like I said before, and it wouldn't be like all simpering and like, oh, everything's going to be all right. But I mean, you know, if a hug's needed, a hug's needed, and there's no shame in hugging your brother, whether he be your younger brother no, or no, your no. older brother. I didn't, there's you know. no shame at all. There's I no just, shame in it. I'm just saying, I'm not really sure. Draco has never had a brother, whatever. That's true. Or, you know, yeah. shame. Harry's had Ron, though. Have they ever hugged? In canon, uh, did Ron ever hug Harry? I'm sure uh, that they did. I just can't recall. They th- they they, yeah, they're thumpers. They're thumpers, yeah. But most, I, like, British men are that way. <laughs> I mean, British, British men, 
British men are even much... Every man. Well, I mean, but British men tend to be a lot more, this is my personal space, and this is your personal space. Like, they're not really? as touchy-feely. the British feely are a lot more touchy-feely than Americans were. I mean, if that, if we're going on that... I did a study in college, and we had to do, like, the different social compatibilities with people. Like, they, we really were saying, like, the people, like, there was some people in Africa, or was it Chinese? I can't remember, but they liked, like, a three-foot distance between the per that's their comfort space yeah their comfort circle is what they call it well and yeah like, it's we have so much space in america but in europe they don't have as much you know there's I like thought they were more touchy-feely so i don't know i, I know, know. That, the, that we were doing mexico and like they they could be very close like proximity like they're comfortable talking to you like, at closer to your face than like normal Americans, or I don't know. It was just a really interesting study to see the different. In Hang on, I'm back, everybody. Chi, are you saying the people in Europe stand closer together because the landmass is smaller? <laughs> well, that's, that's what the theory is. She's okay, right. The theory is here's the theory, okay? And this is what I'm I'm talking about from like sociology and things like that that I've taken is that because like especially if you go over to Asia or the um, urban centers in Europe. You know, like, if anytime you walk down a street, it's not like in America where, okay, if you're walking down the street in good old Gardner, Kansas, right, and you're walking next to your best friend, there's always, like, six inches between you, right? So you have room to, like, swing your arms and gesture wildly <laughs> with your hands. Uh -huh. And then if somebody approaches you, you know, you give them the berth. You know, you, you, you know, give them at least two feet to pass. There's a on either side zone. of you. There's a comfort zone. Whereas in Europe, they just don't have the space for that in the urban cities because there's so many people in such a compact, you know, space. that They don't have oh. that, you know, that they're more comfortable with being close. They're more was, comfortable because of that. Today. I don't know. Oh, Ryan, you grew up in the city. Did you ever play the game when you were a kid? I know me and my friends used to do this all the time in the city where you walk in a straight line down the street and you don't step aside for other people and you see... Kind of play chicken with them, and you see when they jump. I ha I actually do that like in the present day. I actually do do that now. <laughs> like I did, yeah, really? I yeah I did that last Saturday, I believe. You know what I am? It's like you know how old people, you know how old people get in their cars and they just back out onto busy streets without looking because they don't give a damn. Right. Yeah, I'm kind. I'm I'm kind of like that now, just in the way I walk. That's kind of like that's kind of like me. I'm just throwing that out there for consideration. I just do want to say one thing though, because I I believe I overheard while I was gone the man hug debate, the great man hug debate. The man hug, oh good. And one thing to consider, like Meg, are you back? Hi. Hey Meg, how are Hi, you? Meg. Good. Meg has chimed in for this important discussion of man hugging. Now Meg, you have you have you have two you have two sons. Now they are like a year and a few months apart. Yep. Now, I just have mm -hmm. to say, you know, you must have had a fun couple of years. All right. So you have yeah. two sons very close together in age. So they are going to grow up, and they are probably going to scream at each other, and they are probably going to throw things at each other, and they're probably going to light your house on fire, and your hair will be white <laughs> within 10 years, correct? Probably. Okay. Now, I, just, I want you to feel good about this, man. My goal here is not to depress you. I want you to feel good about this. I'm like, yes. <laughs> All right. Now, like I was saying earlier, you know, growing up, they're going to be, you know, fighting, arguing when they're much older. You know, when you're in the home, they're probably going to be more civil towards each other. But, you know, they're, they're, they live their entire lives with each other. I think it's different that Draco 
and Harry came together as 16-year-olds. And that, you know, the fact that, you know, he has a different relationship with Draco than he will with Ron, because he and Ron grew up together. Whereas Draco and Harry kind of were thrust together in, in the last few months. So their interactions, just as their interactions with their father, Snape, are going to be just, you know, weird from the norm just because of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. This is my thought. Now, talk to us, Meg, about Ron. <laughs> what have you guys talked about so far? We have, we have talked about why Star Trek Voyager is a terrible TV show. Jen has commented... Four uh-uh. times on her thoughts on Draco's betrayal. Four times. I have? Well, we asked you four times. You only answered once. Oh, um, okay. Sorry. Yes. Well, tell uh, me what you guys all thought of Ron in these last No, chapters. No, no, Meg. I'm sorry. That's not how this works. <laughs> I just want to... I really want to know. I just want to see... We'll tell... We asked you first. In what, in what regards? Just the character of... I mean... I'm, I'm joking. We haven't discussed him yet, really. So anything. Yeah, we well, I'm, I'm just joking. I mean, you're you're you the official president of the Ron Weasley fan club, so it seems a natural character. That's true. Self appointed president. Yeah. Talk to us about Ron and this fic. Like, what were your thoughts? Like, you you hinted last week that you weren't the biggest fan of it because you thought it was more one or two dimensional. I mean, well, I'm not really a fan of. Um, fanfic Ron anyway, with maybe the exception of him in After the End, because he's almost better in that than in canon, but, which is, you know, hard for me to admit, but there you are. Um, so I probably would still agree with that. I don't know, he's not really that much of a major player in this fic, really. I saw him as, a, as an interesting, like, almost like a barometer, because in, in, as we, like, close down the podcast tonight, um, um, <laughs> As we get near the end of this tonight, let's um, move this towards the discussion of the entire fic itself, because we're wi- we're going to have an interview with Aspen in a few minutes, but we're going to wind down um, our discussion of, of a year like none other. When we started this fic, my, this is the, I had never read anything like this before. I am a canon dweeb. Um, you know, if, I'm always saying, well, this never happened in the canon. This is probably going to be what happened. Like, I, like I'm of the, I, I came into this of that mindset. I was very open to liking this fic. I didn't know if I would. Jen and I exchanged frantic emails with a friend. Like it, they'll be, this will be morbid. I'll have to change my name. You can't do this to me. It's only 96 chapters. Can you read it in an hour and let me know what you think? It was all. So, I mean, like, this is like the big question mark. How would I take a fic like this, you know, weeks ago? And I laid out, you know, what I said needed to happen in the beginning. It needs to take me from A to B. It needs to prove to me why it's doing certain things. And it needs, like, you need to teach me why Snape is a great parent for Harry. And I had certainly many issues with it along the way, but at the end, I'm very happy with it. I'm glad I read this fic. I really enjoyed this discussion. I don't think there's any way it could have been seamless. And I certainly think that we will not find many authors who put the level of detail into it that Aspen put. But the character of Ron, to me, was a barometer along the way. If Ron responded angrily, that's how he should respond. And, like, Ron almost played, in my mind, the character... Like, like, picture your typical Harry Potter fan who reads the books watches the movies, isn't in the fandom, you know, knows the characters, likes the story, but isn't, is like an much of an uber geek as we are. That's kind of like the character of Ron here. 
in Hermione to the to an extent as well. So that when when Ron is told, you know, Snape, you know, has adopted Harry, Ron's like, What? Because that's what a traditional fan would say. And along the way, the way he responds to it, if done well, I think shows the level of realism Aspen put into the plot. So at the end of the story, and one thing I just want to comment on is at the end of the story, you have you know, Hermione and Draco are making, or were they making sorbet? I can't remember. They're, they're, gelato. Hmm. gelato. Were they making gelato? I can't, they weren't making ice cream. <laughs> Probably. That sounds sort of Jen, like the hoity-toity Draco of this fic. I guess. Oh my gosh, I don't know the details. Chi, do you remember? Um, do I remember? I'm having trouble remembering. Sometimes I like yeah. to ask pop questions in the middle of a sentence to see how many <laughs> people like, have uh... left. Sure. <laughs> I get a busy signal from Chi. Mike's not here. Jen's I'm back. What are we trying to remember? I'm what? searching frantically. Draco what Draco and, and Hermione. And Hermione made what? What type of ice cream? Oh, lemon lime gelato. Gelato, thank you. I mean, you have job, you have you have Hermione, you know, to the ring Goyle, and you have Draco. Like, like the like the scene that really made the whole journey worth it was I loved the 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 end of semester scene. I loved you know, you know, I have a few house points to award. I thought it was great. It's like you know, you know, Hermione gets a hundred points for discovering dyslexia. And some random Gryffindor got five points for doing something ridiculous. And, like, this Hufflepuff got 20 points for, you know, helping the old lady across the street. Like, ridiculous stuff we never see. And then, you know, Draco gets 150 points for, you know, this fixed equivalent of outstanding courage. And he wins the House Cup. And it's the mirror image of Philosopher's Stone. And I love it. It's like It's like Hermione and Ron go over to congratulate him. And he is himself, he is snarky, but he is accepting of that. And it just, the whole thing is, and, and they walk out of the Great Hall, you know, at some points later in the fic, and they're all kind of like walking with each other, and they're arguing, but they're laughing at the same time, and it, the fic convinced me that you can take these characters and make them allies, and you can make them friends, and that to me was worth it, and I don't think it could have been possible if Ron didn't have huge issues with it, if Ron wasn't annoying, and if Hermione wasn't calling DSS, and a lot of, I mean, you needed to have that in there. So, my conclusion on A Year Like None Other, as we go into the Aspen interview, is I'm really glad I read it. I'm hoping that when I read my first Harry Hermione fic, I will have, you know, as good of a time reading it, and you know, as good of a reaction to it being not the, the normal thing I tend to read. Um, I, I'm pleased. I think there were certainly some things that I don't think re, react like I reacted to the way she hoped. I'm not her, the reader she's probably going after. I mean, she probably doesn't care what I particularly think because she's writing for a lot of people. I think there's readers out there who would respond to the same scene and say it was too weak as opposed to, to over the top. So I, I don't know. But I definitely think it was it was definitely worth it, and Jen gets all the credit for that, because she's the one who asked us to do it, so. Thanks, and she did. Jen bribed me. <laughs> I'm just happy that I'm just happy that we that you got through it. Yay! <laughs> Ryan survived a year like none other. Yay! <laughs> Well, because way back when, when Ryan and Jen first met, we did a fake exchange thing. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I I made I made Jen. Oh no, that's right. It was um, it was Psychic Serpent, right? 
Yeah, it was Barb's trilogy. <laughs> I hadn't read it, and he I, he would read this story. Yeah, the fic. Just sort of point this out. The fic exchange was like February fifteenth. Jen read the thing in three days. I finished a year like none other four hours ago. <laughs> so just to point out how well I can be trusted. I'm so giddy that we finally have reached this moment. I feel like we need to commemorate somehow. Can, can, oh, forget can it. it. <laughs> you can't say it. We can't do it. <laughs> but I'm very excited. I'm so excited that we got to do this big and that I'm just so pleased that everyone didn't come out of it going, Jen, oh my God. <laughs> well, no, in fairness, I mean, in fairness, there. Like, there's some people who can't do it. I mean, there's noticeably, there's some people who are part of the show who haven't been in these episodes. I mean, Rinna just isn't a fan of the story. Some other members, just, they're, they're not fans, but that's okay. I mean, you, like, if you give me a Draco Hermione fic, I may love it or I may hate it, depending on who writes it and just what I think of it. I mean, there's some things you just can't do. You can't, some people just can't buy into certain things, and that's fine, but I think that for those of you who, who can buy into Snape Adopts Harry, there's a lot to appreciate about this story. I mean, I think if Aspen wrote, um, you know, a Harry Ginny fic, I think a lot of the people who maybe no- didn't like this story would love it. I mean, it, it, it all just comes down to to personal preference. I mean, I had difficulty with, with the SI scenes tonight, but my reason was maybe that just wasn't what I felt like reading today. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, uh, a lot of his preference. And the author can't go by that. I... I think it was an interesting journey we took as a podcast. Um, kind of a, it was the first story of this sort that I've ever read. Um, and, and made it all the way through. I enjoyed it. I thought it was very well written. Um, you know, it, it's still, I mean, I'm still going to always prefer the, you know, angsty romantic stories because that's just me. But I mean, there was a lot of, really good stuff in the story and it kind of interestingly paralleled my life at some time <laughs> at some points so um it was you know i thought that how I think was that for you that, how was that for you how was like, oh like uh, you're like you're going through it as you're reading it like was it healing was it helpful was it last night was hard i knew if i was going to if I was going to read it all, I had to read it all in one go because I knew it was coming up. And, um, I, I mean, I mentioned it before, but, um, my best friend in high school, um, it was a cutter and, um, I almost, I almost lost her to depression and to, to self-injury. And, um, my, my depression had not chosen to take that course. But I can understand the thinking in it because you get so frustrated with being unable to feel anything. You know, be, feeling apathetic is the worst feeling in the world because you really should be able to feel something, you know, and um, in almost any given situation. I don't like being somebody, you know, I don't like for Ryan to ask me a question like, Chi, what do you think about this? And me go, eh. <laughs> you know, like not even being able to articulate anything that I'm feeling because I'm not feeling anything. And so I understand the desperation and wanting to get out of that cycle. And um, so that was that was personally very hard for me to get through last night. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the, the cycle of it is so very real. 
And do you find it could be helpful for some people who are maybe in that? I mean, I know this, your, your depression obviously didn't take that route, but Mm -hmm. it, it just, it seems like it's so realistic that anyone reading it who knows someone who's gone through that or has gone through that or is going through that, you know, like it has to jump out at them. And, and the reason I'm asking this question is I know Jen said when she was misdiagnosed with cancer a couple of weeks ago, she went to read, she wanted to read healing fix. She wanted to read, she wanted to find, you know, like hope from mm-hmm. fan fiction. And unfortunately she read all the ones where Harry died. So that, that plan was, you know, unsuccessful, but uh-huh. yeah, Jen, I wish we could have helped you. But, um, I mean, that's just, I'm just curious. I mean, is it helpful or is it, is that well, well, Jen, like that Jen, you too? Do do you think it can be helpful, or do you think it can be? I think it um, depends on your point of view and your mindset at the time. Really. Well, I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot to be said of the fact that a majority. I, I'll even go so far as to say a majority. I think um, a lot of fix deal with present day problems: raping, kidnapping, SI, abuse of some kind, whether it be physical where the Dursleys are horribly physically violent or mentally and emotionally and and Harry's struggle. I think, I think it does help readers. I think it helps. I think that's the same with anybody reading poetry or, or, or real fiction or, or self-help books, anything where, where something can be explained in a sense where you can relate to it on a personal level, I think it's worth writing and reading about. I, I personally look forward for that kind of thing. I think some things that are personally difficult for us to read, maybe that's not what we look for very much. Yeah. Um, if things are too, if it's too soon, if they're too, if it's still too raw to deal with, those aren't the things that you particularly look for. But I think, I think writing is an ex- extremely expressive and creative way to express you're getting your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions down on paper and putting it into these characters that you love so much and what in helping them deal with it. I think sometimes it helps yourself. And I do think, I do truly believe that it does. There are stories out there that do help people. I think this is a great story for anyone who is dealing with family problems or dealing with an emotional, emotional things that you can't comprehend or understand or even get your head around it at times. That, that stories like this I find are encouraging. It's hopeful. Yeah, Harry, you know, like if like literally this is an extreme case, but for a kid who's being literally crucified with thousands of needles in his body, or for, you know, someone who's being abused by his father, you know, who who is in like the rich, you know, your regal lifestyle, you know, who 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 is trapped and, and, and wants a family more like the Weasleys or wants someone to just love him and not have to worry about money or power or status. I mean, there it, it's hopeful. I mean, it shows that you like each of the three men in the story, you know, Harry Snape and Draco, they come from a crappy place and they find each other. And that's even if you don't like the fact that Snape should be portrayed that way, or even if you think that Draco is a little ass, you can at least look at the, the story that Aston wanted to write, which was three people with crappy lives coming together and finding each other. Call one of them Harry and call one of them Draco if you want, if that helps you, you know, 
be drawn into the story more, but it's still a hopeful story. I mean, it's like, for those of you, it's like Battlestar Galactica, the pilot movie. You have a woman who, at te- very successful, you know, government official, 10 a.m. in the morning, she's diagnosed. You have terminal cancer, you have a year to live, and you're going to die. And she, you know, she has to go to work that day. And how, my God, like, how do you focus on anything after hearing that? And then, you know, at three in the afternoon, there is a nuclear holocaust and, you know, the entire world is destroyed and all of a sudden she's now the president and you have to deal with, you know, all of these people who have died and saving the people who lived and you have all of these inhumane, you know, decisions that you never thought you'd have to make and all you can think of is I have cancer and I'm going to die. I mean, but the fact that that character is able to, to deal with that gives you hope that even if you have cancer, like it's an absurd thought, but even if you find out you have this, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You may live longer than anyone. I mean, look at Jen. I mean, Jen, you know, <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, we all got together. <laughs> do this. <laughs> no, we all got together and we're like, and, we're, and, and, we, and we thought that, you know, it was a very hopeless situation and then all of a sudden the next day, you never freaking know what's going to happen when your phone rings and you find out it was all a mistake. I mean, That's for sure. You, you never know. You, you never know. So you can't lose. And I, I'm commit, I have told Jen many times, she is going to outlive me by many, many freaking years. And <laughs> Jen, Jen and I have actually formed a pact. Whichever one of us outlives the other needs to attend the other's funeral and actually play Potterfic Weekly blooper reels at the other. <laughs> and, 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 the, and the survivor gets to choose the clips. Is the is the is the is the, is the, is the gang we're gonna play? So if, yeah, if, the survivor gets to. Well, then you know Jen's gonna outlive you. Oh, if, if Jen, all I can tell you is she's just determined. If you were concerned for, about your reputation, you had better go last. That's all I can tell you. Because if you go first, it's not gonna be pretty. <laughs> Right, the best of Jen. This is when Jen was attacked, but you're going to love this one. <laughs> right, uh, let's this is when Jen was podcasting in a tornado. <laughs> Jen was, yeah. Oh, Lady Chi, you better seriously outlive. Like, this is Lady Chi hanging onto a lazy boy dry heaving. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> special edition no. seven. Look it up. Right. Oh, goodness. Or, we're doing dry yeah. heaving on, on Aspen's Poor Podcast here. Um, oh, no. <laughs> Kira, 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 Meg, and, uh, and Mike. Final thoughts. You're like none other. Final thoughts. Um, overall, since you guys already hit on a lot of points, I wanted to also point out that uh, I like how this story, you know, kind of shows you that it's okay to express your feelings and it's okay to admit when you need help and it's okay to think that you're a little crazy because maybe you are, maybe you aren't, you know, and bad things are going to happen to anyone, to good people, to bad people. But everyone can overcome that, you know, and your worst enemy could, you know, one day become the person you're most dependent upon, the person you love the most. You just have to give them a chance. You know, I mean, it took her, you know, almost a hundred chapters to show that it was perfect pacing in my opinion, even, you know, the slow parts and, perfect pacing and you know she took her time and she created such an incredible intense world that I don't think anyone knew it was coming to them when they first start you know when they first picked up this story and you know the first couple of chapters you know they're on the shorter side you know maybe you're a little you're questioning it a little bit but once you you know invested a little bit of time in it you started to realize that, you know, you were getting yourself into something that was really incredible. And you, even if you disagreed with, you know, bits and pieces of it, you knew that if you kept going that you were go- something was going to work itself out. And 
I don't know. I mean, cause you know, this is only my second time being on the show, but from listening to past episodes, it was very clear when, you know, people thought that there's something off or there's something wrong, but mm-hmm. you guys knew even at that time that something was going to happen and your mind was going to be changed. And I think that's, you know, as she was writing, I don't know if that was her intention or not, but the fact that it happened proves that, she, you know, she did something right. <laughs> yeah. I, but, mean, I mean, it's, and I said this a few weeks ago, it's like, for example, if you know two brilliant people with like gray matter leaking out of their ears, they're so freaking brilliant. And they <laughs> both disagree with each other passionately about, you know, an issue of the day, you know, death penalty or whatever. You can have people who strongly, you know, may disagree on, you know, the, the, the role of Snape or the role of Harry or the other way you write these things. But I, you really can't say that even people who disagree with, with, with what Aspen writes, you can't come into it saying it's not well planned or that it's thrown together or that, you know, it's completely unrealistic because it's not, I mean, you may not like it. Like I may have had bad cheese today and not have been up for you know <laughs> listening to like, you know, the, the topic of the final chapters. But I mean, somebody's gonna it. get fed up with us and eventually send us good cheese. You yes, realize that. I, I, seriously, people, what do you I want? Have cheese. My birthday is coming up in January. What kind of hints do you people want? <laughs> but, you know, From the land of the cheese. Yeah, but it's it's honestly you can't. There, even those who. From everyone who loves the story to those who don't, there's certain things you just can't say about it. And for a story that, you know, based on just what it's about, the fact that it probably, just the the one-liner probably instantly turns off so much of the fandom until they really think about it and sit down and read it. It's tough. It's it's advertising. You're. This is like the, the. It's like the politician who gets up, who says, "I'm going to raise your taxes if you elect me." But hear me out. <laughs> it's it's hard to do that, and then have people listen to you're from Utah. You hate you people hate that there. But it's like you have to. You know, <laughs> it, it's tough. I mean, it's easy to write. Oh, here's a Harry Ginny fic. It's just like can I know it's wonderful. Go read it, and people will probably flock to it. You know, it's hard to be different. That's just my take there. Okay. Um. I'm glad I read it because I've never read anything like this before. I've always, well, actually, <laughs> when I started reading A Year Like Another, I'd never read anything like this before. <laughs> but in the course of talking with Jen, I've read some really weird stuff now. So <laughs> since then, I have changed. I, just have, I know. Then I read Snape Hermione fix, and there you are. I, 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 <laughs> but, I know this isn't like the. This isn't. But it's not a- Thing? No, it's not. Like everybody's it's... like, yeah, and Jen. Mm-hmm. No, this isn't. Like, I know this isn't no, 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 Jen's no, annual like roast, but every I call my girlfriend all the time now, and ever since I met Jen and she met Jen, I'm always like, hey, how much up? Oh, yeah, I'm just reading smut. What's up with you? So just throwing that out there. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, Ryan, have you had a chance to listen to Tuesday's episode? I have not yet had a chance to listen to Special Edition Number Seven. I will be doing that tomorrow. <laughs> Oh my goodness! For a treat. <laughs> Mention, I, uh, hold on, hold on. We're not like make up the hook. Okay, so I am. I'm happy. I read the fic. I have to say, I will probably never read a Snape adopting Harry fic again because I just don't like them. But <laughs> yeah, that's, fair. that's fair. I'm. But as far as for something where I was really dead set against the premise to begin with, I. I think that she did a good job with it as best as could possibly be done. And I certainly understand why so many people love it. Like, I just don't. 
Is that bad? No, it's not bad. No, I mean, that, I feel bad. I no, just... let's no, let's be fair here. I mean, but and that's the thing we always say in this. We we thank the authors for being so great and letting us, you know, like like it, it's it's tough. It's like some people don't right. like to read small complaints, and we're up here for thirty seven hours, you know, with a lot of complaints. But it's, I mean, some people don't like American cars, and that's okay. You can have a really great American car, which is probably the only American car you would ever think of driving, but you may just not be a fan. I mean, you, right. the premise and is the premise is the premise, and she can't make Snape and Cannon a better guy. And she, I mean, she did the best job that she could with this. And some people think it's the best fic ever. Some people thought it was incredibly moving. Some people thought, you know, it just, you know, it, it was well written, but I just can't buy into it. And that's fine. I mean, it's just the category I would file myself under because I like, I think the writing is excellent. So, I think, you know, yeah, as not, it, there's not much. <laughs> no, I, and I think it's great that you're. I like, feel like I I don't want to say it's not you, it's me, but that's <laughs> how I feel. <laughs> that's that's totally cool. That's totally cool. I mean, one thing I, one thing I'll say is this: I think what I said earlier today was very apt when I said that this is a story about three people who find each other in late in life after having extraordinary challenges in their lives. I think it's a different way of reimagining the Harry Potter universe and using the same characters but telling a completely different story and that's not everybody's thing. I mean, granted, the fact that you love, you know, Draco Hermione at the same time means that you're a deeply troubled person and you need therapy, but <laughs> I mean, we'll get to that later, but I, right. yeah, that, that's, that's, that's totally fair. Well, I mean, but honestly, it's opened my eyes to reading some other different things and it's not as though I won't read anything that's non-canon now. It's just that particular premise is not something I can buy into. I don't think it has anything to do with... You see what I'm saying? I don't yeah. think it's anything that could ever be changed. It does, and we love the fact that you're from Wisconsin <laughs> and that you're apologizing for not liking somebody else's car. <laughs> saying! <laughs> I don't love it. Do you hate me? I don't love this. No, well, that said, I don't no, love this. Is that okay? Don't regret reading it. Can I just tell you, this is early Jen. Jen, are you still awake? Uh huh. Are you dying? I'm here. Okay. Are you falling asleep? <laughs> Jen's time delayed medication. <laughs> yes. Jen, Jen, do you need to go to sleep? No, I'm here. I'm listening. <laughs> Okay, we'll go fast. Jen once, like, like she didn't like something. I think it was a Melinda's fic, and she felt so bad that she didn't like it. She was like, "Is that okay? Is it okay if I don't like this?" And th and that's and that's absolutely cool. So, and then she got over it. <laughs> she got over it. Mom was like, she felt so bad. She loved it. So there, that's me coming clean. But you know, I mean, uh, I like different aspects of it. I'll There's some really fics that I can't. I can't <laughs> picture, and I can't read it because I can't picture them. We discussed those fix on Tuesday, Jen. Oh yes, <laughs> bestiality is one of them. Oh God, Mike, your thoughts on a year like none other? Quickly. Um, I love a year like none other. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. I think I'm the opposite of a lot of you guys. That this is the kind of story I like, yeah. and it's the very strict canon stories that kind of bore me, and I don't get into. Um, I also like it because I would have never have found the board if not for uh, the stories. I came to you guys through this. Mm -hmm. so, I'm with um, you, Mike. I'm with you. Aspen in the uh, sunlight, bringing people together. There you go. And I think you guys said most of the big things. The one other thing I'd add is, as someone who reads a lot of um, Slytherin sort of stories and who's in touch with like the Slytherin side, 
I like that she she addresses a lot of the problems you always hear Slytherin fans talking about, like Dumbledore takes the House Cup away from Slytherin. How rude is that? Or you know, Draco and Snape are portrayed as these one-dimensional uh, characters. You never see what they're thinking, uh, and on and on and on. And I think she does a good job of kind of not only the family, obviously the family aspects, the main part of it. The um, like Ryan said, the troubled uh, three troubled people kind of working together and so on. But I do also like that she kind of um, makes Slytherin real and flushes it out in a way you don't see in canon and makes it so it's not this one-dimensional house with, you know, a quarter of all the kids become evil automatically because they're thrown into Slytherin. Right. And I was sad the canon didn't do that. The canon never really fixed that. I was that, yeah. that's, that was such a great area. And I just want to say this too. I mean, if anyone who's listened to the show since the beginning, when we did earlier fix, we went you know, chronologically in order, chapter by chapter of all the chapters you were discussing that week. And that's how she tried to start us off tonight. God bless her. And it's one of those things where we are so crazy, we have difficulty sticking to to timelines, and we just want to talk about what we want to talk about. And we almost missed the best part of the fic. And I would like to close with that tonight, because I think this best captures why, how, regardless of, you know, what you think of the story type, why you have to just love Aspen sometimes. So Harry turns Lucius Malfoy into essentially a gargoyle of some kind. Turns him into a into a stone monument, and they decide they are going to, you know, have you know have the the, the sculpture of Lucius you know rest at Hogwarts, and everyone goes to the ceremony, and Narcissa is there, and you know Lucius is there in the form of and Remus is interacting as Lucius, and you're thinking this is weird. Like, it's just like a throwaway scene. Is it the end? Is this going to be the scene where Draco cries and has a moment? What is, because we're, we're right near the end of the fic. And they put the monument right underneath the owlry, surrounded by pansies, where all of the owls will shit on him for the next 5,000 years. Aspen, I realize in some of our episodes we've been cranky. I realize at some points, you know, we may have been overly critical, but for that, I am naming my first child Aspen, Arabella and Genya be damned. Man, that really is something. Damn. I hope that uh, I hope that Aspen Ryan, you know, really appreciates that. It's better than Draco Snape. <laughs> oh, Wait, is that your last like name Ryan? Too. No, it's my first name. That's what I thought. So yeah, but I didn't want to like announce his last name to the world. I could be the Lieutenant Governor of Massachusetts for all you people know. But uh, yeah, so but. Yeah, I, the fact that I didn't know where that scene was going, and she manages to turn him, and I got it right before the characters did. I'm like, you're putting him under all of the owls. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Definitely won't be out Dumbledore ha- has has some balls. I love this fic. I'm so glad we were able to do it. It is definitely one of my top three. It's definitely well, top seven. I have like so many, oh, but God. this one. What are your top way- six? <laughs> I'll t- I'll tell you later. I promise. But this is <laughs> she definitely... has thirty seconds of battery life yet. Yeah. Jen, I go, go, go. Say, this is the only story that I have stuck with for years. <laughs> like seriously, years. I've really I've been 
reading uh, this story every, I remember when they used to come out weekly and every Tuesday I'd grasp at the computer and await the, the new chapter and like, and every week it was just, I don't know if y'all, if y'all do any of the favorite author update things, that kind of thing, uh-huh. but there are some that I just skip and I go and I reread when there's, I don't know, five chapters more, six, cha- ten chapters, or the, or the, I wait till it's finished. But this one, I mean, every week it was just, I couldn't wait to get to the new chapter. And, um, I'm just so glad that we got to do it. This, this, this story has touched me and helped me and it's so emotionally inspiring. And yet it deals with so many problems that at the time I know it helped me get through a couple of things and, Jen, just, did, Jen, did you have anything going on in your life? What? Well, I wasn't cutting myself. Well, anything, I know, but... I know that, I know that, Jen. <laughs> I joke. Jen's like, I, when Jen says I had to get through a couple of things, that means like you know, like she's being shot at. Like Jen doesn't do no. anything. Yeah. So. No, never been shot at. I actually at. wanted to mention that. Um, I know you guys were talking about the self-injury before. Were you talking about that earlier on the podcast too? <laughs> I just wanted to say that that is one of the things that, um was hard for me to read in this fic, but I'm glad it was in there because I, I also know people that do that. And I all, I almost lost someone very close to me because of that. And, um, and I talked with her about this fic a little bit and, and I asked her if somebody who did that type of thing would want to read something like that. And she said, she said, I would. And I would like to be able to commiserate with a familiar character, is what she said. If Harry Potter has cancer, and if Harry Potter cuts himself, and if Harry Potter dissolves the stuff, then I can too. Right. And well, I mean, it sounds break, kind of... He died. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong fix. Well, not... <laughs> but, so I did actually... I mean, it was hard for me to read. Yeah. Well, but this, at the same is, time, and, and, and this is, and you're giving your, in your, I know you're, this is a tough thing for you, but this is a very recent thing that's happened in your life. Like as we've been covering the fic, I mean, this is, mm-hmm. this is, so it's like the same thing with, with Lady Chi. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult to do so, to, I mean, a lot of people come to the fandom for a respite. They need to get away from their own lives. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic when you escape and, and, and the place you escape is very similar to where you just left. So, but. Yeah, I think it's hopeful. I think the fact that Harry Potter can survive this thing gives people who look up to Harry Potter hope. Yeah, I agree. Actually, <laughs> the person I spoke with said that she would be surprised if, if Harry in real life wouldn't do something like that. Well, that's why I can't... <laughs> no, I, that's exactly it. That's why I can't say... I'm. You know, like I said, like I had difficulty reading it because it's hard to see a character like Harry go through that. And it's not like, you know, he's being tortured for six paragraphs and then it's all the recovery. It's we're watching, you know, for chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters, you know, him do this to himself over and over and over and over. It's tough to listen to or read or in my case, listen to. But Well, it's, oh, oh, it's hard to watch somebody do that in, in real life. It's hard to hear about people doing that to themselves in real. I know that when I was working in DAP, kids would come in and they would do horrible things and you would go, oh, my gosh, why are they doing that? And it's their way of crying out for help or dealing or, and it's, mm-hmm. it's hard. And I don't think, I don't think in any circumstance it's easy to take or easy to hear or easy to read in any circumstance. 
Yeah, I mean... And so it's especially hard to a character that we love so much, but in the real world, who wants to hear things about the the awful things that are, are, are behind closed doors that people don't talk about? And there's no, you know. and, and there's no way that Harry would not have something like this happen. I expressed surprise earlier that it didn't happen earlier in the fic after Saw Win, but the fact that it happened at all was definitely... Realistic. And Joe Rowling did not write, we've said this a thousand times, Joe Rowling did not write realistic portrayals of human development. She did not, she, Harry would be in an institution and the Dursleys would be under arrest if that were true. And it didn't happen that way. That's not the story she wrote. She wanted to write, like, here's the thing. If, if, if we, if all stories were written realistically, then, you know, Cinderella would suffer, you know, post-traumatic stress based on the way that she's treated it's like Seriously? yeah i mean you that's not how all stories go but the fact that aspen went that way is entirely plausible and realistic and so with buffy uh, that is jen's little way of saying ryan watch the damn buffy dvds i mailed you <laughs> <laughs> she's a sneaky one she really Love is you, buddy. Well, uh, i'll just have you know when i thought you had four months to live i was gonna watch every single one of them in one day so i could comment on all of them oh i'm like, dying tomorrow no you're not stop using death as a means to get things come on now <laughs> could, could you imagine if i watched the entire series and then bought jen equus tickets and then she like <gasps> lived like after that i'd be like i would baker. so live I, I, i'm reading the the comments that people have left from the last episode and i loved your comment about if i'm gonna live for anything it's gonna see dan dan radcliffe naked and broadway i'm like <laughs> for sure <laughs> the, the key to jen's long-term survival it rests in dan radcliffe's penis that's so true Let's and my butt doctor <laughs> <laughs> Alright, tell you what, let's get out of here and let's get over to the interview with Aspen in her beta, whose name I will learn to pronounce by the time we actually... Mercury! Mercury's, not to be confused with... Or Mercury! CDs. <laughs> Thank you, Mike from Brooklyn. Alright. With that, it's been great, it's been real, and we'll see you all in about six seconds, and see you there. Bye, everybody. Bye! Bye! Bye. And we are back right now, Lady Chi, Mike... And Meg are basically missing at the moment, you know, like in Special Edition 7, we seem to have lost their calls. Maybe we'll get them back, maybe we won't. But I'm back with Jen, with Kira, and we have two very special guests right now. Aspen is here with us, and her beta, who has done a remarkable job on Year Like None Other, whose name we discovered in Soundcheck, I cannot pronounce. <laughs> so we will refer to her as The One. <laughs> It's you either that or she's that. a car brand. I can't help it. Mer I'm, I can't do it either. Mercredi. I can't. I Was I close? Just say Mercredi. Don't try to do the French R. Mercredi? Mercredi. Yeah. Work. Mercredi. I'm writing that down on a piece of paper. Oh, what we do? Aspen, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? We're, we're doing pretty well tonight. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for writing. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. And as I and as I frequently say, thanks for writing the damn story, or else for the last you know eleven weeks we would have been talking about aluminum siding installation or something like that. So well, I wrote it so you would have something to do. So that's, that's good. She see she's a Slytherin. She plans ahead. Oh, she that's sees one of my questions. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jen. Jen emails me tonight. Do you have any questions for Aspen? I'm like, well, yeah. I was thinking of possibly, you know, saying something during the interview. She's like, I have a series of 20 questions I prepared. I'm doing more <laughs> now. Essay questions, right? I'm like, Jen. It's like an hour, hour and a half here. Okay, Jen. So, 
So America is short on time, so we're going to ask her things first. Yes, we are. And uh, just to clarify for everyone uh, tonight, I will be the you know traditional, hey Aspen, how are you? You know, here's a question I just thought of, interview guy, and Jen will be the. But I want to go over and touch her and see if she's real interview. You're embarrassing me. It's so true, though. It's like when Rob from Spellcast stops by, Jen. You just I get know. so excited. I all can't right. help myself. What, right. are, what are you doing? I keep meeting all these famous people. And just to clarify, too, just real fast, because we, we haven't done this in the last couple episodes, uh, we kind of just said, hi, this is Kira, and didn't really tell you who Kira was. Now, Kira, you are a beta for Aspen on summer. That's correct? Yes. For summer. But, uh-huh. you, but you didn't have, you weren't involved with the writing of Year? Is that no? Unfortunately, I did not even discover year until well into summer. Okay, and Jen, I know that you help Aspen, you know, here and there with with summer, but you also had nothing to do with the writing of year. You were just a huge fangirl, right? Okay, so just wanted to clarify that we're divided between the fangirls and the fanboy. Okay, so just and Mercury, on the other hand, had a lot to do with the writing of year because it's it's not really correct to say, oh, well, she was the beta. Because she did help me beta for a long time, but then she started writing sections of it, too. Was that closer to the end? Because I noticed that in some of the later chapters, that it was written by Aspen in the Sunlight and Mercury. So th- I started putting her name in the, the author credit when she started writing sections of it, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I-, I think that was the point where I actually started writing, like, chunks of text. Okay. Whereas before, I was more so just kind of a co-plotter. Okay. Because that, uh, that's... An and a fantastic editor. Okay, you know what? Let me even do this, um, just because I know we only have uh, Mercury for a very short time uh, during this interview. Uh, before we, or Jen jumps in with her questions that she has, um, is there anything <laughs> you guys, especially you, Mercury, um, want to just say? I know you've been listening to these episodes, and usually there's, like, when I listen to episodes I'm not in, I, I'm, like, jumping up and down, screaming things at the, <laughs> at, at the computer. At Jen, usually. Usually at Jen, I, yes. I think that one of the main things for me that I would like to point out that I think would probably be interesting in the context of the shows that I've heard is one of the main things that has been the ongoing debate is um, how much uh, it, the characterizations flow with canon. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is very unique about the situation is that I've never read any of the books. Really? Right. Really? I've not read any of the actual books. And looking back, I'm really glad of that because I beta everything and look at it from the perspective of do the characterizations work in this story and not necessarily, um, you know, comparing them to what J.K. Rowling wrote. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. And that's actually, and I want, I'm, I promise I'm not going to monologue too much during this because I want you guys to talk a lot. But one thing that we actually talked about in the earlier part of the episode airing tonight that you guys haven't had the chance to hear yet is that, um, one thing that we looked at near the end of the story was that you could argue this is a story about three people who had really crappy childhoods, who had a lot of problems in their lives, who kind of came together and found each other and formed like an ad hoc family unit. And you can name them Harry, Draco, and Snape. But you don't, they don't necessarily have to be those characters. It's, you could have written a, an original story around original characters, but the fact that you put it in the Harry Potter universe made it appeal to a lot of people that may not otherwise have seen it. But it, it, it was one of those types of stories where you build off of the canon versus one of the stories that, you know, is, is very loyal to the, to the canon and, and where the canon was going. 
So I, I just thought that was interesting because we were talking about that last night. And I think that's true. Well, I didn't really... know where the cannon was going, but I was pretty sure it wasn't going towards Snape not and Harry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Although I was sure that Snape was a good guy at heart where it counted. True. Despite all the evidence to the contrary. <sighs> Go on, Merrick. I'm all with you there. <laughs> Merrick, what were you saying? Oh, I was going to say, and also really with the exception of Harry... None of these, char- the characters, the other two main characters were kind of a blank slate as far as their background. True. In canon. That's a true point. Right, so because pretty much at the end of book five, that. we still didn't know any of this stuff about Snape's father or that he was a half-blood even. That wasn't clear when I started this. So I was inventing a whole backstory for him. What did you think when you found out that he was actually a half-blood? Were you laughing? You no. Know, well, what I thought was that I had read an article by someone about two or three years previously where they had argued that they were sure he was a half-blood, and I had remembered at the time I'd laughed at that. I have a question. Oh, when you no saw way, when, when you saw Half-Blood Prince was the next book coming out, did you stop and think, no, no, there's no way? No. no okay. I, I never crossed my mind that referred to Snape. <laughs> Honestly, it didn't. But But when I saw that... Snape really was a half-blood. The first thing I thought was, dang it, that person was right all those years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's awesome. I have a question for America Day before she has to leave us tonight. Um, the first story that we that we um, covered on Pyrific Weekly was After the End by Arabella and Genia. It was, a, it was a collaborative written by two authors, and we had one author who was with us during the entire podcast series, and then we met the other author during the interview at the end. And you know, Genia, who had been in contact with us, would always say, oh, I didn't do this. Arabella, Arabella is the genius behind everything, and she's the one. I, I do very little around here. She's the she's the person you really want to talk to. So it was interesting to then talk to the other person and, and hear the real story. So, America, we're going to be talking to Aspen after you have to go tonight. What are some things that you want us to know that she may be too humble to say or that, you know, you, you just want your own experiences working with her or putting the story together? What What do we... Or what should we know that you, that you think would be of interest? I would say that, first of all, I don't know where she finds the energy to produce the material that she does. I mean, you know, she has a full-time job and a family. And I don't have any kids. And during chunks of the time that we worked on this, I wasn't even in a job, I, I don't think. Um, and yet she always has way more time and energy. It's like, you know, we'll talk about an idea of IMing each other. And then the next, the next day she'll email me, you know, just pages and pages of text. And it's like, when did she have time to write this? When does this woman <laughs> sleep? Um, so don't sleep. You found out. <laughs> that's the secret. And so that's one of the things that's always just amazed me about Aspen. And the other thing that's always amazed me about Aspen is just the consistent quality of everything she writes and her ability to take anything and just make it flow. For me, that is not one of my strengths. I can, I am good, you know, not to be overly braggy here, but I'm pretty good with plotting, and I'm pretty good with bits of dialogue. But as far as 
making everything all flow together, I'm extremely lazy. And I can, you know, it's like we'll come up with an idea. It's like, okay, I'll work on this. And so I'll give her a chunk of information or maybe a few scraps of dialogue thinking it's like, well, you know, my my writing style is so different from hers. How how are we going to make this work? And she will just work her magic on it, massage it, and it all sounds like it came from her pen, which is something I could never do. Uh, Jen, you are the fangirl with 400,000 questions. <laughs> Why don't you jump right in? Well, I just remember, I remember being on the Yahoo group years and years ago. And it really, I'm thinking, it, has it really been at least five years since the fix was started? I don't think, I think it might have been four. Is it might be, uh, yeah, it might be four. Okay. Yeah, well, I, five. It's been a long while, but, but I remember seeing Mercury on the Yahoo groups all the time. And then, and, but that was when every new, ep, every, I call it episode. It was so funny. Every new episode, every new chapter, um, came out every Tuesday. And I know I, that's how I got into the popularity of it. When it, you know, it was every week it was, we were trying to, like, y'all would put out questions of what do you think is going to happen next? And people would write in, I think this, and they'd, they'd make little chapters, that kind of thing. And, uh, but anyway, in working, how did, how did the two of y'all meet? How did y'all get together to start writing together? How did you find, Aspen, how did you find Merck to, to start debating? The other way around. Well, well I mean, because we, we met in a different fandom. Yeah. Oh, my God, oh really? This, this is like every answer we always get is we met That's somewhere so else. <laughs> what fandom did now, you meet? In Vampire Chronicles. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I was writing some stories for Vampire Chronicles, and um, Mercury was, I think, a moderator on that site. Uh, yeah, I she was actually. invited me over to... Because, oh, I know this community where a lot of Vampire Chronicles fans, you know, get together and post their stories. And she invited me there. And then, you know, we just got to know each other that way. Wow. That is so awesome. And it was, and it was kind of natural for her to be the beta for this story because she and I were both reading some of the same Harry Potter stories. And... um um, we were both very interested in the idea of Snape being a father to Harry, either through Severita stories or through adoption stories. And I was chatting to her one day about the latest chapter of one of these stories. And I really, really liked the story, but I said to her, you know, I think Harry has more severe psychological problems and it would be harder for him to accept becoming someone's son. And she said, well, if you think that, you should write your own <laughs> Snape adopt Harry story. <laughs> Do you remember that, Mercury? I all those years ago, and oh, you and of you course, did. And I, I knew when I was it. doing it. I knew I was I was just poking you with a stick because I just knew something like this was going to happen. Oh. <laughs> and I remember I her. chapters later. <laughs> I answered her right back. I said, "There's no way I had time to write my own." And then I went home that night, and the idea had just so captured me that I had chapter one done the next day. Now, let me ask you, this, let me ask you this question. Yeah. Well, in the beginning, when I found out it was 96 chapters, you know, my eyes kind of bugged out of my head. But then I read chapter one. I'm like, oh, I see. These are bite-sized chapters. And then I'm at chapter, chapter 50, and I'm like, I have to quit my job to keep reading. Um, let me ask you this question. Like, like obviously, you said you sat down and you wrote chapter one. Now, chapter one to chapter nine, like, like 
huge journey in between. You can't tell from the end of chapter one where this is going. Like, what? Tell, like, I know this is one of Jen's questions because you know it's. I think it's number two hundred and eighty-one. Your question, thief. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like how? <laughs> like like how did you put this story together? Like what was like the like? Did you start with a small idea and then branch out from there, or did you see the ending and then work back to the beginning? Like how did this story come together? Um. Well, I didn't. I didn't plan it ahead. The only thing I knew when I started it was. Somewhere down the road, Snape is going to adopt Harry, and I'm going to work my way towards that, and I'm not going to let Snape adopt Harry until I really, really believe the character would actually do that. And as long as it took, you know, that's as long as it was going to take. And I didn't have a grand plan about how to get there. The only other thing I knew for sure was that Voldemort would snatch Harry at some point, and Snape would be the one to rescue him. Other than that, everything was developed as I was writing it. Really? Now, I will say this, though. Now, that was when we first started. When we first started, yeah. But that's not to say that uh, huge chunks of plot didn't materialize as we went. I would say we probably knew virtually everything that was going to happen by the time... I would say probably... It's and it's so it's been so long ago. I was trying yeah. to remember this morning some of the details of you know when this happened, when we decided this, and who decided what, and it's really fuzzy at this point. But I know that there was definitely a point. I would say at least halfway through the story, we knew everything that was going to well, happen. I think maybe but, halfway through the story, we knew all the main plot points. Right, all the main plot points, and then there were there were well, you know, there's so many subplots. There were lots of subplots that came up later, like, for example, uh, not. That was something that we hadn't planned ahead of time. That came up very kind of spur of the moment. Oh, and one reason, Ryan, why the story is so long. Is it long? Is I because... didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> because Mercury and I would be chatting, <laughs> and she would make an offhand comment. You know, I think it's, I remember this one, Mercury. She'd say things like, you know, I really think at this point that Draco would be very angry at the Slytherins, <laughs> and he'd do something to try and get revenge against them. And it turns into a three-chapter diversion. Yeah, <laughs> deal yeah. with it. And I'm the one who I'm the one who was responsible for things like the whole sidetrack into the needles. Okay, I at, the, at the end there. Okay, um, yeah, we got to that in the last episode, um, which is is preceding this one uh, tonight. But we did get into that a lot. Yeah, too. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything. No, not at all. Well, we, no, people who are listening to this already heard that. Um, but, oh, did you mean the podcast or did you mean spoil things for future stories? For anyone. Okay. And yes, for future stories too, because that said, we do know all the major plot points of Brothers and Arms. At this point. Except fact, we might rename it though. Did, I don't think, oh, did we... I mention to you I was going to rename it? <laughs> you didn't mention it, but whatever. <laughs> I've never been totally in love with that title anyway. No, I, I'm not totally in love with that title. I think I'm going to call the Year 7 uh, story A Family Like None Other. And keep with that. Oh, I, I like that. I, I like that. Well, I have to say, Aspen, it beats this, the title I came up with for you. So What oh is that? Um, The Year After the Year Like None Other. Uh, well, you know, we kept, we were joking. <laughs> we joked about this. We did joke early on, remember, we were kind of calling it like 
the year like none other except kind of that one year. Another year like none other except for the one before. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, I was actually trying to work out like, the acronym in my head for it. Like, the year that was kind of like last year. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I, I really did want to keep with the like none other pattern of the titles. But until recently, I, I hadn't thought of one for year seven that I liked. But then I thought of a family like none other. And I think I that like might that. be it. I like that one. I, I love like that. that one better. I do, too. Yeah. Was it so probably that's where we'll go. Was it Brothers in Arms? I was going to announce a new title. A it was Brothers in Arms a working Can title I just at one point? Say, like, yeah. I so just, Brothers in Arms was a working title, okay. yeah. Well, I'm really into the Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland movies right now and i just finished watching babes in arms and so it makes me like every time i think of brothers in arms i go back to like strike up the band type movies <laughs> and it uh -huh. makes it doesn't i don't picture it so i like the family like another <laughs> jen is very happy <laughs> happy birthday jen. the only thing wrong with um brothers in arms i mean the bi biggest thing wrong with it is what i meant to say is um as soon as I had announced that title, I wanted to, like, whack myself in the head because it telegraphs <laughs> that the, both brothers are still around, you know? Oops. And that might spoil it for people who haven't got to that point of the story yet where they would know that anyway. Yeah, I remember... You know, because Draco was in some danger during Year Like Now. Right, and, and we had already announced that title, and I remember the kicking of, of ourselves. For that. Oh, I wanted to kick myself so hard because people were coming on the Yahoo group and they were saying, but you said that a summer like none other would be heavily focused on a Draco romance. It's yeah. not a ghost romance, is it? He's going to live. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gave it away. <laughs> yeah, I should learn well, not to do that. Whoops. Okay, I've got to go soon. So any questions? Kira, Jen. Your favorite chapter, no. Mercury. Oh, God. <laughs> the one you like writing the most. But, Ow. okay, wait. Let me, let me just mention this, because I just have to say it. That whole owl, owlry thing was such a nightmare. Really? Oh, it was horrible. Oh, God. We almost died trying to solve really? all of the wrinkles in that. That was yes. so Mercury, hard. She went back and she looked in close, close detail at all the seer dreams and every little hint of information that related to the owlery. And she wrote me this massive document with kind of like a flow chart of possible plots to how we could solve it. <laughs> yeah, oh, I had like, this, I had like this masterpiece of logic. Oh, yes, she had all scenarios, these scenarios to explain uh, okay. all the backstory of everything. And I swore to her, she knows I've broken this promise since, but I uh -huh. swore at the time. I would never, ever write another seer dream because it was so hard to make every detail match what happened later when, as you know, the seer dreams always match kind of a, a warped interpretation compared right, to what Harry we're always did. trying to fool the reader, so to speak, and but at the same time, you have to have it happen verbatim. Right, and we, we spent a long time trying to solve that key, you know, what exactly was the backstory on the key Harry found yeah. that he assumed was his key. And it, it was really difficult to make it all line up perfectly because it was not planned in advance in that level of detail. Wow. And that's, that's one of the things that's a big stylistic difference between me and Aspen is that I am a planner. I like to know <laughs> 
where things are going. And Aspen likes to just kind of write by the seat of her pants. And I will admit, <laughs> Justin, there there are times, and this is, has actually definitely happened, where I had an idea for what I wanted to happen way in advance. But I wouldn't tell Aspen until we got closer to that point. And then I would start lobbying for it because I knew she wouldn't want to think about it too far in advance. <laughs> Plus, I wouldn't remember. <laughs> I, I'm great well, at forgetting too, yeah. the, the wonderful things that she's given me for 40 chapters later. I can't remember them when I get there. So let me get this right. You write a story <laughs> about, you know, Severus Snape, who's a Slytherin who plans 400, like, you know, steps ahead. <laughs> but, you're, <laughs> but you're writing by the seat of your... <laughs> You kept saying, why wasn't I in Slytherin on the forum, you know? Yes. Well, maybe that's why. I, I don't plan ahead like that. I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, what the hell is she you, doing in Ravenclaw? You took a very Gryffindor approach to this stick. Okay. I don't know. I think that's part of what makes it so impressive after hearing that. Like, how do you possibly remember everything and like your plots are like entwined. I love, it's like a Draco line, plots within plots. Like, I don't know how... How you keep up with it all? Well, I have a question. Merck, we did a Merck, lot of rereading. Mark, do you have to get going, or can do I have time? Uh, pretty sure. I mean, I, I'll I'll stick around as far as I can. It's okay. just a job. Let me. <laughs> I like to hear that. <laughs> what does that make her? That's that's Gryffindor. That's, that's a Gryffindor. That's a Gryffindor. True and true. Join our forum. I'll send you a link. Well, here's my question. What, like you said, the Owlery was your biggest nightmare. You know, in terms of writing it, was there anything that looking back on it now? you think that, you know, you had a grand idea and maybe it didn't work out the way you planned or you or something maybe no one's ever caught or just something that you, like, just the one part of the story that, like, I'm not sure what the the question is here. The oh, question. I have a great answer for that. I don't know what the question is, so though. shoot. So shoot. <laughs> I've said it on the forums. It's not a secret. I was writing in this open-ended style so that I could decide things at the last minute and the decision would still be open to me. So the best example of that is Draco. When I worked Draco into the story, That's true, I left everything amb- of it. I left everything ambiguous and I showed it from Harry's point of view how it all could have been some big long-term trick to get into Harry's confidence and Draco could have betrayed him. And I I kept that option open to myself all the way to the chapter right before Christmas when Draco finally confessed he'd been at Sam Sowen, we should say. <laughs> That's how you're supposed to say it. Thank you. We need um, that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you didn't know that Draco Yeah, but right up until that. then, I, I was considering making Draco actually be a villain instead wow. of making him be Harry's brother. Yeah, totally but by that point, I already knew that I was going to fight you tooth and nail if you decided <laughs> to change it at that point. Because I was kind of reluctant to bring Draco into it um, at the, at, you know, when we first had him. It's like I knew he needed to be addressed as a character. But then once, it's like when, I think the point where he was living with him, I was kind of like, what? Wait. He's going to be lit. Well, you know, this can't turn into a story about three people. It was a story about two people. But she quickly sold me on it. And then it's kind of like I got to that point along with the readers. Well, it's like, well, now I'm in love with this character and she better not make him bad. Well, see, I haven't, I haven't sold myself on it completely because I, I was keeping that option open. And then what finally decided me that he had to be good was, Snape had had such confidence in Draco 
And if I had made Draco turn bad, it would mean that Snape has very bad judgment. And I couldn't do that. I didn't right. think Snape would have bad judgment. So that decided it for me. But this is what made people on the forums say, Draco was an afterthought to his own author. <laughs> <laughs> and wouldn't, wouldn't he be offended by this being Draco? Makes me feel sad. This. I don't have any regrets about um, about the story thus far. But um, it will be interesting when we get around to year seven. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but I will no, no reveal. Spoilers. I know, I'm not going to spoil anything. <laughs> but and Aspen probably knows what I'm going to say. Oh, I know exactly what you're you talking about. You know exactly what I'm going to say. Someone tell me, tell me. major, major, major plot development in that year we have seven. Been fighting about for months. I, I, I don't years. see it the same way. So are you leaving but, it open uh, ended until you decide whatever that plot point will be? I, uh, it's like finally wore me down. And <laughs> oh, okay. There's, I, there's I convinced decision. her as to the merits of the case. Actually, though, I did it like with, I made you bribe me, remember? <laughs> oh, I think I do remember. But you're yeah. going to have to remind me some said, other yeah, time okay, the details. Exactly. It's like, fine, if you're going to do this, then you let, you have to do what I want to. So I threw you in. You know, I can't remember what you wanted, but I'm sure it's already worked into the plot. <laughs> it's already <laughs> Now we're planning way ahead. Well, let me ask you this. Will it appear like when we're reading the story, will it be, will it look like almost like a fork in the road? Like two different ways yes. of the story? Okay. Well, I don't know about it looks like a fork, like two different ways of story, but it, it is such a massive event that I, I think it would be hard not to know what we're talking about when you get there. It's okay. not written yet, of course. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I have a guess, and I've been right 82% of the time, so I'm not oh, saying anything. Yes, right. Mr. Garden Gnome. Candy was a garden okay, gnome. Okay, there was 18% of the time I am slightly mistaken. <laughs> 82% of the time, I am a genius. <laughs> oh, you know the comment that I really loved, oh, that? that I loved so much? It wasn't you. I, I'm not sure who made the comment, but someone said um, they they were just really upset because they knew that Dumbledore was going to die because he, quote, always dies in stories oh, like yeah, this. Oh, yeah, I remember that comment. <laughs> no, that was... Harry had a chance for a good talk with Dumbledore before the man died. <laughs> That and I was, thought, well, I think they have a really, really good talk, but he's not going to die. So. Yeah, I think that was, I think Lady Chi said that, and I actually thought she gave away the ending, because then she quickly changed and said, oh, I don't remember if he dies, so I, I thought she like, gave it away and was covering. You know, so. if she had read the whole thing and said that, I don't know why she would have said it, though, so maybe she hadn't finished reading them? Maybe, I don't remember. I mean, No, it was, I think it was an offhand remark, and then she took it back right away, so she probably realized she was mistaken, but I thought she was covering she up. she made you think that Dumbledore was going to die, though. Yeah, yeah. She made it. She made me think she spoiled oh. it, and then went, oh, wait. I must I be thinking of another story. So. Ryan, like, Dumbledore's going to die? And Pansy's a garden gnome? <laughs> Pansy's a garden gnome? And I actually, you'll hear this from earlier in the episode. When I was, I was reading the chapters right up until the podcast last night, and I'm, I'm typing to Jen my thoughts on developments in, in the, in like the late nineties. Jen is laughing hysterically. And I'm like, and I meant to say Goyle's dyslexic, and I wrote Goyle's anorexic. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> no, no, we didn't go that way with Goyle. No, I'm like. I'm I like, think he's pretty. Wasn't he's he going around and just really bad at it? 
I think Squirrel having dyslexia was one of Mercury's contributions. What's that? You I really liked like, it. It made him human. I love that. You I think that was your point, idea? It might have. I think it might have been. Uh, but it, honestly, at this point, with few exceptions, I have a hard time remembering what was my idea and what was yours. Well, and that's true too because I the mean, way some we of the would big work. Ones I remember, but yeah, a lot of them. It's somebody like, would throw out a, a tidbit, and we developed the idea together. Right. I mean, it, it's hard to remember who had the germ of that idea, you know. Right. We're a good okay, team. I got to go. All right, I Mercury. Oh, I'm so uh, sorry, Mercury. Nice to talk to you. Just as I Goodbye. learned how to Goodbye. pronounce your name, you know, you have to leave us. We'll talk to you later. It was lovely to meet you. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, Kira, you've been yes. kind of stomped upon, unfortunately, earlier on. Why don't you take the floor? What questions do you have? What comments do you have? Oh, my big question I want to ask is, well, this is such a psychologically driven story. Did you know how you're going to solve everything? Or, I mean, I know that you're, you know, writing it as you're going along, kind of, but did you know how to fix all of their little problems? Or did you have to do a lot of research on that? Um, This is the part where I, I hate to say the truth because, I don't know. I think I disillusioned people, but I didn't do, I don't know if I did any research on psychology. I, I just wrote everybody's reactions the way I would write. I just felt like I was channeling that character, whoever I was dealing with. And I just tried to make it be very real how I thought that person would react under those conditions, given their particular, you know, backstory and all that. And, um, I wrote what I thought was natural for the characters. And it, it came out feeling to people like I must have done research into psychology, so I can only guess that what felt natural to me, you know, was pretty close to how people really act. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just seemed to me that um Harry's insecurity over being adopted would manifest itself with him trying to be extra good, you know, because he had always tried to please the Dursleys. No matter how unreasonable and horrible they are, usually when he's with the Dursleys in canon, he's being a brat. He's usually trying to get along with them, right? So I thought that would keep manifesting itself with Snape. And then Draco has been so spoiled and overindulged that I thought he'd have a vastly different reaction to the insecurity of being adopted. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) You're like so. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm really impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever struck me as natural for that character at the time is how I would write it. And that is one of the big reasons why I didn't plan a lot of things in huge detail ahead. Because when I would try to do that, I couldn't ever make the plot go to that point that I wanted to get to. Because the people were reacting in a way that was different. You know, and they, I'd need to drive them in a different direction to get to point X, and the characters wanted to go to point Y. So I would just try to um, let the characters do what they clearly wanted to do when I was writing. It was like they were alive, and I was just letting them do their thing. They had a mind of their own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And some some writers can write out of sequence. You know, they can write chapter 20 before they've written chapter 4. The few times I have ever tried to do that, I have to throw away the future chapter because nothing lines up correctly. So to make it flow, I had to write it completely in sequence 
and and let the characters guide me as to what they wanted to do next. And I do want to say this too. There, there were times in the story where you know there'd be a line of dialogue and it wouldn't say who says it, and I would think to myself, oh, that must be. Snape saying this, and when you read it again, it's obviously meant to be Draco, and I could instantly tell just by the wording, it didn't feel right, so I would read it again and be like, oh, okay, that was Draco saying that, because it just, there was, there was some, in some stories, lines are interchangeable. I did find that um, with, with your writing style and the way it came out polished, in that you could instantly tell who was saying what, regardless of whether it was identified, for what that's worth. I mean, well, have I you- think they all have their unique voices, yeah. Definitely, I, I definitely think that. Have you ever written to a chapter and you posted and then you were like, crap, like you put yourself in a hole that you had to get other than the Owlry? Um, I mean, okay, well, when we did the Owlry, it wasn't a reaction of, oh, no, we're in this hole. It was, um, we knew we could solve it, but there were just, I can't even describe how many decisions had to be made to solve <laughs> it. So it wasn't like that. But um, I've never written a chapter and posted it, and then afterwards realized there's a huge hole to fix. Sometimes there'd be minor bumps along the way, and I'd just use that information later somehow, work it in somewhere to reconcile things. You know, I don't think I ended up with any enormous contradictions, although there, was, there were a couple of glaring, horrible mistakes that were um, posted initially that got fixed. Like, for example... In the next to last chapter, the one before the epilogue, mm -hmm. I had this wonderful scene, you know, where Draco gets all those points and Slytherin wins the cup, right? And I thought the scene was great. And so did Mercury. And then after I posted it, people came on and they said, oh, that was fulfilling. I just have one question. Why did Dumbledore call him Draco Malfoy when he was awarding the point? Uh, I was that. Was that. Like a big, was, was, you know, was that Dumbledore's subtle way of saying he didn't really like him after all? I was like, no, that was my fucking way of forgetting his new name. <laughs> so I went back and fixed it, you know. <laughs> Things like That's that. Well, I well, I heard Joe Rowling did that a couple that. times, and she's got, like, a lot of people working for her, so it's not that bad. Uh, oh, I was just horrified when I went on to the site, and I saw, oh, I did leave his old name in there. What's wrong with me? <laughs> you know, what, what really surprised me about his name change, though, was um, when I did that, when I had him, you know, go with Draco Snape, I really expected a lot of reader backlash and very vocal objections that people didn't like that. And and it didn't happen, which really surprised me. I, I thought it would upset people to have that Malfoy tag removed from him. Well my my Did concern with anyone that, who was reading? Yeah, my thing with that Did it was upset that, any of you? Um my thing with it was I always because it, you know the canon is written through Harry's perspective, and, and they always refer to the potions of master as Snape. It almost seems like a first yeah. name after a while. It does. So, so when I heard Draco like Snape, it's like it was like earlier in the story. Um, you made a reference. There was a reference to Harry Snape, and, how, and I remember thinking, "Ooh, that doesn't work," because it just seemed <laughs> too odd. So then when it was Draco Snape, I kind of had the same thought. Like it didn't, like it didn't, like you make me, you know, like go take a walk around the like neighborhood or anything. But it, like, it took a while to get used to because it seemed like his first name. And and I still do personally. I think Draco Malfoy as a name sounds better, hangs together better. Draco Snape just kind of sounds flat, but yeah. there it is. That's hey, his name. I just have to pause for a moment here. Um, I know you, you haven't listened to the last episode, but Mike, who's been on the um, podcast the last few episodes, because he's... Hey, Mike. Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? How's that fever going? 
Um, it's there, but otherwise doing okay. Okay, Mike, say hi did to Aspen. Did you take something for it? Hi, this is Aspen. <laughs> hi, Aspen. Did, did you take something for your fever? I took some Tylenol. <laughs> okay. I hope that brings it down. Hopefully. I finally broke down and took some. Mike. You're trying the tough guy thing? <laughs> yeah, that's men. Men don't like to take medicine, right? Well, I always... I, not mine. Mine's like, oh, give me more. <laughs> I have this weird thing, like, I think if I take too much, I'll build up an immunity to it. So I try to save it for when they... <laughs> You're like the Neosporin guy. Oh. They don't, you don't use Neosporin because it makes... Isn't that right? Yes. Like, if you use Neosporin, then later in life, when you have heart problems... The medicines don't work, or something yeah, like that. I didn't is, know that. Is, I've never heard that. I just yeah, want to point out here. That's the latest thing. I heard that from the doctor this week. I just want to point out they, now, for those of you who aren't usually on this podcast, this is how we get off topic. We now have Aspen here, many questions, and we're talking about Neosporin. But continue. This is hilarious. Oh, Jenny, yes. no, continue <laughs> talking about Neosporin. Finish your thought. Well, that's all that. I, that's all there was. I went to the doctor, and I was telling him how I had used Benadryl cream and Neosporin like for some of my hives, trying to get rid of them. And he was like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that later in life. That'll come back, and when you have heart problems, and they put you on like blood pressure medicine, that kind of thing, mm. they're not as as effective. So I was like, "Great, <laughs> whatever. Great. Guess we won't use those anymore." Because I'm like, a, I'm a frequent user of oh both. God, Benadryl cream and Neosporin. You get hurt, you put Neosporin in a bandaid. That's what I've been raised on. But apparently, that's the new bad thing, like Q-tipping your ears. You're not supposed to do that either. <laughs> I do that anyway. Thank you, Jack. Oh, I'm <laughs> See, I know. <laughs> Mike, ask your question. Oh, well, I forgot. The it. only question that popped in my mind right away was I was curious. I know in the uh, when Harry gives the well wish to Draco, there's a little bit where he misreads it as Aspen. I was just uh-huh. curious if that was actually what you based your name on. No, I had used the name Aspen um, previously when I was writing in another fandom. And early on in this story, some reader sent me in a comment and said, oh, I just figured out that if you rearrange Aspen, it spells Snape, which I thought, oh, that's interesting. You know, it was a coincidence, though. But then when I had the well wish, I thought it was you know, clever to just put in that little bit of meta there and <laughs> put the name in. And I had noticed on this list of plants that I was using to base the well wishes on that Aspen actually was supposed to represent eloquence in this system of, you know, plant properties. And I just thought it was cute, so I put it in. Cool. One thing we've learned, Mike, because I know you're just joining us, we all thought she had everything planned out in advance. She knew nothing. She was writing really? about it. She knew she was writing off the seat of her pants. Yeah. I'll give you an example of that. Please. I, I knew early, early on when I had um, Remus, well, Snape polyjuiced into Remus during the moon time going over to Privet Drive, I, I knew that was kind of strange because Remus should be a werewolf at that time. And I thought, well, you know, I might pull that out later and use it for something. It, it's there in reserve if I want to use it later. And I put in lots of stuff like that. And, yeah. and most of it I ended up using so it looks woven together. How stressful was that for you doing? <laughs> how Like, how stressful was that just in terms of writing? Is that your? Would you do that again if you had the opportunity or was that just your No, I would do it again because to me that's fun. I think the reason why I like to write is it's uh, an intellectual challenge. And it was just fun for me to throw out random things and think, oh, you know, maybe I'll use that later on. And then it's a challenge to see where it fits later. 
if that was the case and you kind of uh, didn't have a game plan, out of curiosity, was this always supposed to be a Snape, Harry, Draco story? Or did Draco kind no. of... Uh... It was definitely a Snape adopts Harry story. And I threw Draco in because it was um, it was hard for me to resist the the lure of put in this mysterious character and do you know if his motives are really good or not? And it was fun to swing the story back and forth a number of times, making people think, oh, he actually really is good. And then Harry's interpretation of the same events is different, so maybe he isn't. And to keep that suspense as long as possible is, is why Draco got woven into the story so much. And then in the end, as I was telling them earlier, I felt like I had to make him actually be good and end up being Harry's brother because Snape had trusted him so thoroughly that if Draco was hatching a big plot, it would mean Snape had had bad judgment. And Harry was so insecure about his new family. I didn't want him to have cause to doubt Snape's judgment. How tempted were you at the end in the scene at uh, Lucius's um, vacation home when we realized that there's something that we don't know about the adoption? Uh, Snape and Draco have some type of secret they haven't let Harry in on, which was obviously uh, the fact that Malfoy was still part of his name. But Uh when I was reading it, I didn't think he would be bad, but I thought that he would either be good or I thought that there would be something that he failed at, he wasn't as good as you thought, but it would still be redeemable. I was wondering if you were going to go for like that route a little bit and bring him a little bit more towards the center. Were, were you tempted at all, or did you pretty much know? No. No. After I wrote the Christmas chapter, or the chapter right before Christmas, actually, where Draco does his big confession, and and we find out why he really turned, and it turns out to be a profound enough reason that you know people could believe that he, he had a motive to right. throw over his old life. Um, after I wrote that, there was no going back, and and I never doubted Draco again. And I, you know, and I I thought he would be a normal person with normal emotions and resentful of things that happened later. So he made that tremendous mistake with the poison, right? Mm-hmm. But he was never going to ever betray Harry in any way. Okay. But well- I thought it was fun to have him keep Malfoy as part of his name, and Harry didn't know that. And it's kind of an indication, too, of the limitations of the point of view, that people who are reading it often assume that everything that happens there is the gospel truth, and and this is exactly how everybody felt. Well, no, it's Harry's interpretation of everything. And you find out that there's things Harry doesn't know. He didn't know that Draco hadn't completely given up the Malfoy part of his name. And then you find out when you read Summer, there's a lot of other things about Draco that Mm -hmm. Harry misread during the year. Yeah, we were talking even last night about how how we were talking about the Ron and and, and Hermione kiss in Deathly Hallows, or, or I was talking about it with somebody I don't remember, but um, but that they that Joe had to wait, um, because Harry had to be there to experience it to see it because it's in his point of view, um, exactly, yeah. So, and it, do you ever find that it gets that you have a scene that you really want to happen, but since Harry it doesn't involve Harry. You have to put it on back back burner or have to play it past tense. Like someone's telling him about this thing that happened. I can't think of an example, but yeah, I know that happens quite a bit, but there were things I would rather have told in direct narration, but there was no way to get Harry personally to witness it. It just would have been too contrived. So can can you give an example where there are things you wish you could have told us in year that you didn't get the opportunity to because of that limitation? 
Uh, I can't think of an example offhand. Let me let me think for a minute. Oh, Jen, while she's <laughs> thinking, um, we have to ask her the question last night. Remember when you went off on the McGonagall tangent for like an hour and a half? Um, I slept. <laughs> what, is, what was the question? Jen, and Jen is on time delayed sleep at the moment. We, um, it was the question about Professor McGonagall and did and how close was she to Snape and what were her thoughts of the adoption? Oh, right. Okay, right. And just, and just so we know, everyone, we we, we recorded part. We reported. Um, we recorded part one of this last evening. So when we say last night, we mean the earlier part of this podcast. As well. Okay. Okay, Ryan thinks <laughs> that 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 McGonagall when 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 McGonagall found out about Harry being adopted by Snape, that she would have gone to Dumbledore and raised hell. Yeah, is right. that yeah, she would have seen like Gryffindors can take care of Gryffindors. This isn't good for like Harry. she would have had a big problem. And I was like, oh no, she's mature. She trusts Snape. There would not ever be that kind of argument. But in fairness, by the time you reach the point where Harry's having the problems with Professor Aaron and goes to McGonagall, and by the time you get near the end of the story, McGonagall has softened to it and sees it for what it is. That's my impression of it. Let me yeah. think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did not view the story very much through the lens of McGonagall, <laughs> especially not until later on, you know, when she's directly involved. I can say, you know, Ron reports that when McGonagall came to tell them that Harry was moving to the dungeons, she her words were, for reasons passing understanding, it's been decided that, you know, Harry will be living in the dungeons. Oh, I hate you, Ryan. <laughs> Yeah, that's a bit of a snooty way for her to say it, right? Yes. So you can deduce from that that she wasn't really in favor of this plan. But I don't think she was so upset by it that she would have gone to Dumbledore and raised hell. (laughs) I can see perhaps she might have voiced her concerns to Dumbledore and he would tell her, I know what I'm doing or, you know. And by raise holy hell, what I'm picturing is something. Have Have you seen Goblet of the Fire, the movie? Yeah. I'm sorry. I've but... actually seen Order of the Phoenix. I'm like some people, Ryan. Well, I'm working on them. I, I have to do this whole podcast. Next time. Do you remember the scene? The, what I'm picturing is like the scene when they're all in uh, Dumbledore's office, all the professors, and she's like, the hell with body. Like, th- like that's the type of, I don't mean like she's like grabbing him, you know, and throwing him into a trophy case, but I mean that she's, that she's, um, she, she's stern. She's not trusting him with lemon servant. Um... I, I, I think I lean more toward Ryan on this one, but I, but okay. I don't think McGonagall would have caused huge waves. Eighty-two you know, percent of the time. I oh, I said lean. Right. What can I say? You know, I like she knows Snape. Snape. Well, here's here's what I think. She knows Snape's in the order. She knows Snape's true loyalties. She doesn't have any real worries. You know that that Harry's in some kind of danger by being with Snape. You know, not like Ron had this you know ideous reaction to it. But she also knows the James Potter history, and I think she would have concerns that that Snape can be rational in all of his interactions with Harry and not cutting. You know, and Harry's in a position where he he really doesn't need someone to be cutting to him and cruel. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think she'd be concerned, but not manic about it. Well, let me ask you this, because and then I'm, this is this will be one of my last questions, because I really want to let these guys get into it. And I've got a list. If Mike doesn't pass out, um, <laughs> one, the list she hasn't even started, Ryan. She hasn't even started the list. I know. Or here's my question. Um, now, listening to these podcasts, I told you where I was coming from. I was coming from the canon perspective. It's got the feel real 
like it's an offshoot of the canon. And then, you know, if you're going to convince me that Snape is a father figure, or Draco is a brother, you, you have to do it over the progression, which I think overwhelmingly, I think you succeeded over the course of, of, of the full story. But like, there's also people, so people like me can appreciate the story. You know, people who start from where I am sometimes don't, but then you have people who, like Mike, who they don't like canon fix. They see the universe more towards your, you know, your, your universe. They like, you know, the Snape Harry adoption. They like, you know, the, the, the non-canon ships and so forth. I guess my question is, and hopefully you can figure out where in all of this there's a question. Like, where do you fit into, you know, having read the canon novels and your view of Harry Potter? And, like, were you writing for a specific type of person or were you writing for yourself or like it's just it amazes me that people with so many different impressions can pull a lot from this particular story and like it equally like what what are your thoughts okay i think the way i would answer that is my philosophy of writing is the only thing i can write is my vision and i would get a lot of comments as i was progressing through the story people who were saying oh you should have this you should have that this should happen that should happen it's like, well, the only thing that can happen in the story is, is my vision for, for how I feel about these characters and what I can see them doing. And I can't write anything else. Now, I would have people send me plot outlines of, can you write a story where this and this and this happens? And I say, if that's your vision, you need to write it. I can't write someone else's vision. So um, my basic philosophy of writing is I should write exactly what I want to read. So I guess you'd say I wrote it for myself in a sense. But if I'm not writing exactly what I would want to read, I'm not going to enjoy writing it. So, and I really like rereading my stuff, so I guess I succeeded in writing what I want to read. It's good I like rereading it because I have to reread it a lot to straighten things out in my mind. That's true, because to keep up with everything, especially if you don't have notebooks of notebooks filled with future plot points. That was all I've got is like chat logs. I chat logs where I discuss ideas, but yeah, that's well. It's I'm I'm stepping forward, so <laughs> um, and I and I know that I've sent you the list of everything. Will be a, a bit you everybody's seen them a little bit, but I want our listeners to get a chance to hear the answers. Um, there are times where I can't decide which character I sympathize with most. Um, I think both all of all three of the major characters have very sympathetic backgrounds. Um, do you, uh, do you have a particular soft spot for one? Is there one that you prefer writing to the other? I think I have a soft spot for three and you could probably guess what three. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I could single one of them out above the others. Um, I did feel like after I'd finished writing Year that I had been immersed in Harry's point of view for a really long time. And I knew that there were things about Draco that Harry had vastly misread during Year. And I really wanted to explore those things, which you can only do through Draco's point of view. So uh, anyone who's read Summer knows that some of it's in Draco's point of view and some of it's still in Harry's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um so by the time I finished year, I really, really wanted to get to know Draco more directly. So I, I started writing from his point of view more. But I, I don't think I'd say I have more of a soft spot for him. I, I love all three of those characters. Now, I know that in the world that you created, because in my mind, I do associate it with 
the the world the word world that's really hard to say um <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's what i mean world. Kids, it's thank you aspen thank separate, you <laughs> separate from the hogwarts version in my opinion i mean although it's all J- it's all jkr's playground i consider it a, a different pl- a different place um you put your major characters through some really dark trials which part um of the story do you do you enjoy writing the most do you do you enjoy writing the dark and angsty scenes or like the working through the complicated or like the happy sigh hug moments which you do you know what i mean i think i like working i don't like writing the the dark angsty scenes particularly well i don't hate writing them either but um they're necessary to have other things develop afterwards you know yeah. Um, I think what I really, really like writing is I like writing the emotional angst of the day to day of dealing with issues from your past and, and how they're affecting your present. Like that whole sequence when Harry knows he's going to be adopted, but it hasn't been finalized yet. And he's just having such a hard time figuring out how, what, what to call Snape, how to relate to Snape. He's on tenter hooks because he's worried, you know, the slightest misstep and the adoption could be canceled, which is a ridiculous fear, right? But it is his fear. And, uh, I like writing that. It's just the psychological trauma of, of dealing with real problems. Because that's a problem anyone could have. You, you don't have to live in a magical world to right. experience the angst of an adoption and, and feeling like you might not fit in with your family and all that. And well, that's what I this- like. This leads to my next question. Good job. Um, you chose to write a story about family. Um, obviously that's a very personal subject with anyone. Um, do you ever write real world, world scenarios from your own experience? Do you pull things from? Well, I know you, I'm not Merck's- adopted and I, I don't actually know anyone who's adopted. So I really? couldn't say that, um, it's, you know, the, the basic scenario is from my real experience. But there's little snippets here and there of, you know, some things that come out Snape's mouth are things that my parents said at one point or another. And, and yeah, you work some of your real experiences in there. As a parent, is it is it easier for you to relate to Snape at times? Yeah, I think so. Um, which character do you most relate to? What do you Are you one of those authors that... And I don't mean it as one of those authors. Just generalize. <laughs> one of, of the you authors. people. But do you know what I mean? A lot of authors, they write, and they, they write themselves as a character. And they envision, like J.K.R. envisioned herself as um, one of them. Is a Hermione, right? I was going to say Hermione, and then I thought, wait, what if it's Harry? You're going to sound like a dumbass. But no, um, Hermione. <laughs> Thank and, you for vocalizing uh, your concerns, Jen. Please continue. Well, I don't think I'm... I don't think I am doing that, and I don't think I could do that in a Harry Potter story because the characters are already set for you. She could do it, right, because she can create Hermione around herself, but I have to work with the sketch pad she left after the end of Order of the Phoenix, and and so... I well, try to make those characters be true to themselves, and... So just to clarify, you're not the case witch. 
No. <laughs> and you don't dress like the K-Switch. I just want to be abundantly clear. You do not wear... No, no. I, I tried to put her in the most garish colors possible, and you can believe I would think they're garish because I don't wear them, right? All right. I just wanted to make sure she's not dating Dumbledore because they both seem to... And I'm not Horace Starsweight. I guess that was his name, yeah. Yeah, I guess there were a few originals in there, but no. Okay. Um, one question I just wanted to bring up as well. Um, this is just more of not about the story, but just about your thought of um, something I brought up earlier. You know, this could have been a story about just three random guys living in New York City, you know, who had a really crappy childhood, and they all found each other and kind of made a family. <laughs> well, it could have been, but the fact that it's Harry Potter means a lot. Um, earlier in this episode, um, we had Meg with us, and um, we had Lady Chi, and. For a lot of people, reading this story um, was, you know, just it was an opportune time, you could say, to read the story. Lady G um, was diagnosed with depression while reading the story, you know, as Harry's working through everything, and especially the um, the plot line of the later chapters when Harry's cutting himself. Um, You know, okay, we need to not say cutting when he's not cutting. That last night, we kept going. I heard cutting, you were doing that last cutting, night. He's needling S- himself, he's, okay? He's, I was like, S-I! It's S-I! That's the term but I But then heard. I was thinking Sports People Illustrated. People say cutting all the time, and he, in this, that's not in this story. But okay, okay. I know what you mean. Okay. But, um, you know, self-harm it, issues. Self-harm. I'm the one that's... Oh, it's S-H, oh. maybe. We'll hold you there. Okay, okay <laughs> guy with a fever got one right. Meg knows someone who, you know, has had this... Um, you know, these experiences as well. How much do you think, you know, reading a Harry Potter story to have Harry Potter deal with depression and have, you know, Harry Potter deal with, you know, adoption. How much do you think stories like this, even fan fictions can affect people, you know, in the real world, just going through similar situations? Do you see stories like this as something that can give people hope? Do you intend to do that when you write it? Or is it just a happenstance? I think it's happenstance. My intent to write it was not to be therapeutic to anyone except for Harry himself. Because one of my big goals in writing it, and I alluded to this earlier um, when I said I'd read another adoption story that that I I love and I've reread it several times, but I, I don't think it has Harry experiencing enough psychological issues that he really would have based on books one through five. So one of my big motives in writing it was I felt after reading books one through five, Harry is a very traumatized young child and the canon is not going to deal with it. You know, she she just goes on her track in which this incredibly scarring childhood of living in a closet and everything really doesn't have much of an effect on him. And it would have an effect on a real person. It would have a profound effect that has ripples of waves going through your whole life affecting you. And that's what I wanted to explore is um, how has this childhood affected Harry? And the focus of him being adopted by Snape gives you a point um, that lets the character is forced to deal with these emotions and things that he's always shelved because they were uncomfortable and he didn't want to have to deal with them. Well, he has to deal with them because the adoption doesn't give him any alternative. So so I wanted the story to be therapeutic for Harry because I felt this poor child had been very badly abused by his relatives and he needed to be healed. And if it helps anyone else deal with, you know, psychological issues they're experiencing, then I'm happy. But my goal was to help Harry. Well, there you go. Um, just because, like- you know, if you read Half-Blood Prince and you read Deathly Hallows, 
I read them and I enjoyed them, but they never satisfied the need I had to see Harry healed. Harry doesn't need to be healed in those because he's apparently not noticed any totally of these agree. things that would have affected him. Yeah. yeah. And it's unrealistic, you know, and I know, I know she does that because it's a children's book and her intent wasn't to write a story heavily grounded in the psychological reality of uh, trauma and abuse. But that's what I was interested in. So right. that's how my story came about. And that's why we have fan fiction. No, just to let you know as well, um, Meg from, from the podcast who couldn't be here tonight, unfortunately, did say that she does know someone who's been, you know, suffering through a lot of these issues. And she even mentioned the fact that, that she was just talking about the podcast and about, about your fic. And she even mentioned that there is a story out there about Harry Potter going through these issues. Would that be something that, you know, someone, you know, going through that would, would want to read? And, um, you know, the response back was, yes, I would absolutely want to read that going through it. So it is something that I think has the ability to, you know, impact people and help people. If Harry Potter can do this, so can I, you know, so just something to keep in mind too. Good. Good. Well, no, pressure. no pressure. No pressure at all. No pressure at all. Um, slightly less, not as deep as what we were just talking about, <laughs> but, uh, with, uh, Lupin and Snape, I was wondering, I get the impression sometimes that, um, Snape's problems with Lupin go beyond both his earlier problems with James and his anger at Lupin for abandoning Harry. And that sometimes, I think we have a tendency sometimes to think of Snape as kind of without flaws. But I think one of his flaws is he's almost jealous of Harry. You can tell me if I'm wrong. In the sense that he doesn't want, like his problem with Lupin is more that he doesn't want Harry loving Lupin as much as Harry loves him. If that makes sense. That makes sense, and you're right. There is an element of that there. Um, another one of my goals in writing this was um, I I wanted all the characters to have flaws, you know, because real people do have flaws. And so I, I deliberately made sure that Snape's flaws are evident, you know, not that they weren't in canon, but you see another set of flaws here. So I see Snape as um, he is a little bit insecure with um how Harry regards him sometimes, and, and he's worried that because Lupin had a positive relationship with Harry much earlier than Snape ever did, if Harry has a lot of contact with Lupin, that could displace some of his feelings towards Snape, which it's not, I mean, just like some of Harry's fears, I don't think that's a realistic fear. I don't think Harry would react that way, but Snape is worried about it, yeah. And he, uh, one other one of his issues with um, Lupin is Snape took pride in his position in the order that he was the only one who was in Voldemort's inner circle. He was the important spy. You know, we know from like Prisoner of Azkaban that it was important to him to get that order of Merlin, to have that recognition that he's a hero too, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so he was always very proud of himself. And now that's been taken away and Lupin has taken that place and he has anger issues with Lupin's the one who's going to get the accolades and the orders of Merlin and the honors. So he's jealous of Lupin on a number of levels. Yeah, because it's one of those things that you really can't tell from Harry's perspective. But it was interesting in the epilogue to get some um, to get some Snape perspective in there. And I under I haven't read beyond the epilogue, but I know that in summer and maybe in uh, year seven you'll get some Draco perspective and some Snape perspective and some other perspectives in there. But one thing I found was very interesting was it seemed like you could have told the story you know completely over again. From, from Snape's perspective, because there was so much happening with him that year that you never saw because Harry never noticed. 
So I thought and that... I have had people ask me to do that. I have had many requests. Can you please rewrite the whole thing from Snape's point of view? That shouldn't take you long. That shouldn't take you long. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going. I think I'd rather write year seven than do year six again. Especially when we know all the main developments that will happen, you know? One shot. <laughs> oh, you know, but that brings up a question I had for you, Ryan. I okay. have been curious all along if when you finished reading this story, if you would have any interest in continuing into the sequel. I actually... Uh, we're yesterday, st- yesterday. Yeah, we're actually... Um, we are earlier in this podcast, even, for those of you listening to it in chronological order. Um, I actually did load chapters one through five of Summer onto my iPod. I'm, we're going to be reading Shoebox next, but I'm going to try and fit it in. I actually am interested in continuing because one of the one of the oh, reasons that's good to hear. yeah because one of the reasons i re, one one of the big things in fan fiction is that i like to get into a new universe and explore characters from a different perspective and from my perspective this is very different so it's interesting for me to read plus i always like someone on the forum the other day had a great way of describing this it's kind of like you know when people come off of the space station you know and they're in space for a while they can't walk when they get back to earth there's this like downtime so if you read a universe for a while then you try and jump into a new fic there's that you know adjustment period where you're trying to forget the fact that you know snape is a good guy and draco is the brother and you have to try and reset yourself so i try and stay in the same universe as long as i can so hey if you're right if you're going up to chapter 118 i'll keep reading (laughs) so but i actually so so i am going to continue onward yes okay good to know i don't know if you were asked this question already but i was curious as someone who's uh reading along and I read your little author notes at the end of your chapters with, um, is it Mercrate, Merc City? Merc How was actually, Mercredi. see, it's not just me and he has a fever. So it'll be nice. anyway, but yeah, on. so I was wondering, I get the sense sometimes it seems like, um, more so than in some other fix, she has a more active, proactive role in the story that it sounds like she writes certain sections or she's much more involved in the creative process more than just baiting. So I wonder if you oh, do she's that. not just a beta. No, she's really, really involved in the creation of it. Yeah. And she wrote some good sections of chapters in the later part of year. Oh, and you can tell which chapters have really direct contributions to the actual narrative because I'll, I'll put her in the author credit for those chapters. Oh, there's something I wanted to ask you. Hang on. Let me find this thing here. It's in one of your... But anyway, to answer Mike a little more, um, yeah, Mercury and I would just chat for hours and hours and hours about every chapter as we went along and brainstorm ideas off each other. And, and you know, that word synergy where, you know, you're better as a team than you are as two separate individuals. That's really, really true for this story. And we can't even remember the two of us. Sometimes we can't remember who exactly thought of this or that development because the project was so synergistic. I have a question for you. In the author's notes of chapter 90, you, you're, you're, you're referencing, you know, how, how Mark really came up with some great ideas, and you say one of your original plot ideas involves... I know what this is going to be. Go on, go on. So it involves somebody acting like a cross between Dracula and the giant spider. <laughs> what the hell were you going knew, to do? <laughs> I knew that was what you were going to say as soon as you started reading me notes. Okay, um, the, cha- the scene is where... Draco um, walks in to talk to Professor Aaron to get his amulet back, and he finds out that Lucius is in the room, and the door closes, and Harry's trapped in the hallway. And I forget now the exact circumstance of why I thought I needed to do this. I was trying to solve some kind of 
detailed plotting problem. And at one point, everybody don't laugh. Oh, God, you're all going to laugh. At one point, I thought that Lucius Malfoy would be <laughs> clinging to the ceiling above the door, like kind of hanging like a spider at the ceiling level. And when Draco, or maybe it was when Harry came in, I can't remember which, but he was going to like pounce down on him. <laughs> and I, <laughs> capture him. <laughs> okay. And honestly, I cannot remember why I thought that was necessary. At, at some point, I, I did think I would need to go that way, right? Uh-huh. And I was chatting <laughs> with Mercury about it, and she was, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're not doing that. We can solve your problem another way. This is like friends don't let friends wear plaid. It's kind of like yes, a simpler. It was one of those moments, exactly. I got you. That's hilarious. Yeah, so... And I'm sure there's there's probably other weird things I thought of that she she stopped me from doing, but um, because I didn't put in author's notes like that all the time, I can't think of any others. But I know that wasn't the only weird thing she saved it's me. It's tough from. to forget, Dra- you know, Dracula and the giants. I kind of like Spider-Man, Lucius. I like that. <laughs> that would be you should cool. really go somewhere with that. Oh, I think Dracula because his cape was going to be hanging. You know, I just have to dramatically. I just have to ask a real fast question, Jen. Then I'll turn it back over to you for some final questions. Um, whose idea was it to put um, statue Lucius underneath the owlery where the owls fly and poop? <laughs> I, you know, I hate to answer that because I honestly, I can't be totally sure. I think that was my idea. Okay, good, because I, I now have, I am legally required under both state and federal law to name my firstborn after you. Listen to the last podcast <laughs> to find out why. All right, <laughs> I know for sure. I remember that I thought of um, having the spell where the flowers bloom around the statue and we were going to make them be pansies. I remember I thought of that. Um, oh, I think I decided to put him under the allergy. But, you know, I, like I said, it, it could have been Mercury because the way we bounce ideas off each other, we lose track of who We're going to pretend what. it to you because there's no way if my kid's name is Mercury I'll ever be able to remember their name. So we're or pronounce it. <laughs> so. This is my child, Mercedes. My wife hits me in the back of the head. All right. How do you say it? <laughs> Gen fire. Oh, um, oh. Oh. Um, you have 284 questions. I know, and I had it on the, my mind. Go, go, go. I have to prioritize them. There you go. I know. Okay, Aspen, I want to know, who or who or how did you come up with the idea of having Harry use parcel tongue for his magic? Since he doesn't have uh, I thought of that anymore. early on, and unlike some things in the plot... When I posed the problem of, you know, like, what is the key to his magic? You know, no one can figure it out. I knew already it was going to be parcel tongue, and I was just waiting for the right time to let Harry find that out. Um, I guess I don't know how I thought of that. I don't think I had read it anywhere before. It just it seemed like I was um, focusing on his dark powers, and I had claimed that parcel tongue was one of these dark powers, and it just made sense to me that that would be the key. But I couldn't say, you know, really how I analyzed it, how I came to that conclusion. Well, that right. sort of leads me to my question. Sort oh, of. Go, go ahead. I don't care what you're saying. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt oh, you. No, I, I really didn't. Oh, no, no, you're fine. I was just wondering if Sal's was ever originally meant to be, or might still be, I don't know, a Voldemort plant. Because I know that, <gasps> you know, no. no. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. People suspected that all along, and that was okay with me for them to have this 
you know, feeling of uncertainty and, and wondering if there's a deeper story there. But the honest truth about Sal's is Sal's was my attempt to um, do a little therapy on myself, actually, that time, because I don't like snakes very much. And I thought, well, if I could write, like, the cutest snake in the world who's so adorable and da-da-da, maybe I'll get over my snake phobia. Did it work? <laughs> That's what Sal's was all it's about. Like no, I don't think it works. Well, the, so the, that, the, so the when Draco was probably going to help you. <laughs> What's really, really funny about Sal's is I had read several stories where Harry did end up with a pet snake, and he could talk to a snake in parcel tongue all the time, and they became best friends and all this stuff. And when I started writing here... One of my things in my head was there is no way I am going to do this. There, he's not getting a pet snake. I'm not going to do that. Too many stories do that. And then, sure enough, Harry got I a pet snake. snake. <laughs> I did think. <laughs> I did think. tongue is too fun to exploit. You know. I actually did think oh, that Sal's was a plant, but then again, I am brilliant. I am, I am brilliant. Eighty-two percent of the time, Jen. This was in the other eighteen. It was right well, next to the, the garden gnome. Yeah. I didn't think that Sal's could be a plant because my view of the warding on number 12, Grimmauld Place, is that um, nothing evil that intends harm to Harry could be introduced into that house. Sal's has a memory charm, so he doesn't remember being a plant. Well, Sal's is a she to begin with. Damn, and damn, damn, I don't think damn. Every plant would get you around that. Oh, good God. I don't think right, so. Oh, but there was that. something else I was going to tell you interesting about Sal. This answers another one of Jen's questions that she sent me. She said, yes. uh, who came up with the legs like broken eggs incantation for the partial oh, yes. version of jelly legs jinx, right? And yes. um, Mercury and I, we spent lots and lots of time in chat trying to figure out partial tongue versions of things. And that was hers, because I emailed her and I said, okay, a snake is not going to know the word like jelly. Snakes don't eat jelly. What is in a snake's world view? You know, we were always trying to make it like from the point of view of the snake. How would a snake describe things to make the parcel tongue? Because to me, that seemed logical. And Mercury came up um, with that, that, that it would be legs like broken eggs, because a snake would be familiar with eggs. That makes perfect and sense. That's one of that's just a piece of her brilliance right there. I'm picturing your daily schedule. Where are you going now? I'm going to find you know parcel tongue words for broken legs. Be back I know that my, I I had a question about the same thing. Like, is when y'all come up with all the little specific um, world oriented p- points, like the well wish or. Um, some pure blood background, like the, the candle. I really love the candle scene at Christmas. Um, how the candle was Mercury and the well wish was mine. Yeah. How do you come anyway, up with such original? Ooh, ooh. Okay. What? The main way I come up with them is things occur to me as I'm in the process of writing. Honestly, most of the story is, I was sitting there typing away, working my way through a scene, and it would suddenly cross my mind, wouldn't it be neat if, and I'd like the idea and I'd work it in, and the well-wish was one of those. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Why did Ryan, why did you go ooh-ooh like a monkey? I I thought of a great question, but I think we answered it on the podcast last night. Hmm. My question real fast, and then we're going to, maybe we'll just do like a final thought and question per person here, because we actually have to run in a few minutes, but um, my question was, 
if all of Draco's possessions were essentially repossessed. I heard this on the last episode I listened to. I don't know why you got so hung up on that. Uh, okay, <laughs> let me point out, Jang over oh here got once hung up on a boat from the seventh Horcrux for like three days. All right. No, my question was I will tell, you, I will tell you the details on that, okay? Right. When Draco is expelled and he has technically broken the terms of the trust, which was providing him his separate income. Um, the terms of the trust said that all of the money re- still remaining in the vault, whatever he hadn't spent, right, would revert to the Malfoy estate. So it goes back to Lucius. And anything that he has purchased with that money that is still in his possession will also go back to Lucius. So he could have given... And that's an important point because... He gave Harry a shirt for Christmas. Yes, that was my Which question. is really important later. Mm-hmm. Harry still has to have that shirt. It, things don't vanish if he's given them away. So, Wait, that shirt vanish if he's later? eaten them and they've been digested either, you it's know. It's the not one. It's the one with, it's the shirt he's wearing when not attacks him. He, Jen's he, ears, like, perk up whenever she says, that's an important part later. I'm like, really? No, it, it was from Do the... Do you remember the shirt Harry's wearing to Hogsmeade where he can tap the buttons to change yeah. colors? Yeah. Oh, and right. it'll change the buttons to snake emblems, and he needed that. So if Draco, if Draco signed over all of his worldly possessions to Snape before his expulsion... But he couldn't. See, I covered that. He, the terms of the trust were very specific, and he had only nominal control. He was allowed to spend a certain amount. He couldn't take all the money out of that vault. He couldn't will it to someone else. All right. All because, I can and say I think is- he's I just need, like, on a completely different subject, the next time I move, you're doing the closing on my house. That's all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) I had to put it that way, though, because these guys are very smart. You know, they're probably abnormally smart in the story. I've heard people comment on that. They would have thought of that. If he's worried about losing his money because he's expelled, he would have given it all to Snape to avoid that, right, before he's expelled, if it were possible. But the terms of the trust only gave him nominal control. That, okay. that was a word I had to look up. Oh, and to answer the question that I heard you asking on that episode, uh-huh. um, if he had been wearing all things that were purchased himself, this is gotta be Jen, instead of purchased by Lucius, he would have ended up not wearing anything, yeah. Oh, baby. Jen would like to it talk to you about It was just luck of the draw <laughs> that most of his clothes he had on at that moment were Lucius' purchases instead of Speaking his own. of Draco. Oh, God. Well, Draco... My, I have to tell you, my one huge hope for this story is that Draco and Hermione get together. Because he said she was cute. <gasps> and Jen, you know, and Jen came back that. from the dead, so we have to, we have to give, we have to give I know. Jen what she wants. So. Every time I'm like, there, you see? There, it's a hint. And Ryan's like rolling eyes. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It could I be. have revised the story. I just want to tell you this, okay? I have revised the story. So that when I read my draft here at home, it's not exactly the same as the one that's posted because I haven't had a chance to go upload the um, revised chapters. It's just so much work. Anyway, though, I just thought I'd mention I was told in very specific terms after I had that um, Draco says you're cute line that cute is an Americanism and it really didn't fit the British world. So now he says she's pretty. Just so you know. (gasps) Oh, that's even better. Just so, you, and she's Pretty not smart so anymore. She's clever because clever is more of a British term. See, right? So Draco right. said she's smart and clever. Anyway, sorry, and, and clever and pretty. pretty in the final version. 
Anyway, your oh, question. That's awesome. Jen can't remember. Oh, no, no, no. I well, obviously, I'm hoping that in the future, Draco will at some point wear leather of some sort. And <laughs> and I have to say, my, my I hope, I don't know if you're planning on future romantic interests with the characters, but my two cents are that I hope that Draco and Hermione get together. Maybe. I know that's your two cents. <laughs> I'm always like, Aspen. She's like, Jen, together? I got the package. I understand. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not willing to give out, you know, spoilers about the end of the story. And, um, okay, part I of know. that is because I don't think that JKR does that. You know, people no. who demand to know the pairing before they read the story. Well, I didn't see a note in Half-Blood Prince telling me it was a Harry Ginny before I started, you know. Right? So That's I don't do that. Um, but I will no, say I that there's definite room to maneuver, okay? How about that? She writes things openly, folks. I'm going to say, it, just, it cracks me up when people demand to know the pairing. I won't read the story oh, unless no, I know in advance that it's Draco Luna. Because no one does that with the canon books. You, you never knew what the pairings were going to be, right? Right. Well, well so far, I mean, did. there's not really, this isn't a, this is a family fake. There's, it's not a ship fake. And it I think it's not romantic. That, that's focused, important. No. I mean, if they did hook up or if they didn't, it's, it wouldn't, it still wouldn't be a ship because if, that's not what it's about. If he wrote a Harry Snape fic, you get a whole different class of. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's an adoption fic. Adoption. That's the key word. Okay. My, my, my last and final question is your fic is extremely popular. What do you think is its major appeal to the readers in the fandom? And why do you think some people have a hard time accepting the story? And why do you think some people fall in love and become like me, stalkers of you forever? Okay. I think it all goes back to both point of view about Severus Snape. I think that. Many, many readers, myself included, we could see from reading the canon that Harry and Snape, um, there's, you just end up with this yearning for these two to get along. It seems like they could do each other a world of good if they could just learn to get along. And to be honest, I was so hoping for that in Deathly Hallows. You know, that scene where... Um, Snape is admitting to Dumbledore, you know, various things about always having loved Lily and whatever. That wasn't enough for me. I needed to see him talk to Harry. I needed that emotionally, and I never got it from the canon. So I think it's very popular because a lot of people feel that way, that they like these two characters, and they, they think these two characters could be good for each other. Um, and they want to see that. So so they go for fix that, that show them that. And, you know, there's a number of other Six, where Harry adopts Snape. I'm um, sorry, Snape adopts Harry. I've and read one of them. Very, yeah. very popular. There's, there's some other ones that are fantastically popular too because it fulfills this need that people have. They know Snape is good, and they want to see him do some good for Harry. Um, but Did then, you notice? You know, to answer the opposite part, I think there are people who can't stand reading that type of fic because their basic view of Severus is very negative, and they don't want to see him portrayed sympathetically. Okay, I just want to finish really quick. Did you did you notice a an increase of readers after Deathly Hallows? I mean, do people um, besides us d- besides <laughs> us do people are you finding that because people feel like they didn't get what they wanted in Deathly Hallows? Is it Hallows or Hollows? No, I can't remember. Hallows. Anyway, Hallows. Sorry, Hallows. Hallows. Because the okay. word is hallowed, you know. But anyway, I didn't right. notice. Um, you know, there's been an 
a continuing stream of new readers coming on and leaving me comments. And, you know, so I know new people are starting it, but I, I didn't notice a spike or anything like that. Mm. I, okay. You know, and you got to realize, too, I would estimate there are at least one million Harry Potter fanfics out there on the Internet. Oh, at least. Wouldn't expect that people who were disappointed by some aspect of the final book, I wouldn't expect they would all find one story <laughs> and glomp onto it. There's just so much to choose from. Well, give Jen some credit. Jen is trying. I know. I, how many people have I got to read the story? Can I just tell I'm you, like... Jen, you put this in the podcast earlier. Jen and I made an agreement back in February that she would read yeah. one of my fics and I would read one of hers. And mine, I think, was the Psychic Serpent trilogy, and she read it in three days. And hers was, that she wanted me to read, was this fic called A Year Like None Other. I finished it last night around 7.43, so I just want to point <laughs> out the fact that Jen is a better friend I than I am. I started reading the Psychic Serpent trilogy. You yeah, have? I, I hadn't ever, I have started it. Yeah, I'm in the first book, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of progressing slowly through it because I don't have a lot of time to read. Um, but I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah, that's a good recommendation, too. You'll like the second story. The second part is my favorite. Team contrast to Ryan. Just spoil it for me now. Is there adoption? Do I ever see an adoption here? Uh, oh, interesting. Keep reading. You see a Oh my goodness! I was so sure he would say no. Uh, well, <laughs> it's one of those things where yes and no. So just it's... yes and no. Now that's a fascinating answer. Well, there. I'm a very fascinating person. Eighty-two percent of the time. Mike, what's the question? Now, now I'm going to have to stop writing so much and read no, more. No, Everyone bad, Ryan. Bad. Jen read the oh, thing. In can I days. give Can I give out another story recommendation? Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Um, this is one that's still in progress, but I've been reading it for a while and um, eager for new chapters, and it's really, really good. Anyway, it's called. Better be Slytherin. I love that one. That is a fantastic. You like that too? It's on fanfiction.net, and it it involves um, Harry being sorted Slytherin and Snape having to learn to deal with him. You know, it's it's you know like I'm telling you, even though I don't think there's going to be an adoption in that story, the same basic need is being addressed for people who want to see Harry and Snape get along, right? Yes. Of course, I never would have pegged Ryan for one of these people. Who knew? <laughs> okay. Possible. Anybody else have a final question? Yes, two final questions. Final. Absolutely. Oh, um, Mike, why don't you go, and then we'll close out with Kira. Thank you. Cool. Okay. Uh, my first question was, I know this is based, it diverges after book five, but I was curious, yeah. after you read book six or seven, is there anything you take from those books that you now weave in or add into the story just because you think it's a useful part of the universe? Oh, yes. Um the unforgivable, no, no, not unforgivable. What do they call the unbreakable vow? Yeah, I know that. But that you know, that. at the end, I use the unbreakable vow. I, I wouldn't have done that if um, Half Blood Prince hadn't come out because I wouldn't have thought of it. Right? I thought it was a very useful technique they had for making vows, so I, I worked that in. Um, and you know what's ironic is I wrote the chapter on Hostilian where you give Snape's backstory yeah, for my art, universe. Artist. I wrote it. Two weeks before Half-Blood Prince came out. And as soon as Half-Blood Prince came out and I read it, I was like, oh, gosh, I just gave Snape a different father <laughs> with a different <laughs> story. And this is all about Snape's father. And I was, you know, beside myself. 
Um, cause it was too late to go back and change it all. And plus, you know, I had made him a pureblood all along, so it was way too late to change any of that. But, um, I found it ironic that half-blood prince, which I never ever expected in a billion years to give me details on Snape's father, right? I never expected that. Right. And it did, and it did right after I had done my own version of Snape's father. <laughs> <laughs> One of those, you know, going to kick yourself. Apart from the unbreakable vow, I can't think of anything else I pulled from Half Blood Prince, but um, I'm sure there are things, you know, mm. that there just are. Because the whole, the whole universe she created, it all blends together in my mind, and I just pick and choose things that I find it's interesting. It's harder for it's harder for the readers, I think. I know that I like. Um, I was talking, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was like, yeah, you know, the well wish from canon. And I like mix and match things that really didn't happen. And it's hard for I, me to disassociate what's real now versus what's. What, I, Brian I've had and I other had a, people yeah, do things do. like that. Yeah. I, I had someone once comment to me something about, um, Scaraticate Solve, you know, which erases the scars. And, uh, they clearly oh, yeah. thought it was from Canon. And I had to say, you know, uh, no, that one was mine. Well, we did that because <laughs> but we. It does, it, no, I'm sorry. It'll we, mix together in your head. Yeah, because we re- we read the seventh Horcrux by Melinda Leo, and then Canon came out, and the joke is is that Melinda guessed oh. like eighty five down to like lines so of dialogue. Right. She nailed. So, aside from the fact that you know Snape is an emerging like down bastard. to Jenny's dress color at the wedding, like it was crazy. And like and n- now it's oh, like as we're trying to look back, we're trying like I'm remembering lines of dialogue from Deathly Hallows that were actually in the seventh Horcrux. It, it was like crazy. line for okay, line. Okay, I have I have to say. I have to say uh, this now here oh for the record, okay? Yes. This is there important, okay? And I'm telling you the honest truth. Believe me, it is true. There is a scene in the next chapter of um, The Summer Like None Other, which is, you know, coming out as soon as I can finish writing the thing. I have had this scene in my head for at least a year. I've, you know, known that this is going to happen, right? And it, it really echoes something that did happen in Deathly Hallows. And I was talking to someone about it the other night, and they were going, are you worried that people are going to say, you know, you copied this idea from Deathly Hallows? And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't. And there's nothing I can do about it if people want to believe I did. And and besides, you know, I am copying what, how many characters offer. So what am I going to do? But when you read it, those of you who are going to read it, you'll probably know what I'm talking about when you see what happens. and, And you can... Remember, you heard it here first. I thought of that before I read Deathly Hallows, okay? I'm going to spend the next week, two weeks, whatever it is, uh, trying to figure out, guess what it's going to be. <laughs> I just hope it can be two weeks and not two months, because I'm really having a hard time finding Don't make it right two months. To... These people are going to hate me thinking I sent you off to read all of Psychic Serpent, which is huge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just having trouble finding writing time lately, but okay. Uh, Mike, did you finish or did you have one more? Oh, yeah, I had one other. I was going to ask you, I guess, the uh, standard interview question, which is just that um, I know we have all these. It seems in our forum that everyone there tries to write fanfic, and you're kind of like, if this is real life, you're like the number one New York Times bestselling author who gets like the made-for-TV movies and everything. <laughs> so I, was wondering, I don't what, think so, but okay. <laughs> so, like, what advice would you give to people who are just, you know, starting off or trying to find their feet? in this sort of genre? Um, well, I gave this advice earlier a little bit um, to another question, but my best advice is you have to write the story that you would enjoy reading, and you have to write the vision that you see in your head 
for how things should go and what people should say and how they should act. Because I feel that that's the only story you can write well. It's the one you really believe in and the one you really long for. And you try and write somebody else's vision, I think you'll give up on writing it. You know, there's a lot of works in progress that get abandoned. I wonder how many of those the author started trying to write to the audience instead of write her own vision. And, and you just, you lose interest in your own story that way, I think. So write your vision. That's my advice. That's good advice. That's really good advice. I'm very moved by this. I'm I'm not just saying that. It sounds fake, but I really am. Kira, what's your question? Yes, well, it's kind of a question, but it's more of just a general statement. You, Aspen, and I, we have talked about this a couple of times before, because I remember the first time I met you, I was beyond excited. I was practically screaming because, you know, my absolute favorite author ever was you know, writing to me and talking to me. Sounds like January. <laughs> I had that moment several times. Around like 7.45. <laughs> and I remember you, you know, we, I kind of asked you about that, and you were saying how so many people, you you guess, are intimidated to approach you because people, you have so many fans, but so few of them actually come forward and introduce themselves. And I don't know, how do you feel about that, really? Because, I mean... Well, I don't know if they're intimidated or if it just wouldn't occur to you to try and get in closer contact. I mean, how many of us would think of uh, trying to find JKR in chat? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think it just doesn't occur to people, really. Right. But, um, what exactly is your question, though? I'm not sure I follow it. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just wondering, because, like, I remember you were telling me that, you know, you would love to meet more of your fans, but, you know, so few of them actually come forward and say very much to you. They talk amongst themselves, but, I don't know, you feel almost like a little disconnected from them and do you sometimes you know, because people will, people will come on to make one or? comment to me like oh i love chapter 18 squeeze and, and then and then they'll never chat with me again <laughs> <laughs> it's like dude okay. I'd, I'd love to talk to you more <laughs> I, I don't know what causes that i don't know i was just wondering if you would you know encourage people to come forward and say hi who might not otherwise because they've think you might be too busy or not really care because I remember I used to think that at one point it's like oh if I ever said anything she wouldn't give a hoot I'm just like one in a million but yeah I'm you know, look thousands where it's of brought me. <laughs> so and no any anyone who wants to get in touch with me it's not hard to do you can leave a review on the story and leave your email address and I'll email you probably when I have time <laughs> or you know I'm on the Yahoo group and I reply to people lots of times there too and I don't, I don't you think emailed I'm me back a few times, actually. I don't I know if you probably don't you a few times? Yeah, I was... No, I, was I, I can't say I remember those individual ones. About were you, the, were you uh, on the Yahoo group? Yeah, with the wands, and I was talking about, like, switching wands and the, uh... Whatever. Oh, just recently, with the the most recent chapters. Yep, yeah, yeah. I'm okay, new... good. Yeah, oh, I know I that when I... know that the mic from the forum was someone from the Yahoo group, too, yeah. I know that when I first got in touch with, with, with Aspen, I had saved, I thought it was such a big deal that she had written back to me when, when I posted like in college and I had saved those emails and I was like, look, you wrote me this. And I was like posting and like showing her what she, and she was like, yeah, I I remember (laughs) not, (laughs) who were you again? No, (laughs) but it was really great. (laughs) I was, I get so many messages that it it becomes a bit blurry. Yeah. it's it's fun to talk to people. I love to talk about the story. I have one, last, I have one last question for you. 
Now, you, uh-huh. you said before you were sitting, you know, with Mark one day and, and you know, you, it was suggested, hey, if you like this story idea so much, go write it yourself. Well, you wrote, you know, 97 chapters and you are, you know, partway in the middle of a trilogy, essentially. What do mm-hmm. you know now that you didn't know before? What, like, what wasn't the way you expected? Like, give us the before and after. What's different that... I'm, I'm you mean sure. how the plot turned out? No, not necessarily the plot. Maybe something, you know... Just you being in the fandom. Yeah, maybe happened. being in the fandom. Take it any way you want. Maybe the fandom, maybe, you know, the story, you know, changed, you know, entirely from what you may have expected it to have turned out to be. Um, just what do you know, or maybe even about yourself, you know, having done this? What do you know now that you didn't know when you started? Well, I didn't know I could write a story that would be as popular as this. Because um, I wrote in this other fandom... And I get, I did get, um, uh, some compliments for my stories, but it was a small fandom to begin with. And I, I had no idea that there were so many people out there hungry for Harry Potter fanfic. <laughs> um, the audience is just enormous, the people that are interested in reading Harry Potter fanfic, you know. So it was a big, uh, shock to me when I realized how many people were reading each chapter. You know, you put something up on the <laughs> internet and you, you don't know how many people are reading it. <laughs> um, it might be 10 people, right? And then you come back the next day and there's 200 reviews on your latest chapter and you're like, oh, wow, a bunch of people are reading it. Does that help you continue writing? Um, knowing does, that people are reading? It really, really helps me continue writing. It's difficult for me to continue a storyline when I don't have anybody reading it and I feel like I'm the only one interested in it. Now I know I said write your vision, write for yourself, write what you want to read, but it's difficult when you're the only one involved in the project to keep that interest up. That's true. So, you know, like I've written some original novels and I some of them I are works in progress that got abandoned and some I finished. But you know, the one I finished the most efficiently Mercury was actually reading it too. So I had somebody to bounce ideas off of and, and keep my interest high, you know. Can we read those at all? I know. I was like, can you, you know, post I, here? I, I, I would love to get uh, one of my original novels published, and I've been working on that, but it's really, really difficult yeah. to get published. So, so if you know That's anybody who, who can get me published, <laughs> drop me a line. <laughs> awesome. Well, okay. I think we're um we're kind. Of, I think I get the sense that we could go on for 17 hours and if you've heard any yeah a lot podcasts, of people asked them like my list and so i didn't have to ask them all exactly well well they well jen did send it's me the first purpose. 20 questions so i stole most of her questions i feel i feel like we could go for like seven hours so i know this isn't the last time we're well, talking to because there's so much i hope not yeah because there's so much uh, more we could even ask um but if we don't want oh it's fun yeah it's yeah. very fun if we don't want the podcast to be 12 hours long we should uh end here for the night i just want to thank you um you know personally just you know on behalf of the podcast it's one thing to you know write a story like you said and put it online and see oh my god 200 people read this it's another thing to listen to literally like what like 33 hours of people talking about you know every like line of the story and why did she write it that way and why did she write it this way and then if you wrote it that way we would have asked you why you didn't write the other i mean it's it's a difficult thing to to probably have to listen to you know there's praise there's criticism it's it's definitely being under a spotlight for like 11 weeks i just want to thank you for putting up with that because it's like like i'm I say, you know, oh, I definitely would love it if someone did that about something I created, but it's definitely going to be difficult. So thanks for 
bearing with that um, for all of these weeks. Well, you know, it's nerve-wracking at times, but I have really, really enjoyed listening to the podcast. So I wanted to thank you for putting the project together. Hey, no problem. Jen, you know, basically, you know, bribed me and she put something in my coffee and and, and it kind of went from there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I had an answer to a question that you asked on the very, I think it was the very first episode. Okay. Awesome. Well, I remember the question then, so what's the answer? (laughs) I remember this from so long ago. Um, you had asked when Harry and Snape first go up to Dumbledore's office to deal with the issue of the letter that Harry has now just read because Snape made him write. Um, you asked, how did Snape and Dumbledore, uh, seem to, to know what the plan was already without having discussed it? And did Snape go in first and mapped out a plan with Dumbledore and then they let Harry come in? You remember that question? Yes. You're going to say it was... opened, everybody was already in the office, and you didn't know what might have happened between chapters. What's the message? My um, idea on that was I was actually trying to show that Snape and Dumbledore had worked together so closely and for so long that they knew how the other one thought. So they were almost anticipating each other in that scene, and they would immediately, each of them know they were thinking of Lupin as, for the polyjuice, and okay. maybe it doesn't work, but that that was my intention there. Well, that one was in the eighteen percent that I get wrong because I think I was the one who came up with the door idea. So, but it made sense to me that they they wouldn't need to map out a plan in detail; that they could just sort of develop it naturally together because they work together so much in the order that they're I, used to doing that. I can Thinking see on that. the fly. I can I can I anyway, can see I thought that. I'd mention that. Okay, maybe it's like eighty twenty. Maybe it's not like eighty twenty. Maybe it's more like eighty twenty. <laughs> no, we can knock you down a few <laughs> few notches more if we try. Can oh, we? let's. Oh, I'm sure we have plenty of time for that later, though. I mean, he's <laughs> like, you better wrap this up. Yeah. No, <laughs> the theme music cuts in right here. Uh, <laughs> um, so that's me. Does anyone else? I'm sure everyone else here probably wants to like just say something before we close out. Just thoughts on the fic or messages to Aspen or anything? Does anyone else want to just close out? I will. Um, <laughs> shut up. You're making me sound like some crazy person. Oh, yeah. Um, no, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, no, I just want to say um, a great big thank you, Aspen, for writing this fake number one and to being really, being an open author. And when I say open author, I mean one that is there for it. I think one of the first things that inspired me to keep reading the story was the feedback that you gave your readers on the Yahoo group. Like I thought it was so cool. Like that was, you were the first author I saw that made themselves available to the public, which I know that that makes you sound like you're on a pedestal or something, but there are so many fan fiction writers where you don't, you don't have any connection to them as a person. And, and as such, you don't, you can't, it's, it's different. And so I just want to say thank you for, being making yourself available um, for this kind of thing, getting to know your readers, and and I know that Kira and I are probably a purple of where it gets you. Um, I, I started reading your story years and years ago, and I, I never envisioned actually talking to you in person. And here I am, four years later. And it only and, took and four talking. years. I know. Well, I mean, to me, that is something extremely incredible, and the fact that you've captivated. A lot, ton, not just me, but lots of people's attentions for that long. It's just, it's really, it's really something. And so, thank you. Oh well, I have a great time discussing things with readers, so I, I really enjoy it too. 
makes a fun party. No. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you have anything? Just, uh, I love your story. I, I first found it. I sat down and read it through the whole night until I was done. And I've been addicted Did to you it. Ever. Wait, Wait, you read the whole thing in one day? I know. I was like, I took off from school for like three days. Well, I stayed up <laughs> through the night. Like, I remember like, I, oh, I started like when you found it, was it a completely finished story already? A year like none other was finished and you were on like chapter 15 of summer, I think. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's a lot to read at once. Wow. No, he's done this before. I've had the same <laughs> thing happen. Something not right with him. I was all, like, addicted to it. I'm like, I can't stop. It's 3 a.m. It's 4 a.m. I have to keep going. You know, that's one of the things that happens to me that slows me down writing is I'll have to go back and look up the detail, and I will find it, but I'll get sucked into reading the story, and I'll just, like, read it for four hours. and Oh, well, there goes my writing time. Because I really, really enjoy it, too. So I can relate. Kira, you want to get us out of here? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you. I mean, Jen covered a lot of what I was going to thank you for, but... Wow, I mean, yeah, thank well, you Well, it's been great no, getting no. to know both of you. I know. Yeah, I, I think we have a great time. Thank you for letting me be a part of anything. I mean, I feel so honored. You have absolutely no idea, but... <laughs> And I mean, even down to like, you know, uploading chapters on different sites and, you know, recording MP3. Oh, yeah. I have, to, I have to give some thanks now to I Kira. I, I have to give thanks to Kara because um, I had wanted to get the story posted on um, Potions and Snitches as well as the other sites it's on. And oh, I, just, I, like I that really site. seriously did not have time because. People who haven't done it maybe can't understand that uploading 97 different chapters is, is no joke. I mean, it is really time-consuming. And Kira did it for me. She loaded the whole story onto the third site, and we should all give her a round of applause. Yay, Kira! <laughs> that that was really helpful. It really was. No, you don't understand. It was. That is the most. That is the most like edited current version, isn't it? Yes, it is. If you go to Potions and Snitches, that is the closest version to what I actually have on my own computer. Um, I'm planning to replace the chapters on Skyhawk with my new ones. And, you know, the kinds of things that change, it's, it's some word choices here and there and a few typos that have been pointed out to me. Um, it's nothing substantial really changes. Um but Draco I'm planning to put end. an Im- improved, no, yeah, right. <laughs> put an improved version up there when I can, because I have a better version here, because I edit the files as I find typos and things. But um, just uploading is so time-consuming that I haven't got to it. Well, I just want to close up by just saying too that um, you find with a lot of authors that you know, I think Lady Chi said this sometimes, like, you know, Jen will ask, you know, how does this character get from here to there, you know, in this amount, and she's looking into, like, the specifics of how scenes work and where people are standing, and a lot of authers' responses, I don't know. You have to go to the bathroom sometime. That's not the point. Like, no, like, don't, yeah, like, a lot of authors will respond, don't worry about that, that's not important, that's not important. I've One thing I've noticed in, in the way you write is that, like, even tonight, you're saying, you know, if you remember way back in chapter one, here's what was happening in that scene and here was the character's motivation. I mean, you have obviously a very detailed knowledge of this universe and why it works and how it works and, and, and just how it all fits. Like, you could, you just went on, you know, about, you know, 
Draco Malfoy's, you know, financial status and, you know, all of his, all these agreements. I mean, that's a lot. Of, I had to think that all through in detail to make sure there weren't plot holes. Exactly. Mercury and I had talked about that, that how are we going to have his money disappear? What about the shirt he gave Harry, which we need later? Right. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm going for is a lot of authors probably would gloss over that and just try and fudge things to make it work and make it exciting and, you know, maybe even have Dracula, you know, Malfoy drop out of the ceiling and land on people. So, obviously, you, know, you put a lot of effort into that to, to make the world seem real. And, you know, we've said before, you know, some people will read this will read this and do the preconceptions. They just can't do it. Some people will read it like me and give it a chance and will really find something in it, you know, that changes the way they think about the characters. And no one can say it. No one can say it's not well thought out. And no one can say that you didn't really put your heart and soul into this fix. So I just want to, as a reader who, you know, gave the chance not knowing if you'd like it, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to keep reading and thanks. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. And and you're right. I, I did put my heart and soul into it. It feels like a real world to me, you know? <laughs> and I, it's a world I enjoy spending time in. So. It's a world that, that, that Jen very much wants to live in, and she can't find the entrance. <laughs> me too. Well, I don't think Jen is alone there. <laughs> you know, I, I might go through a doorway if I could find one, too. So. And Jen's got a birthday coming up, and Jen's had a tough month. So the next chapter that comes <laughs> up, you can arrange for Draco to be wearing something leather. That'd be super cool. <laughs> I, I know that I'm on Jen's list, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Well, I'm going to go call under a rock. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, I think we're going to uh, get out of here for the evening. Aspen, thanks so much for doing this. I know you said you were a newbie at this, but you did great at it, and I wish you could have gone on for seven hours because I think we scratched the surface, but it's been, a, it's been a real great time, and I hope we get to talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks for inviting me on. I thought it was great. Absolutely. We'll and talk good to talk to all of you again. Not a problem. And <laughs> Definitely. Not, not a problem. So with that, um, we'll see everyone, we'll see you probably in about, when are we going to see you? Maybe in about a week or two. Um, check mm-hmm. the schedule on the forum, and we're going to be starting the Shoebox Project next. And have a great night, everybody. Bye. Bye. Okay, good night. Bye. night. I love you. Hi, this is Kelly. Um, a.k.a. Rosworms from the forum. Um, I just wanted to talk about Harry's self-injury in the last couple chapters or few chapters of the A Year Like None Other. Um, the first couple times I read it, I felt that Aspen had ended it way too cleanly. Like, because oh, cause for me, it's been like an ongoing problem for about 10 years, and I couldn't imagine anyone just like going to their parents. But, um... I think that um, because of the way that Severus is handling Harry, because of Harry's, like, screwed-up past, I mean, most teenagers, the parents at this age would be encouraging independence and saying you need to learn how to deal with this on your own. Um, But because of Harry's so self-reliant past, um, Severus is always encouraging him, you know, you need, I want you to come to me. I'm always here for you. You can come to me with anything. And he's trying to get Harry to depend more on other people. And I think that's probably probably one of the reasons that Harry was able to go to Severus. Because otherwise, I think if Severus had been handling Harry like any other parent would, he probably never would have gone to Severus and this probably would have gone on longer. But because of the way it was handled, it was able to be handled a little more cleanly and, you know, 
telling his father about his self-injury and his behavior and his thoughts. So if anyone, you know, thinks that it was an, it ended it way too cleanly and that it never ends that quickly, I just think that's probably one of the reasons why it did. It probably came out sounding a little jumbled because I was kind of nervous, but whatever. Okay, <laughs> thanks. Bye. Lady Chi, say hi to Noah. Chi or Noah, say hi. Hi. Hi, say hi, Chi. Hi, Chi. Good say job. Hi, Noah. Say hi, Huggles. How are you today? Can you say hi, Huggles? Hi, Huggles. Can you say Huggles? Give him a cookie. What? Give him a cookie. <laughs> I tried, I tried <laughs> that earlier. It wasn't working. Come here. Say Huggles. Huggles. Yeah, that was it. Good job. What house is he in? I want to give points. <laughs> He's a Gryffindor. Just yeah, Slytherin. No. Yeah, Jen's like half Gryffindor last week. The next week is going to be oodles and oodles of fun. You're going to be Let fun. You're going to be great you. during the Chamber of Secrets commentary. I can tell you right. <laughs> Chris Columbus should die. All right. Thank you, Lady Chi. We're going to turn off microphone four. Okay, Mercady, every time I try and say your name, I sound Mercady. like a t- whatever. I don't know what to call you. It sounds like I'm, ca- I'm referring to Just a car I have to say how strange this experience feels for me because I have been, like, following – I've been following Aspen and Mert, like, in their friendship and, like, they're writing this story for, like, I don't know, like, how Jen, many years. Would you like, like to g- Jen, would you like to giggle before we start? I think it's, it's like, so fu- – it's so surreal. Okay, I'm done. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jen. All right, here. We need to giggle. <laughs>